live, emanating from the William Howard Taft Memorial Auditorium, high above the New Haven skyline in the Pivotal Film Towers, honoring the best of 2023, it is the 6th Annual Pivotal Film Awards! different costume each year. Answer. He's wearing a duster this year. Isn't that right, co-host? <laughs> yeah, the duster was an odd choice. Who I are you? We told him, who are you? I'm the guy who is not wearing a duster. <laughs> My name is Tom Nolan. And uh, and also... Oh, I'm Andy Barry. What did you think of the duster? Uh, I, it, was, it was fitting. He wore a, a tuxedo shirt uh, the first year, so it's a step up. Mary wore like the tuxedo shirt with a tuxedo jacket over it, and it yeah. was, it was, that was a bad look. And the cummerbund. You weren't even here. You weren't even born yet. <laughs> Jesus, how old is this podcast? Oh God, Tom. <laughs> it feels like children are are in kindergarten now since we started this podcast. That's true. That's true. And even kids that were born listening to this podcast, like the moment they. Where like entered the world, or kids conceived while their parents listened to this podcast, are in kindergarten or first grade. Yeah, what are those kids? Are Do you like? think any of them were conceived while listening to one of these podcasts? God, I hope not, ladies. I, I feel like I want to think about this for a long time, but we don't have and, the like, time. And like give like a, a a real answer that says that there's like statistically, there, it's a possibility that one of our podcasts was playing. Like either accidentally, or they just forgot to turn it off, or they got they were washing dishes and they got distracted. And your guys' voice put them right in the mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how you're like, I don't want to talk about this, and then proceeded to spend thirty <laughs> seconds talking about it. But I kind of do want to talk. <laughs> well, we're not going to, because this is honoring the best of the year. It is always my favorite episode to do. I think it's Tom. It's always your favorite episode to oh, do. Oh, of course. There's too much pressure. I always put way too much pressure oh, on myself. I find it exciting. I cannot wait I to love be listing stuff. over, like, to be done with this, because, like, this is literally all I think about, like, but then morning, I start, noon, like, and night. I, I agree, and then I start, like, a month and a half later going, like, oh, I'm ready for the next one, because remember, I do, like, want to do half-year lists. But it always happens to us where, like, and we were just kind of describing this off-air about a film that I saw that's going to be on the 2024, and it's like, well, yeah. there's one. Like, like, and I'm ready. That film being yeah. Teacher's, Lounge. Teacher's Lounge. Other films that have not released here are too far away that are major contenders for tomorrow's Oscar nominations are yep. Zone of Interest and All of Us Strangers. Those will be considered for next year. Much like how 2019 brought us Portrait of Lady on Fire, mm-hmm. but it was a 2020 film. And, you know, that showed right. up a couple times. And, yeah, we talked about, I mean... And was it nine, nine days? How many days? That one you did a year Nine later. days, yep. Yeah. Nine days was mm. the same thing. So we had actually, wa- but we had actually watched that one before we did. the awards, and I told you you couldn't put it on your list because it wasn't released yet. Well, that's the thing with like, so we tried to get that was the year that we had. We were so cool that year. We were very cool that but year. But it was technically but, from for the year before, right? Because the Independent Spirit Awards. Yeah. Oh, correct. They honor. They just kind of honor things like when they come out. Um, but it, the official release date in America wasn't until the next year. So it was like June. We waited. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was fine. I had most of my awards 
my top picks done that yeah. year. Yeah. So that <laughs> You're was ready good. to go. That yeah. was very handy. Um, but as uh, we do every year, we're going to start this year um, with our uh, each is top ten moments. Our scenes of the year, yeah. correct? Or, or like sequences or, or yeah, whatever. Or just however you consider it. You can't just say an entire film. I almost did that with Sisu, but I, I just... My favorite part of Sisu is when it all began. The, all the Nazis <laughs> were what was killed, your, where, Where's that moment end? <laughs> when the credits so start? I, I left it off spoilers, but I did want to say when all the Nazis got killed. Oh, yeah. That's like the best part so, in all some movies. Of the, some of the Nazis being killed, like the main Nazi being killed by just a plane crash was a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, fair. Yeah. But that's also what happened in uh, Indiana Jones' Dial of Destiny, where the Nazi you wanted to die the entire time just like stayed till the end of the movie and just like fell out of a plane with his leg bent the wrong way. You're just like, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. I forgot he doesn't like melt anything. Right. He just you kind just, of yeah. dies just, in a plane crash. Yeah. Yeah. That movie's a letdown on many levels. What a stupid movie. But um, these movies. Oh, what are you going to say? Doesn't matter. Oh, all right. I was just going to try to launch into it. To this Go sense. launch. Yeah. Just to show you, though, that um, we still sometimes talk about. Ridiculous moments. My number 10 moment of the year is the Thanksgiving dinner sequence from the film Thanksgiving. Mm, which I didn't get a chance to watch because it never came down in streaming price. I, yeah, I, it's at I cut it because still. I knew you were going to have it on your list. We can't just do that. I oh, you, I mean, if you wanted to lower it. Yeah, it is revolting, uh, grade B, but a lot of fun. Uh-huh. And it's like one of those moments that actually makes me feel uncomfortable. Cause, I've got one of those on mine. Yeah. So. That was my number 10. Andy, what's your number 10? My number 10 is in The Killer, the, se- the sequence he had when he was talking to Tilda Swinton mm. in the restaurant. That's an also ran for me as well. Is yeah. it? Okay. We'll talk about that later. Not on this, but like in on our list. So. Okay. Yeah. I just, I really enjoyed the tension in that scene. I thought it was really well performed by both of them. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. Yeah. So. That's a, that's and it a, carries, like, continues that tension as they're walking outside and Tilda Swinton attempts to kill him, unbeknownst to him, after he's already shot her. Yeah. Tilda Swinton is, like, giving. Um, is giving it her, her best shot in a, in, a, in, a, in a very short performance. She's like giving it everything she's got. Um, my number 10, um, I just like put numbers next to them so I have to find it. <laughs> Thank you. Is uh, a movie that we're, we're not really going to talk about very much, I'm assuming, unless it's surprised to end up on, on your guys' list. Um, and it's only in one other place on my list, so this will be like, you know, not mentioned very frequently. Um, it is from Asteroid City. Mm-hmm. It is the part where the alien, uh, they're looking at that moon rock, and the alien and he, comes out of nowhere, and then it takes its moon rock back, and then it goes back up into the sky, and everyone's just kind of standing there like, so silly. It's, it's a jovial scene. Yeah. That I, I, I like I it because it's... Quite a bit of fun with. I like it because it's weirdly... It seems like the scene that's most in touch with like how this movie should be. Yeah. But then there's all these like really heavy scenes in it, but just watching all these great actors react to this claymation puppet like performed by Jeff Goldblum performed by Jeff Goldblum um like with its staring eyes and like how it moves and like all that stuff I just thought it was kind of a perfect like living diorama that like only Wes Anderson could pull off and then he kind of like you know went and did other Wes Anderson things um but I remember when I watched it I was like this little this little encapsulates, thing is, is perfect. It, it's a pretty good kind of encapsulates yeah. the brainstem of what that film wanted to initially. And it never ended up doing. Yeah. Um, are we going to snake? So I'll do my number nine. My number nine is... Where the fuck is it? Oh, so there's the movie um, A Fire by um, 
Oh, Greg Petzold. Yeah. And um, Christian Petzold. Christian Petzold. I, there's a Greg, a, a Greg Petzold that I went to school with. Um, <laughs> he, maybe he co-directed it. I don't think so. Um, Christian Petzold. Um, there's a moment where the um, the woman that's there, and I didn't write anybody's names down, and I should have. Um, she, She's the one from Transit. Right. right. Um, they're all sitting there having dinner. Paula Bear. Paula Bear. And they're all sitting there having Bear, dinner, sorry. and she's um, just kind of revealed to everyone that she's uh, an English major. And uh, Tomas, I think that's his name. What's the main character's name? I have character names on this. Oh, okay. Um, well, the guy played by Tomas Schubert, um, or Schubert, it's German, um, is all pissed off because he didn't... Neon. And what is it, Leon? Leon yeah, and he didn't realize. Oh no, Leon's the friend. No, no, Leon is Thomas Schubert. Is that? it? Yeah. No, um, I actually never got around to watching this. I have no idea what this movie is. He, they're all sitting around dinner table, and there's a and and um, Thomas Schubert's editor is there, and he's like asking her questions, and she's and she's like, oh, what was your thesis on? And she's like, her thesis is on this poem, the Asra, and she recites this poem two times, and both times. Christian Petzl just kind of like goes to each character and this is something that I've kind of like focused on this year when I've been thinking about this stuff each character's like internal reaction to like this moment is being expressed on their faces and in their body language and it's just this really qu- and there's no like music or anything like that it's just the poem and it you haven't it hasn't been expressed as to like why this moment will be significant but each character to each character is significant in in its own kind of way and you get to see that and it's just this really moving like very like literate um about a guy who's trying to write a novel Mm. like it's a very like novelistic thing you know what i mean where there's like a personal even though there's a main character there are actually five characters in this scene and each one of them has like their own shit that they're going through but the significance of the movie is that there's only one character who cares about his own shit solely um, so that's my number. That's my number nine. A fire. Oh, um, my number nine is basic. Um, it's the in Barbie. No, that movie came out like one thirty years ago. Uh, uh, Bar- <sighs> in Barbie, the Ken dance fighting scene near the end of the movie. Yeah, just brought me so much joy watching that. Uh, it'll probably come up later in this podcast, so I just I won't. Spend it too much sure time. will. So my number nine is probably the shortest sequence I at least I've ever done and maybe any of us have ever done. Well, you, oh, especially you wait till later on my you. list. Um, <laughs> it is about half a second mm. long. Mm. It is the glimpse of hell uh, that you see oh. in Talk to Me. Nice. Um, yeah. That's very like society-esque, that, Screaming Mad real, George a, or really Event one. Horizon. Because Talk to Me has some unsettling scenes. But in a movie that's, you know, produced uh, some great unsettling sound effect designs, especially if you're watching it in a theater, that is the most horrific sort of monstrous thing you can see, yeah, I think and I, you don't even see it. I think I put this out of my brain because it, it, it disturbed me so much that I completely forgot about it until you brought it up right now. It is a fantastic choice. But you know what's really funny is that on your list last year, if I remember correctly, was that moment in Nope when you're inside... The yeah, alien. Think, you know what I mean. And that's it's like that's that like same... ten seconds. So this one's like yeah, but it's, but that, it's that moment same... of quiet horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's a that's a really good one. I actually probably in hindsight yeah, would have liked to have. Uh, like, I'm glad you're uh, recognizing that because I, I talk agree. to me. I don't think is going to get, or maybe I'll be wrong. But like that's just was an awesome scene. Yeah, <laughs> Andy. Um, my next one is when Little Godzilla first. No, sorry, oh, no, it's my sorry, it's no. my number seven. Is next, damn it. My eight, number eight. S- eight. 
Uh, no, that that was my nine. This is yes, my eight. eight. For some reason, my thing this does not let me write numbers. Um, it is the creation of the real spot. The spot holds two oh, musical yeah. number when he goes into the particle accelerator. Oh, yeah, yeah. In Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, once again, that glimpse of the future and what he's going to become and mm-hmm. the destruction of what he will do. Um, and it kind of yeah. captures yeah. four or five different animation styles underneath this. Really incredible um, Daniel um, Pemberton score. I believe that's his name. Daniel Pemberton? Josh Pemberton? It's it's Daniel... Daniel Pemberton? Daniel Pemberton score. Um, let's go down on my list for that one. We're doing uh, it. And, yeah, it just, it, it's, it's horrific, but it also is artistically has, it has beauty in the sense that you are getting, you know, the Spider-Man India or the... Mumbai, yeah, um, Mumbai. sequence, yeah, Mumbai. Uh, the the basic drawing when you see the vision, um, and then the kind of like particle acceleration explosion itself. Mm-hmm. Awesome, I love that scene. Um, my next one is um, when we first see the little Godzilla in Godzilla minus one when he comes up onto the island and just destroys everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked it because it set up the fact that this Godzilla does not give a fuck. And he's just going to kill people for no reason. Yeah. And it was just kind of shocking, and I was really impressed with the visuals and how everyone, you know, reacted to it. It was pretty neat. It was very shocking because, like, the Godzilla as a small... The Godzilla as a dinosaur thing has not really ever... I mean, I don't I don't really know. I'm not, like, a Godzilla expert, but I don't think it's been explored all that much that, like, Godzilla grew from something. Yeah. So the idea that Godzilla, like, started small and then got bigger was just, like... It was cool. I thought it was a cool scene. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, my number eight is also a very short one. It's from the movie Infinity Pool, and uh, it is towards the end of the movie when things have gotten way out of hand for Alexander <laughs> Skarsgård and uh, everyone else on that little little island that they're that they're frequenting and 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 helling around on. Um, at one point, they've got him surrounded uh, in a in a house. He's in a house, and then. And then everybody dies, and everybody's covered in blood. He's deeply sad. And Mia Goth is just petting him and telling him it's going to be all right. And then out of nowhere, she whips out her breast and starts nursing him. And so my number eight is that moment where Mia Goth nurses Alexander Skarsgård. So it's not. um, But I have also ran of the penis insertion uh, (laughs) sequence from Uh the Infinity Pool, uh, you know, during the orgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that that movie was not as good as I wanted it to be, but I, that Mia Goth thing, the Mia Goth thing is real. That, they, there was, they committed. There was no way that was planned. You could, and that's I think one of the things I find so fascinating about it is that she just did it, and then he like went along with it, and and it was just like that kind of visceral filmmaking thing. Uh, my number seven, and I won't spend that much time with it because I'm assuming it'll come up later again, is the Tom Sawyer montage in the Iron Claw. Um, it was a perfect setup for like a key piece of of von Eric's lore. Yeah. Um, you, it's just so full of joy the way that it's edited. Yeah, how it blends it from is, the him playing the music to the entrance and everything. Absolutely, it's, and the yeah. acting in it is is like pitch perfect. The wrestling filming is pitch perfect, Which so that you're just kind of on the edge of your seat the whole time while this kick ass song is just like. It's just rocking. That scene just needle, fucking rocks. That movie has a lot of needle, like perfect needle drops. Well, that's the thing, but that needle drop could have been very obvious. 
Yeah, but exactly. The idea that like Michael is playing that song when it seems like his parents are away and he's got the record player on, yeah. and he's gonna blast it, and there's just like this freedom. Yeah, that, and you know, and you could you know do the English essay version of like Tom Sawyer, freedom, blah blah. blah. Well, I think it's also showing the community of brothers. Absolutely, more exactly. so than. Yeah. Um, and when they're in the ring, they're like the freest that they're ever gonna be, and they're the closest that they're gonna be, and it's just great. So uh, that's that's my number. That seven. scene made me very happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. I thought like, oh, this is, nothing bad's gonna happen in this movie. No way. Uh, if only. Uh, uh, mine's mine's just quick. It's uh, Oppenheimer mom. Um, it, it lived up to the. I heard moment. Oppenheimer mom for a second. Mom. <laughs> Is Oppenheimer's mom in that movie? Um, the whole build up to it, and when it actually went off, I thought it, I rewatched it. It's still it, it's pretty freaking awesome. So yeah, that was one of those movies that was like kind of. Um, oh, was that Zombie Dust? Yeah, I just drank a whole bunch of Zombie Dust nice. in the show last night. Um, <laughs> uh, that was one of those uh, those moments that. Um, was was on my list for a really long time, and then I really liked the no sound at first, and now like when I watched it again, I was just kind of like, Ugh. oh, it it worked. Kind of well, wish there was some sound. I, it it well, you get the sound. It just I know, but it seems like like you get the narration in the, there. The cool part is like it's a whole build up, and then it's like sucks all the energy, like the air out of it. It's almost like. Builds all the tension. Yeah. And then, like, that's why I thought it worked. It, no, it, it definitely is one of those things. It's like a marvel. It's like a technical marvel. And that was one of the things when I was making my list is like there's movies that like I didn't like as much like upon reflection as or the second watching as I did the first time. But there's aspects of them that it cannot be denied. And like that's like one of those things. Yeah. That is just like spectacular. Mario, seven. So my number seven is uh, when in showing his frustration at the success of he lives in the ghetto. Monk has decided to write My Pathology, later fuck, and oh. we see Keith David's yes. um, Willie the Wonker, and I can't remember, is it is it Van Gogh Jenkins? I yeah, think yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Um, acting it out as he's writing it it's and so they're acting with him. So it shows the cleverness of, of that screenplay. Uh-huh. We'll talk about this film several times. Yeah, it's coming um, up. In, in numerous ways, but just it, it is so supremely acted and absurd that it mm-hmm. captures kind of that energy that uh, Core Jefferson is trying to create. Yeah. Um, my number six is uh, when Harry Ashley Astley takes Bill Baxter out to see Alexandria, uh, mm-hmm. like the real Alexandria in Poor Things, hmm. and kind of she kind of like looks down, and eventually you know you later see like she gives away tries to give away the money, and it kind of sets off the second act of the film. Um, but it's just that it's like. Horror Wes Anderson, you know, how the way that's framed, that way that shot's framed as you're looking down at, you know, these destitute people eating babies mm-hmm. has, uh, they're kind of lounging in luxury above. Yeah. I like, I thought that, again, that's another one of those like undeniable things where the craft is like so perfect that it's just kind of like, that was, that was cool. This movie will come up a lot tonight. That was your six? Mm-hmm. We're so good at podcasting. Is it going back to me now? Yep. All right. Um, this is probably on your guys' list, but the uh, the end of past lives. Um, when just all her emotion, when it all spills out after he gets into the, the taxi and just that whole thing. The double doors, she goes in. like It, it hit me pretty hard. That so. is not on my list, but no. I do appreciate the double doors. Yeah. Like, yeah surprisingly, deeply. past lives doesn't show up incredibly much on my list okay. but uh it shows up once on my list really i yeah. thought it'd be on your guys list more no but i mean I, it's i mean we, well, we can talk about this as we, we get to it it's one of those things where like i still don't 
I still don't necessarily get it. It's one of those things I've where, it I, a bunch where of times. I love a lot of it, but it just so happens to be like the sixth or seventh or eighth best thing in each of these categories that I love. See, it's, I mean, I, you know. It's nominated for a bunch in mine. It's, so. it's, I always stop at the, like, the craft is impeccable, but I stop at, like, why does she care? Like, I'm not sure why, and it's just, I think it's just because we, I think it's just because it, she wants us to, but, like, I don't feel like they have, like, Greta Lee's or Ted Yu's character have any real reason to be together other than the fact that they're Korean. Um, no, it, I think it was more of a friendship, like, sadness more than anything. Like, that's what I took away from it. I don't think it was a romantic This is why it's yeah, probably it's a good like movie. a lost in translation vibe to okay. it. But that, and that's another movie. Well, that that's I, not romantic. That's, that's the, there's friendship to that. But, I mean, our mentorship. And I, I think, say. so I would argue that it's probably more... It's less defined as friendship or romantic, I and I would like it to be a little more defined for me to care whether or not she's like deeply sad about it, um, because I don't know. I don't know what she thinks she's losing. Like she clearly has friends. Is she like losing her Koreanness? Is she losing what? I don't know, mm. um, and I don't think the movie has an answer for that either. And it's like a it's like a beautiful movie that I think just has like this big, like this cloud in front of it um my number six is um the ending to falcon lake did either of you guys watch nope falcon i lake? did not see falcon lake. um so falcon lake is an adaptation of a, of a graphic novel by a pervert in france <laughs> a pervert in france well he's like a he's like this controversial french writer who just does very like um so he's gonna win a couple caesar awards is what you're saying <laughs> yeah he might or that like some kind of like French literary award. No, he just does. He's like a provocateur. So all of his graphic novels are about like you know provocative sex and, and weird things like that. But this movie kind of it takes it. It does something different to it. And um, the main character's name is Bastion, and he and his family are at this um, visiting a friend of theirs um, for like a you know a period of time. And there's a girl named Chloe who's the same age as Bastion. They're about like thirteen. Chloe's a little bit more of 13, 14. Chloe's a little bit more of an adult, and Bastion's a little bit more of a kid, but Chloe also wants to be a kid, but ba- is, but Bastion kind of wants to be an adult, and one of the themes, one of the things that happens in the movie is that Bastion's not really crazy about swimming, but to prove himself at the end of this movie that he is an adult and that he is one of them, he goes swimming, and then he fucking dies. Oh, but oh. the movie, okay. the movie doesn't let you know that he died until, for like, a couple minutes and it shows all these things it's this it's a very tangible visceral movie um the shida shahabi like score and like the way that it's um shot is um it just kind of it, it the tension is just like really like intense like did this kid fucking drown just chasing after this girl to prove that he's an adult and he and he did drown um but that tension, like you mentioned with the Oppenheimer thing, is just like so intense because you have you have no like the, it could go either way. The movie hasn't established that it's a kind of movie that's going to drown a kid, but it's also established it's a kind of movie that like can dabble in that kind of like the emotional pain of like the deep emotional pain of what it's like to grow up. Um, so that's my number. That's my number six. My number five is the moment in Killers of the Flower Moon when Lizzie Q passes away. And she sees the ancestors sitting there, and the there's, no, sequence, there's yes. no sound anymore. She gets up and, and she walks away, and then the 
and then the sound builds back up again with the, that was, the wailing. That was an also ran for me. It's yeah. a beautiful like moment. Um, I have something very similar coming up a little later. Uh-huh. So. Um, my number five is when Mike Balsilli first starts working at the RIM office, and he comes in and they tell him he can build his desk, and he just pulls up a chair, puts his phone down, and sits at the box. And just starts yelling at everybody. Just I just love, I could pick a, any Mike Balsilli scene, but that just Really sets the tone for the for as you know one of my favorite movies of the year. So it's still <coughs> yeah it lasted it like survived. We'll we'll get to that. I'm only asking because it's like one of the things one of the fun things about like doing this podcast is like the the things that you were really like super passionate about at the beginning of the year like as you watch more I, movies uh, you're just like ah I, there I, it goes. yeah it's gonna show up a bunch for him I know. <laughs> mm. No criticism, just curious. Okay, yeah, no. Because this is your this is your first pivotal film yeah, awards. Yeah, I know, I know. That's how this works. Uh, my fifth sequence is just a personal favorite of mine, and it's my, probably my longest sequence. Mm-hmm. It's probably like seventeen or eighteen minutes. Um, this film opens the way it typically does with a phone call, and Professor, you know, Laura Crane answers it, and she is then brutally murdered by the Ghostface Killer, who then takes off his mask to show that he's a student. Just a random student who's planning to do a new Ghostface killing. As he's walking home, though, he then receives a call from the, going to be the actual Ghostface of our movie, mm-hmm. and we get that subversion where you know he's talking about wanting to make his movie, Jason, and you know the Ghostface says, "Who gives a fuck about movies?" and kills him. Um, you know, Scream's always been a personal favorite of mine. That's easily outside of the Drew Barrymore scene, my favorite opening sequence mm-hmm. in the series. Um, that, that's that's next on my list. Oh, that's fine. Because <laughs> so we're going to talk about it in different ways. So. Yeah. Uh, I will addendum to that. Um, I kind of had two moments kind of shared there. Is uh, now you can die a fucking virgin. Yeah, I need. I thought that's what the one Tara, you would put on your list. So. Yeah, Terry Carpenter stabs. Um, I didn't like the killers in the, in the opening. Just but, right yeah. in the mouth and turns the knife. Because the entire sequence building up to it's great. Mm-hmm. Scream Six was also a lot of extra rands in my movie. Yeah, yeah. This, but but uh, that was, again, that was one of those ones that, like, at the beginning of the year, you were like, it's still, it's still there. I think it's, I think it's easily the second best Scream film. Poor Scream. It's Scream Two, then Scream Six, then Scream. But now it's got, it's it was ruined. It was still high up there, and it was coming back up. But the production stuff kind of ruined, like, kind of left a sour taste mm, in my mouth. Mm, mm. Um. Melissa Brera is almost a nominee of mine, actually. Uh, huh. My next one. I bet we is... could have got her <laughs> to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> my next on one is on, another uh, long sequence, and it is the atomic explosion I prefer of the year. It is the destruction of Ginza scene. Yeah, I, from that, I was between the two one. on the Godzilla. That was the other one I had on the Godzilla. I yeah, have... I, I, I kept everything in mind to one per film. Yeah, so did I. I would um, add both of them on my but list. Though. The entire building up to Noriko kind of like sacrificing herself and just the destructive power. Usually this is like when he starts to launch yeah. his, nuke, yeah. his breath and you see an actual atomic explosion. The, I'm talking about that scene in particular. The, yeah. spine, the spines at the back and all that like is really, it's really yeah. cool. It's just a... a Amazingly impressive sequence. We're going to talk about this movie a lot. Yeah, so I like how on, I'll spoil like my list a little bit going forward. Is that like we're going to have the first three Godzilla scenes as like as like our favorite moments of the year as as we go to this, <laughs> this list. So, what's your number four? Andy? Uh, it's the opening of Scream Six. Um, I just I think it's the best opening. I think it's even better than the Drew Barrymore one. 
Um, I really like uh, just the way Smart Weaving played it all. Um, well, did you see Scream? Like, do you know about Scream when it first came out? Like, Drew Barrymore was, like, typed as the lead. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, so. I know. I, I, I get that. I, but it was just still, like, as a constructed scene, I just liked it better. I agree. It, um, it wasn't think, as shocking. I think just but, going into it, I didn't expect... I didn't expect yeah. Smart Weaving to get got right away either. Smart so. Weaving's just like a different like person though than like True Barry. Sure, sure. That's still like one of the great like things that ever happened in movies. I did, like I, period I, is Drew Barrymore is in the movie and she fucking yeah. gets killed. Yeah, that's one of the coolest things. One of the yeah, but but I just like it as a as a constructed scene better. But yeah, that's Scream Six it. is a great Scream Six has some movie. really yeah. cool stuff in it. So. Um, my number four is uh, we talked about it a lot when we talked about this movie, so I'm not gonna like dive too deep into anything. And we'll talk about this movie a little bit uh, more uh, as the the evening goes on. But it's uh, the end of of showing up when the bird comes, and you know. Okay, um, I just left that off. That's perfect. It's a beautiful scene. Um, yeah. You know, they're there. I, I kind of like just left this movie everywhere. I just kind of like further got further away from it. Yeah, yeah. Um. Again, if you want to listen to like a like a deep analysis of that scene, you could go back and listen to our showing up yeah. episode if you want. And my number three is, um, we just talked about Godzilla and Ginza. My number three is uh, Godzilla in the Minesweeper. Okay, um, when they're out yeah, on the ocean, yeah, edge of my seat, totally breathless, smile on my face the entire I time. I figured somebody else was gonna have this on their list, so I left it off. That, that, that's why I did the Godzilla Island. Like, I kind of knew I was gonna talk about. I think someone knew we we're gonna talk about all three of it, uh-huh. and I think it struck Ginza more emotionally impacted me. Whereas that's just an incredible Spielberg Jaws yeah, sequence, very Jaws, but I, really cool. The destruction of Ginza, I feel like I'm representing in like a lot of the other places where Godzilla shows up, and it's because of the like the physical impact of watching that fucking scene. I mean, like her pushing him is like a thing that you can, or her pushing him into the alley and then getting blown away is a thing you can feel. It, like after the movie ends, you. It hit me right oh in the heart God. when it happened. Like I, I, I couldn't breathe for a couple Unbelievable. of seconds. Yeah. Unfucking believable. Godzilla minus one is like a weird miracle. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really it's is. It's very suspicious that they went from Shin Godzilla to this. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, my number three. It's a it's a small scene out of one of my favorite movies of the year, but it, it's when Emma Stone is at dinner with those rich people, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden a baby starts crying. She stands up and says, "I gotta cut. I gotta go punch that baby." And then, I don't know. It just made me laugh so much, and I still think about it every time I yeah. hear a baby cry. <laughs> it definitely. I think it also encapsulates kind of the, 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 the whole the, joy that you feel for that film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that, I just love that scene so much. So that, it's that's when it. she's like the, the character's like most alive. Yeah, when she's kind of worked out like the initial like furious jumping stuff. It's like now other things like and furious jumping. Yeah. Um, What's your number three? So my number three, three yes, three, my yeah. number three is the turn in this film that you know made the emotional core of it. It wasn't the, you know, the beautifully crafted Tom Sawyer sequence. It's after Carrie shot himself. He's being carried oh, by Kevin. Yeah. He's on. The, then Carrie's on the boat. Meets mm, with Dave, yeah, David and Mike. I knew you were gonna put this. Asper Jack Jr. Yeah. Is it's an afterlife or potentially Kevin? Re- it's it's Kevin's imagination. I think. I mean, just, I'm a. I just like. I'm gonna say it for my take. It's the actual yeah. afterlife. Okay. But I think it's that's Ke- fun. Yeah, it's like Kevin's... Um, like, yeah. yeah but that was, that was the emotional turn for me that let me just 
openly start crying oh, in that in the film. Love it. My number two. I have nothing more to say about it. It's just I, I'm just kidding. That's my number two. Oh, I had it so yeah. much lower than you guys. <laughs> or no, mine was the dance fighting. Never mind. So. Well, no, I'm including the dance fighting. I'm including that entire song. That entire thing, yeah. As my number. Okay. Uh, Except two. for all the extra Will Ferrell like walking through there. Yeah, that's yeah, just I didn't like that part. Uh, my number two is the Ferrari crash. Really? Uh, it was just so jaw dropping. The like the last Ferrari crash. The the the, 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 the crash. crash. Okay. Not the first one. That was cool too. I do like that first one though. Yeah, I do too. I just like watching that guy like, just fly, fly the and hit the <laughs> post. Yeah. But no, it was just a scene that's gonna stick with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be that's that's very similar to my number one scene. Oh, cool. Oh, probably we might have the same one. Um, we don't. We don't. It's different uh, movies. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to say too much about it. If you haven't seen Ferrari, it's worth it for just that one scene. Yeah, it'll be on streaming at some point on some kind of on some channel. And yeah, I'm gonna. I think it's available already to rent. Maybe, Is it or, really? Or probably tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. I'll probably yeah, rent yeah. it tomorrow. Um, my number two is I'm just Ken. Uh, again, this this film year was complicated, and I feel like we didn't really discuss it like this very much. And do we usually do like a kind of round like a like a summary of how we felt about the the year in film at the beginning of these episodes? No, we usually talk about that in the next episode. Do we? Okay. Um, this move, I feel like the film year didn't really start until Barbie came out, until Barbie, until Oppen- Barbenheimer, where like there's these two movies. Everything up there was some good stuff up until there, and this is a me thing because you guys had. I think that came I think out. like Spider Man had like led into that. Spider Man was like, like a miracle, but it was also like it seemed like it was isolated. Yeah, you know what that's, I, mean? I agree. Like, it was it's surrounded by a bunch of mediocrity. Yes. And then Barbenheimer hit, and like I'm just Ken starts, and you, you know they released a truncated version of that um, online that you can watch, and that was very funny. But I just wasn't prepared for, like, the depth of this song or, like, how unbelievably hilarious everything Ryan Gosling did was going to be. Yeah. But it's also, like, and we'll talk about this when we do, like, supporting actor, like, Ryan Gosling is, like, a miracle in this movie. Like, everything he does works perfectly. He doesn't even... There's a great moment, like, where he's after the dance fighting where he's singing I'm Just Ken again and he's... Like does the heart thing, mm-hmm. and then he does like the like the stabbing and the chest thing. He's not even looking at the fucking camera, you know what I mean? He's just like looking down, and it seems both like disinterested, but also like so there. It's just it's, while also kind of like present in the '60s, yeah, kind so of way weird. you would have done a performance like that. But like great, and that's uh, that's just this whole sequence is just like a miracle. It's just so bizarre that they they. All the things, all the best parts of Barbie, it's like so weird that they, they did it and it worked. Just very bizarre. And my number one is um, uh, the opening of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh. Gwen's story. Just that beat setting up the, with the drums and then the vulture scene and then the pastels and then just her having that moment with her dad where like he's... She's debating whether or not she wants to go, and those watercolors are just fucking dripping down the screen. Yeah, that's just really, that's cool. I this is the movie I've watched more than any other movie this year. One probably because it was the most available because it's on Netflix, but also like every time I watch it, I find something like amazing about it. Not even just like 
like, oh, that's cool. Like a new like Easter egg, just like some new emotional like weapon that this movie wields like perfectly. So that's my number one. My number one is a movie we probably won't talk much about this whole night, but it's the the Battle of Austerlitz in Napoleon. Oh. It was visually one of the most amazing things I've seen put to film in a while, I think. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I think about it a lot, and I think it was just really brilliantly shot. It's not a fantastic movie. I like the movie, but that scene it just stands out like crazy. Oh, I, no, I, I agree. I like the movie. Um, I think there's a lot of fat there that doesn't need to be there. That sequence is amazing, that battle. I, I um, actually almost had the first battle sequence on my list, because I think like his anxiety... Of that yeah. moment is like really palpable, but like yeah, they they did four things amazingly well in that movie. My number one is for me the most horrific scene probably I've ever seen in a film. Mm-hmm. Um, not because it's a horror, but because it happened. Uh, it is the plane crash scene in Society of the Snow. Mm-hmm. It is. Oh, did you see? Society I started of it. I didn't. I started it, and I was just like, I'm not in the mood for this movie. I was yeah. gonna watch it today, um, and I didn't get to it. It is. Harrowing, amazingly shot. Yep. Um, the decisions that are made are all pitch perfect. It's not overly gory, but it is definitely violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and reopened my fear of flying. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I won't watch it for a while. I if if it gets Sorry. nominated, I'm gonna watch it. But like I could get foreign language. To that, to your exact point, I was just I turned it on and I was like, I'm just not. I'm just not that in the mood. Happened for, to me like, the other day. Something and I, this I intense. Trying to watch it, and it's just not. Hasn't been the right you'll, time. I think you'll enjoy it. The film. I bet it's good. I mean, it looks immaculate, and it looks. Yeah. Like, My little brother told me to watch it. He said it was really good. So yeah. And he's, you know, not a huge film guy. So just it's a foreign film. Yeah. Intense Mario. Yeah. Intensity. Um, all right, that was really fast. Yeah. I, I know. I, good. We, we got, got good. I kept, I kept it a good clip, we and we got three people now. I know. Uh, so we're going to take a small break, a uh, commercial break. We don't actually have a commercial, but I need to grab a drink so that my voice doesn't go out. Yep. And we'll come back with our best supporting actors, actress and actor. Well, our first category of the night is supporting actress, and with his five... Supporting actresses of the year is Tom. All right, my number one or my number five. <laughs> <laughs> Just going right to the top. My number five is from uh, Passages to Delex Arcopolis. Um, we talked about it a little bit when we did the movie. I think she's like a wholly realized character that like knows what she wants, and then she's been inserted into the situation where she's supposed to just do whatever Franz Rogowski's character says. My number four is Tilda Swinton and the Killer. We talked a little bit about it when Andy did his um, moments of the year. I think she's. Fucking on. It's a William Hurt level scene from Absolutely. And it's like, it's not, it doesn't have the ostentatious accent. It doesn't have any of those other things, but she is just focused and dialed into the emotion of what's going on. Imagine if she had said, Jesus, killer. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. Um, My number three is Hong Chao in Showing Up. I think one of the miracles about this performance is that, like, she doesn't think that she's all that. She's very self aware in a movie full of very unself aware people. Or people that like think that they're self-aware, but maybe aren't as self-aware as they think. She's just making her art. She's being a landlord. She's just doing the things that she does. Um, 
and isn't really aware of the things that are going on or that, that you know, Michelle Williams' character is dealing with any of the things that she's dealing with. Um, and her art is fantastic, which is one of the great things. My number um, two is Anne Hathaway and Eileen. And did you see this? Uh, yes. I so, just missed my list. So what I think one of, the, one of the moments that was almost on my list is when, um, when Thomas and Mackenzie's character, when Eileen goes to the house and she thinks that it's, Anne Hathaway's character's house. Oh, I enjoy that scene so. And then she, Anne Hathaway's kind of explaining. Just she's throwing the cat out food, the door. <laughs> throwing the cat out the door, and then she starts explaining a little bit of like what she needs from her. And Thomas and Mackenzie thinks this is going to go one way, and it goes the opposite way. Well, I don't even know it's the opposite. It's somewhere out in and left field. And that so. moment was I was alone in that in a th- in well, the you had theater. called it when the cat acted the way it did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did? I was like that something's weird about this house. Oh, so I but like the idea of whose house it was and what was going to happen oh, I yeah, was yeah. just fucking unbelievable. Yeah. Um and I, th- I think Anne Hathaway is a pro. And a lot like the Tilda Swinton, she sold it like perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um and then the, the and then her character became more complicated when they went downstairs and like it wasn't she seemed like a surface character that got really deep. My number one is an extension of the Adele Exarchopoulos character, where she is a character that shows up in a movie who um, knows exactly who she is and what she wants. It's more interesting than that character though because she is deeply engaged with society and she is rooted in it. And that is Erica Alexander in American Fiction. She is she is. A, a love interest for um, for Monk, but she is so much more than that. She is the one character besides Adele Exarchopoulos that, like, when she was off camera, I you can sense that she is living her life. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's and she brings so much depth and so much warmth to this movie that I think in a lesser movie, literally just puts her as the love interest and then like yeah. you know moves on with her life, but like. Um, I think it's so much more than that in a in a in a movie that we I'm assuming we will talk about yeah. at length as we do this. This can kind of be like a, yeah. a review episode. I was gonna say we, we didn't we didn't talk about this movie a lot, but um, it's gonna show up a lot. But the one thing that bummed me out, I just I wanted a little bit of a payoff with her somewhere at the end, mm-hmm. but I understand why they did it. But I think that's one of the great things about the character is that like she doesn't need Monk. Correct. She, you know she, I mean? she doesn't need him at all. But Absolutely, it's, it's it stays true to that. I just wanted to know what she was doing. Right. Well, that's why I, it's good. I, I didn't need to see what she's doing with Monk. I just wanted to know shitty, what she was doing. If she was a shitty character, yeah. then, and it, or the performance was shitty, then you would not care. Yeah. So my number Correct. one, yeah. Erica Alexander, American Fiction. Andy, you're... All right. So I'm... We don't have anything the same. All right. My number five yes. <laughs> is uh, Jodie Foster from Nyad. Mm. It's not a very good movie, but I really enjoyed her performance in it. I really liked her, too. Um, just like she's the only reason that kept me watching that movie with a shitty person as the lead the whole time. Same. Um, just just really appreciate her in that, and I'm glad she's back. I don't know if she's gonna get any recognition for it, but I, I liked her. Number four is American Ferrera from Barbie. Um, just really, really the heart that she brought to that movie, the relationship with her daughter. Um, the relationship with Barbie, like I don't know, it just it really pulled at my heartstrings. I really appreciate her performance. Number three is probably the last time this may be announced is uh, Ferrari Penelope Cruz. She was my number six. She was the person that got left off. Yeah, I really liked her performance in this. She was the only reason again that kept making me watch the movie because it was mostly boring except for the crashes. Um, 
But she really owned the shit out of every scene she was in. Mm-hmm. Um, she was phenomenal. Number two is Lily Gladstone. And even though the Oscars aren't putting her there, I think she's a supporting actress in the in the film. And I still liked her performance quite a bit. Um, I don't know if I'm sure we'll talk about it later more, but... We can save it. Yeah. Yeah. And number one, it's, and she's probably going to win the actual Oscar, is the Joy Randolph from The Holdovers. Mm-hmm. Um, just rewatched it again. She's still phenomenal in it. Um, still love every scene she's in. She really carries that movie from the, from the side. And I don't know. Brought a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. Made me cry a lot. <laughs> okay, because I always make you guys do predictions, I have no crossovers with you. I have three crossovers with you. So, do you have a prediction of who my winner or a nominee is? I, um, I mean, I'm assuming you have Dave Andrew Randolph on, on your list. Okay. Um, you said you have three crossovers? Mm-hmm. You, you have an American <laughs> Ferrera for sure. Well, I was saying you each get one to say. Oh. Who do you think my winner is, at least? Oh, I would guess... Devondre Randolph is. Okay. I would guess someone that's that he wasn't on, on his list. So my number five is Jodie Foster from Niad. Oh, Once nice. again, carrying that kind of weight uh, of that film. The I only thing that keeps you invested myself, yeah. in a very dull film with a very unpleasant Annette Benning performance. The man who plays the ship captain's also okay, but yeah. he's he's able to play off the charisma of Jodie Foster. Yeah, agreed. Yep. I wouldn't be. Um, I think she's going to get nominated. I think she'll get nominated. Too, um, yeah. So I won't be unhappy about that. My number four is America Ferreira from Come, Barbie. Are you cheating? Um, Look at um, my list. Basically agreeing with everything he says. Uh, you know, she carries that kind of initial emotional aspect of that real world with it and the struggle between her and her daughter. Mm-hmm. And just her ability to kind of like line read that monologue extremely well yeah. was fantastic. It was fantastic. Uh, my m- number three is <sighs> Manami Hamabi. <laughs> From Godzilla, oh, minus okay. one. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, just once again carrying the emotional heart of that film, from you know, and bringing him along to um, kind of realize uh, dragging him into his into, like to his, to his like adulthood and yeah, essentially, and, and like obviously that kind of stands in contrast to Barbie about like a woman needing to like define a man. My number two is Stephanie Zhao from Joyride. Mm. Um, she was number six on my list. She's just, it's, it's that kind of, um, Melissa McCarthy or, you know, she, she nails Robert Downey Jr. Uh, kind of nomination from Tropic Thunder or for Bridesmaids. Exactly. Carries everything she's in. So obviously my number one, I agree with him is the divine joy Randolph from the holdovers. Just a fantastic kind of pitch. Perfect performance right there um that you know has there's kind of like this male struggle going on between two affluent people mm-hmm. um i mean one of them still affluent but has a struggling relationship with his his parent mother um you know she's the one that's actually carries true defined loss so i just Best i love that movie i love that performance so she's definitely gonna win the oscar so you guys oh, will yeah. not be disappointed <laughs> Um, all right, supporting actor. This is good podcasting as I make a note. Uh, my number five is Peter Sarsgaard, Memory. Um, he plays a, a character with uh, early onset dementia. Did um, not see Memory. Yeah, I wanted to get around to it. I just didn't get it was, to that one. It was really good. It, um, it 
if Jessica Chastain, a different year, she like wins this award. I mean, she's so much better in this than she is in Tammy Faye. She's fantastic. He plays a very understated character here who seems um, aware of his... He's very aware of his situation. Um, he doesn't like it. He's resigned to certain aspects of, of his care that are required to keep him alive and keep him safe. Um, and... Um, he, but he inhabits the character fully, um, and and turns in like there's a, there's a moment in the movie where he kind of is, is very sad and he's like I'm really struggling, but that movie is followed up with one of the great lines. It's one of the things that I almost like brought up like could we do like a great lines or I maybe I might almost turn my moment into like great lines because there's so many great. We usually like put great lines like yeah. in our moments as well. There are so but... many great ending lines this year. Like you know there's you know like the I Iron said, Claw year now. You know, die a fucking virgin has my moment. Die a fucking virgin. There's, um, you know, uh, we can be your brothers. There's, and then there's this one where, like, how did you get Jessica Chastain asks his character who has been, like, imprisoned basically in his house by Josh Charles, who plays his brother. Um, she's like, how did you get here? And he's like, I don't know. I think she helped me. And you're talking about, like, Jessica Chastain's daughter. And it's just like, it's like this very profound, and he's so happy to like see them, and he's not concerned. It's just like a very, very deep performance. Another very deep performance is um, Luis Guzman in Story Ave. He's my number four. Did you guys see Story Ave? Nope. So it's God a very small movie. Um, he plays... He does um, this every year. I just watch a lot of these movies. Um, I know. You should text us so I could know. I, I literally said... I said memory, and I told... I said Falcon Lake and Story Ave. I did good this year. Oh, you did. You did. He did um, mention it. Memory, you did put on my list. I just didn't get to it. Luis Guzman plays an, an MTA worker who gets held up um, at gunpoint by a kid who's trying to prove himself to get into a, uh, a graffiti gang um, in New York. And uh, he takes this kid under his wing, and it's this gigantic, open-hearted performance that is informed by... Um, that's informed by loss, but is also uh, informed by like a hopefulness that like if you if a kid if people get chances, that they will make good on their chances. Um, and he's Luis Guzman is is not always like in these types of movies, and it was just it was like so much fun, um, and he was so sad. I think um, he's always fantastic. He's always great, but he's never in stuff that like. That matters. His greatness matters at all. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. My number three is John Magaro in Past Lives. Um, he's like the one character that I understand in that movie because I understand what there is to lose. He's very articulate about it. I understand his sadness. I understand, um, you know, what is what's at stake in he, he this could have shown up situation. In, twice on your list, probably. Oh, he's I, show, showing up. Other years, I would have said I did as with Shia LaBeouf that one year. I was like, oh, he was good in this and he was good in this. I mean, he is fantastic in in showing up yeah um my number two i'm assuming it's on your list but maybe not um is sterling k brown in american fiction um he is a fucking explosion of very appropriate Stole energy every scene i 100 percent believe that guy's character arc and what he's going through and he's just fucking great um my number one is ryan gosling as barbie okay. the most committed Performance that didn't need to be the most committed performance in the history of film. Um, he did. He had so many moments where he was just like in it and had an epiphany Love, as Ken loved him so much, and yeah. it was just it's it's just so good. And there's like I'm just Ken, but there's like 
a million other moments that like his all of his and movements and all, all the stuff, choices, stuff. Oh, it's just so good. Yeah. It's just so good. Uh, so that's my number one, Ryan Gosling. We yeah. have one crossover. Oh, pretty good. Andy, we, we, we can keep going because Ryan Gosling is number five on my list. Yeah, all right. Um, I just, I honestly, I love. I just, he he centers that movie, um, which is weird because he's the one that makes it so weird. <laughs> he's he's the one that ruins like the world, but he he's like the antagonist. But yep. it's just like he does it so well and so innocently almost too oh yeah that's why it's like, a great performance yeah he doesn't know yeah he just thinks oh this is awesome yeah it's so cool being in charge look at this <laughs> uh it was so great um am i going backwards sterling k brown is number four for me yeah, uh, you are going backwards <laughs> uh just <laughs> Luke, Chris gonna win. <laughs> uh i he also doesn't remember things in the <laughs> Yeah, I just, that character was, so I, I, I wanted more. Um, just because every scene he was in just stole every every line, every look, every like every line he just delivered perfectly. I, I almost think I have him too low now that I'm thinking about it, but. That's what this, that's what this process does to you. Yeah, I just, I, I saw the movie too recently, so I felt like maybe I'm, you know, recency biased, so I. Kept them lower, but he... We love reasons to bias. Yeah. Uh, number three is Charles Melton from May, December. Hmm. Um, I thought it was a phenomenal performance from a guy I did not expect much from. Yep. Um, he really showed how the stunted innocence he had from probably all the trauma he had to go through with that whole story. And it really, I really felt it. And mm-hmm. it, you could feel his growth. Um, the scene where he's smoking weed on the roof with his son is like really telling. I don't mm. know. They just I just really enjoyed a lot of the choices he made in that. Number two is William Dafoe in Poor Things. I just I just really like. I, Not as like a criticism, just like this is where the Poor Things shows up. It's you, had, you said it. It's I told you you're gonna hear a lot of Poor Things. I almost did two in this list. You're oh, I lucky. thought the number one was going to be the other one. No. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be the other one. Um, oh. Fine, we'll just get to it. Number one is Glenn Howerton from Blackberry. What? Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't put him in lead. <laughs> He's not the I put him in, like, sound. Two and... lead performances. Glenn Howerton and um, Jay Baruchel. Like, I, I love Blackberry, as you know. The reason why I love Blackberry is... Mike Johnson, who we'll talk about later, and also what Glenn Howard did in that movie. It just, it just phenomenal performance. Because you're reading your list off of Blackberry is one of your... Yeah, I, I, I charge it up. It's like eight years old. It still works, surprisingly. <laughs> so I have three crossovers with you. What's your predicted winner of mine? Sterling K. Brown. Your Glenn Howard did. Uh, so my number five is Charles Melton from May, December. Once again, saying he's playing a very stunted character who has an emotion core in a film that I think Todd Haynes continues to fail to create the essence of everything. Upon second watching, I was just like, I'm sus- more suspicious of this movie than I was when I first saw it. Yeah, and I think well, a lot of what carries that first viewing is the fact that Charles Melton is dragging that film along with the way it needs to, it. to yeah, get yeah, yeah. to. Uh, my number four is a cheat because it's a voice performance. It's Jason Schwartzman from yeah. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That was my number six. Uh, just carrying so much pain and anger in that voice. Yep. And, you know, obviously there's voice modulation going on as he becomes a spot. But you sense the meat and the destruction that he wants yep. in that. Uh, my number three is Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction. Uh, 
what there's what there to say that you guys haven't already said. Um, like I, like you said, believe totally in his performance. Yep. It's hopefully he shows up tomorrow. I I I think he will. I, I want I, good things only for all the people that like are kind of in that for the six people that are up for that like those nominations. I want all of them to have nice things. He needs to be. He needs to be in there. Supporting actor was one of my longest list. Like I'll say, like I had like twelve people on this that I, I had too. to cut out. I feel super bad for for Noah Galvin from Theater Camp, who was like on there. He for was a on long my time. list too. Yeah. Um, uh, my number one is a tie. I decided to do that. Yeah, oh. an asshole because they're two very similar performances doing two very similar things. Okay. So, so I nailed it. So Glenn Howerton is <laughs> one of my winners. Um, just carries the anger and frustration in a great film that we'll talk about more times. Um, the one I wanted to put more as the number one performance, though. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's in a film that's fairly one-dimensional um, in what it's doing. I mean, in a performance that's very one-dimensional. Playing the high evolutionary is oh, Chuck yeah. Woody. Nice. That's actually um, a good one. Uwuji really good. From Guardians of the Galaxy. I didn't even three. think about it, but you're, that's a really good one. Yeah. hateful sort of man and commits to it all the way through. Yep. Yet through that, you see this like vulnerability and fear um, that eventually becomes apparent at the you're, end. You're, you're easily, right. You're right. That's a easily really the best I love Marvel villain yeah. um, of all time. By far. Um, I wish I would have thought of it because he... I don't know who I would have kicked off. I don't think I would have. But. Well, so that's why I keep. That's why I, like, I go through like my entire film list and go like, okay, and I go like it, nine I, and ten. Go. I, like, I, I did. It's, he still wouldn't have made my top five, but man, it's, yeah. he's still worth. I'm yeah. glad he got mentioned. Good pick. Good pick. All right, Mario. What's next? Uh, this next is best sound. Oh, we're there. So in previous years, folks, we had me and Mario had rolled with the 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 dual sound mixing and sound editing. Um, but this year we decided to. I think last year we decided. Did we? I think, yeah, maybe I, I, last I think last year, year you did. Started yeah. the next year. But we do five nominees. I feel like we. Yeah. I, um, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the, the history of, of, of merging Although those two warning, things together. Quick warning. There's not a lot to say about best sound. I don't except have your, a lot. Except your winners. I really. I really had to stretch for this one. <laughs> um, so. Oh, I thought th- I thought this was a fun one. I thought this was a fun year for sound because it could oh, go yeah. in a lot of different directions. My number five was Dream Scenario. Um, God, that that was the one I left off. That was, awesome, that was an awesome round for me. It was, well. you know, the movie, and we'll talk about it when we talk about editing. The movie um, does one of those cool things where there's things happening sound wise that you don't see, and then you see, and, and it, there's a, a real control. And we'll talk about Dream Scenario a bunch from my perspective. I feel like if we saw a Zone of Interest, that would take all of these, but we just absolutely can't do it. for one hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know why they're doing that, but I mean, I do know why they're doing it, but it is what it is. Um, my number assholes. four is um, a movie, Lily Gladstone's other movie from this year was okay. The Unknown Country. I didn't get, get to that, but I heard it's really good. It's really yeah. good. It's actually a really, it almost seems very necessary to watch in relation to Killers of the Flower Moon because it's both indigenous, it's two indigenous stories. Um Unknown Country does this cool thing, though, where she's driving around the country. She's driving from Minnesota um, to Texas, ultimately. And she's, like, listening to the radio the whole time. And, like, all these different stations, and it just kind of cuts in and out. And actually, you, I think, should watch it as a corrective to Nomadland. Because it's the same like, type of like thing. Like a better version of it? Where it's... It's Chloe's out, it's Chloe's out you said? No, no, no. It's uh, The director is... Um, Oh, uh, but it's just doing the same kind of Marissa film. Maltz. Okay. Similar but it the, themes. Yeah. It's and similar themes, but also similar um, um, aesthetic. Where it's she's talking, just she's just having conversations with people, 
Um, they're not necessarily not everything is scripted, so there's a lot of like awkward laughing and, and things like that, which is which is kind of grating after like an hour and a half. But the sound design in this movie is is really fantastic. So it's kind of got that too Leslie Leslie feel that you had from last year in the set in the terms of the sound naturalistic. Sound a little design. bit. So it's naturalistic sound design, but she's also there's a mo- there's a book that I thought about the whole time, which is probably why I responded to this so much. Is that it's called Shadow Bond by Steve Erickson. Do you guys read Steve Erickson? No. So Steve Erickson <laughs> never really heard good. of that person. But one of the things that happens in Shadowbond is there's um there is I mean there's a bunch of things that happen in Shadowbond, but it actually was reminiscent to Civil War where America has kind of divided itself. Um and these two characters, a brother and sister, are crossing into these like different parts of the country, but they're listening to the radio the whole time. And they're making these playlists. And like the thing that connects them from one part of the country to the other is the music that people are listening to. And that's a little bit what's happening here where the narrative is kind of running through this thing of like the political turmoil and and all these things that are happening um, in various parts of the country. I'm wrapping it up. My number two, my number three to that exact point is Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, they just do so much with sound in this movie. There's so many choices. Um, my number three, or my number two, see, I'm confused. Oh, no, I sang time just on that one. No, no, no. So I do the time thing. It just um, means like wrap up the I'm one I'm not actually on. mad at you. Um, my number two is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a sound extravaganza. Um, but my number one, and this is, so to the Oppenheimer point, this is movie is my Oppenheimer. As soon as I saw this movie, I was like, Oppenheimer doesn't matter anymore. And that movie is Godzilla minus one. Okay. It does the same stuff with the sound that Oppenheimer is doing. It's just, it just is, it moves you in a way that like the Oppenheimer stuff doesn't sure. always move you. But every time the shit gets cranking in this movie, um, in that plane flying into Godzilla's mm. mouth, like, <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. There's gonna be a lot of Godzilla minus one. Just like, can't believe it. Cannot believe Godzilla minus one <laughs> is like a it's like a thing that happens. Um, <clears throat> my number five is the killer. Um, I thought they that's did. Good, that's a good one. Yep, it did a real a lot of good stuff with just the way like the sounds of the bullets and things going through. Um, he had a playlist going on. Like, I really liked his internal dialogue and how that was all cut through it all. Or yep. even, like, the parts where you don't hear anything. Exactly, yeah. No. And the, the silent choices. But also even, like, the fight scene in the house, everything is just kind of, like, everything Neat. is perfectly yeah. calibrated. Yeah. I just, I don't have this on my list. So that's why I don't want it was to very, jump up. It was, yeah. on the law, it was on the short list that got whittled down to the five. Sure. Uh, number four is Talk to Me. I thought it did a lot with, mm. with, with sound, um, just with, all the different scenes with the possessions. And I wish I went back to talk to me. Um, don't have a ton to say about it. Um, my, and the rest are kind of basic. Number three is Napoleon. Napoleon just, you know, it had war scenes. I really like the way they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm really glad I saw that movie in the theater just because of the sound. Um, just the, like the cannonball stuff. Um, just getting all the, the people like gathering. It was just really cool. Number two is Godzilla minus one. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, for everything you said, <laughs> number one is Oppenheimer. Yeah. So. For a second, I was like, wait, is he make this guy say poor things? And I was like, oh, wait, I forgot about Oppenheimer. And I was like, you, I was going to kick you out. The end of all of these, the end of, and I don't mean this is a criticism, but I just like, think it's funny is that the end of every single one of these, I expected to be either black hair or poor things. Well, no, he did the same thing to me a few years ago when I was Portrait of Lady on Fire, where he's like, is it going to be this? Yeah, is it yeah, going to yeah. be here? It could be any of these. Yeah, like, showed up like Here's second. the case. But yeah, he takes the veil off. You can hear it brushing against your skin. Which I 
You're not wrong, but you're you're not as right as you think you are. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, that's mine. So surprisingly, Oppenheimer was my would have been my six. Uh-huh. Was my six. It was probably my six too. Yeah. What do you think my winner is? It's either Spider Man or Godzilla. I guess Godzilla. So my number five, because this is the one thing in this film that keeps me into it, and it's a bad movie that I find popcorn enjoyable, especially when I was high, mm. and it's a Star Wars cheat. It's Rebel Moon. Oh, oh, all right. All yeah, right. some of the sound cool. choices made a in list. that. Zack is... Snyder just. <laughs> He's so excited. I'm not, I, I'm not a Zack Snyder guy. Sorry, Zack Snyder. I don't need to see any extended no, cuts. No, he knows. Else. He listened to the he, live. He, he just the live <laughs> broadcast where like it ended up just being like, "Fuck you." His Zack ears Snyder. are ringing of, right now. Just so. some of the sound choices kind of make it feel lived in, especially with my sound bar. Like you know my yeah, sound yeah. bar. I have don't have. I don't have a sound bar. I use my TV sound, so yeah. it was a lot of that was fun. Uh, Mine were four. Is Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse? Mm. Um, you know, like I said during my moments thing, that um, spot holes two sequence, the sound is working so much, and the bombasticness of Mumbai Hatton and everything, it feels so lived in. Yeah. Uh, my number three is Godzilla minus one. Ah. Um, okay. Yeah. So that my two is not even it's pretty. Um, yeah. Exactly. It feels like. An atomic bomb going off it was each awesome. time. Yeah. Even when he's not doing anything. Even when he's like walking across the countryside. That movie's a miracle. Really. Oh, it really so was. Good. <laughs> My number two, a movie you guys wouldn't be able to say about this, uh, and it helps play into my number one um, scene, uh-huh. The Society of the Snow. Uh-huh. The sound okay. in that film and the crash is impeccable. Even on your TV? Yeah, exactly. Huh. Once again. And it's going to be a film I'm going to go re-see in theaters. Because I think it, they've decided that I think they're going to give it a theatrical release. Are they? Because they're just like... nominated? I think, yeah, a mixture of that. And I think... I've just read about that. They just think like it It had some interest that they didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, there's a, the major avalanche that happens later. Um, but just some of the sounds of the billowing snow and everything is just so perfect. My number one... Um, these guys knew what they were doing, Raka Raka, when they wanted to create kind of a fun house, and it made it so that this movie shows up several times on my list, I think, so heavily, is Talk to Me. Mm. Easily. Mm. I think people are going to be like, this guy's a fucking moron. It's just, seeing it in a theater, it's the best sound design film I've ever it, heard. It was haunting. Mm. Yeah. It's... It, it's, it's except not, for it, that it's, one. It's, so it's, like be, there, yeah. there's very few scares visually. Yeah. yeah um. Yeah. Besides, like, yeah. There's the, not the like jump scares. Yeah, or it's anything. the scene from hell. That's but it's unsettling because it feels like it's everywhere around you, and you start feeling like, am I hearing part of the movie or am I hearing just like something that's going on outside the theater? This and is, so it kind of puts you into that mind frame of that possession. This is one of those ones that I wish, like, upon, like, reflection and, like, talking about it, that I wish I had revisited. Re- I wish I had revisited. Do you think that my utter rejection of tropes is... Absolutely. Like, like impedes my ability to, like, notice stuff like this happening in a horror movie? Yeah. I just take for granted, like, a horror movie is going to do X, and if it's going to do what I assume it's going to do, I, I'm just kind of like... That's cool, but it just did what it's supposed but, to. Yeah, I think so, because I think typically you would, you know, those moments would happen in a regular movie, but they'd be all around you. Yeah. It was the fact, like, at one point it would be to your back left, at another point it'd be slightly whispering in, like, a front speaker. I mean, I was deeply invested in the movie. I thought it was great. I just, it's probably like, why you were deeply invested, though, was because you are like, subconsciously But I took it for that. granted, and so I was just like, this is really good. 
and it's just a it's a horror movie. You know what I mean? It's doing the things. It's hitting those horror movie beats and it's doing horror movie things. So I think that did more than just what horror movies do. So that, but that, I'm yeah. but I, what I was kind of like suggesting is that like anything that it like is hitting like genre tropes. So with like the creator, you were like it's just a sci-fi movie, and I was like it is just a sci-fi movie, which is why it's. I reject it. Oh, like as a movie. I was fine with it. Like it yeah. didn't do anything new. But, well, that's yeah. anything. If it's not going to do anything new, then it doesn't need to exist. That's yeah, fine. You know what I mean? Um, Visual effects. Three. <laughs> the creator. No. Um, <laughs> it was. It was close. That might get nominated, if we did five, though, I, the Oscars, it would have so. probably been on my. I would. Be, I think it probably will get nominated for the Oscar. I think it's going to bump out Godzilla minus one. The only but. reason I don't think it's going to get nominated for the Oscars is because people hate it. It didn't make any money, and it got bad. Re- it got like middling. It got above average reviews. So well, like, it's you got think, you think Godzilla average... minus one is going to be like it's? Oh fuck! We need one. We everyone loves this movie. It's making a ton of money. So put in visual effects. There's a ch- either that or it sneaks. Well, it wasn't eligible for international feature. Right? Yeah, that wasn't submitted. Right. It was. So I think it sneaks in somewhere. I think Godzilla minus one sneaks in for something. My number one is uh, my number three is. This is we're going too fast. And so Sorry. Yeah, slow down. You take a fine. breath. My number You're fine. Uh, three is Poor Things. Uh, it's not my favorite movie. Um, I didn't hate it. I really liked it. I respect the shit out of it. Um, some of the things are undeniable. You, you know have, what I mean? Do you have Poor Things in your visual effects? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, did, <laughs> I, I think I had a <laughs> misunderstanding in some of the things I saw on that mm-hmm. and just was like production design. It's I've both. got it on there too. It's, yeah. it's, it's on both. Don't um, worry. But the, so I think I focused everything in that yeah. in the yeah. production design for myself. Um, so poor things, undeniable. I'm going to let I'll let Andy talk about it. Uh, my number two is a movie called Moon Garden. Did you guys see Moon Garden? God damn it. It's a stop motion movie okay. but with like actual stuff. It actually reminds me a lot of Mad God but there's mm. a lot of stop motion visual effects and if anyone's been listening to this podcast for like the entire time if you're doing something different and real and visceral with visual effects, like you've got my vote. Uh, my number one is Godzilla minus one. My number three is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. That was my number four. Yeah. Um, not a lot to say about it. It's a Marvel movie, but it's actually a Marvel movie they put care into, which so, they haven't done in a while. Yep. And there's actual practical like sh- uh, shot yeah. effects, which is more, I guess, makeup, but like some of the set design and whatnot. And especially coming off the heels of Batman and the Lost Quantum Mania, that oh my felt like God, a that explosion garbage. of color. That was like somehow have... shortlisted for the Oscar, but Oppenheimer was not. And I almost put that on my list just to fuck, fuck you, Oscar. I almost did too, but I almost kind of felt like the I don't know. You almost put your best visual effects list, huh? You almost put your best visual effects. Hmm. You almost put Oppenheimer in your best visual effects. Yeah, just to oh. say fuck the Oscars for not letting it be there. Doesn't it seem weird that it's not on the it, best? It's best very stupid. Effects? Some of those things have to be visual effects. It, I mean, it's practical. Is that not a visual effect? But I'm saying, like the end of that movie where like the missiles are dropping through the yeah. clouds. That's a visual I, effect. It's just yeah. perfectly done. Yeah, I don't it, know. Did it look too real? Like I, I it was just whatever. Fuck it doesn't. Yeah. I guess it fuck doesn't it. matter. But yeah, I I was confused as to that. But omission as well. But. But I put Guardians because it just would looked awesome. Yeah. Um, number two is Poor Things, not number one. Um, but no, it, it was the the great thing about it is sometimes it was hard to distinguish between the production design and the visual effects, and that's how well crafted the film was. And I also think sometimes the visual effects were bad, and it was on purpose. Like the bubble was not a part of the like. Oh, I guess the that burnt stuff bubble kind of like was not a part of it. And while that's you a watch sight it, gag. That's the thing, exactly. And that's why it's okay that it's not like integrated into like the shot, and it's like floating above, like literally, it's floating and then floating above the screen. Yeah. Um, 
But like the duck with the I was going to say that body. all the animals were f- really fucking good. Yeah. I guess those are visual effects. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know. I just Christopher I, Abbott's entire performance. <laughs> it, it felt like Willem Dafoe was a visual effect the whole time, but mm. we'll get to that later in in makeup. Yep. Um and number 1 is Godzilla minus 1. Yeah. Uh so you guys predict my winner, huh? Godzilla huh? minus oh, one. Okay. That's fun. Uh, my number three is Oppenheimer. Oh, he that did is it. a goddamn visual He's effect. He's so much braver. <laughs> it's, it's not brave. It's a huge fucking explosion that you know, no, know. He, that Nolan did no, practically I, 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 with I some added visual effects. Yep. That moment is. That's not the moment for me. Um, it was not that, my moment. So. It's, yeah, it's 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 my very moment for sad. me is period. Um, <laughs> but that is like the the core of that film, and everything builds to that moment, and it's executed with absolute precision. Absolutely, it it, 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 pay, it paid like off that. on what I expected. Like they built it up so much, and then when I saw it, it's it still paid off. It's I thought exactly that was a shoe in to win. To be honest, I did too. Before it got short, it was cut. wild that it wasn't yeah. even. Uh, my number two. Is Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse? Interesting. Do you okay. are brave because I kind of I wrestled with this idea. Yeah, I wasn't sure. It's a fucking computer generated. I guess movie so. Yeah, that you're that right. Does so you're right. With that mixes and then some practicality with the Lego scenes, which is probably partially computer generated. Partially, <sighs> yeah, the Lego scene is funny. Yeah, it's very similar to like your um, yeah the, the Moon, Garden. Giant, Moon Garden. Sorry, I was just thinking Mad God. Um, and you know that film is a visual explosion, and my number one's uh, Godzilla minus one. That's yeah. one. Move on. How do they do it? <laughs> what's uh, what's next, Mario? Uh, best costume design. All right, so one twelve. Uh, number five movie we haven't uh, talked about. Oh, yet. I thought we were only doing three on this. Oh, my number three then is Killers of the Flower Moon. because uh, it's just who, who did it? And they're good. I don't know. Oh. I thought we were saying names. Oh, Are we no. saying names for costume design? No. Okay. We're going to say it for costume designer, makeup, and hairstyle. Oh, okay. After my, that, it's everything. We say okay. Names for. My number two is showing up. Um, I think Interesting. In a movie oh, like that, this, one. I think it's deeply important that these people be dressed. Like they look like from the yes. Pacific Northwest. They look like thing. they're from the Pacific Northwest. They look like artists. They look like people that aren't super interested in what they look like. Um, you, you don't want them to be secretly dressed like... I'm gonna put this in air quotes, so please confirm it. Like attractively, they were like they're dressed functional. They're like hipster core, right? Or something like um, I don't know. My number one is Barbie. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, it's you know, interesting is what it is. I would have thought. I would have thought like poor things would have shown up on your list for this. Priscilla was my number five, and Asteroid City was my number. Not pres- I, no, no, I meant I said poor things. No, I'm just telling you that. Like, oh, okay. I think poor oh. things was probably my number six. Because okay. it was one of those things that, like, for costume design, these are the movies that fit into here. Blah, 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 blah. Number three is Wonka. I really enjoyed the whimsical nature of it. I didn't get to it. I'm sad about it. That's no. fine. You, did you not see it either? No, I offered. Oh, wait, yeah, I, no, I saw. It. I offered it to my kids, and they said I no. I did not thanks. see it. Oh, I recommend it. They it, said, and then we said, do you want to go see Migration? And they said. No, is Godzilla still playing? <laughs> That's fair. Is their exact response? Well, to that. You, you have smart children. Yeah, Wonka is still fantastic. Um, I wanted it to show up on my list a little bit because I wasn't sure if you, either of you had seen it either yet. Um, it is whimsical. It's it's a lot like um, Paddington, but the costume design was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't be surprised if it gets a nod tomorrow. It it may may not. I don't know, but um, it's a good movie. Is it shortlisted? 
I don't know. Uh, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. It has to be. Number two is Barbie. Uh, that's an easy one. Mm-hmm. And number one is Poor Things. Oh. <laughs> Again, I thought this could be the yes, Poor Things it's, it's going to be the Poor Things thing. So, uh, no, the, honestly, the costumes of Poor Things were fantastic. I'm yeah. surprised... I'm surprised you didn't have it on your list. Um, I think the reason I didn't have it on my list is again because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a, not a poor things like truther or anything like that. I just think I want everything to mean something, and I sometimes think Yorgos Lanthimos is too gets too deep into like the absurdity of stuff, and so he's like people dress like this, and I'm just like, but you're doing all this world building, like why do people dress like that? Because no one else dresses like Bella. Yeah, Bella dresses like this, but she dresses like a a child who is like trying to act Who's like an adult. Dressing herself, absolutely, and that's what I think was kind of interesting about some of the and choices. I think that's that the thing made. is that I just don't like. I don't find it super interesting. Okay, and like some of the other stuff is just like base level. So everyone keeps talking about like steampunk. It's not like it they're wasn't not doing steampunky it was, stuff. It's just like in, it's. I think the production design was steampunk, but I don't think any of the a lot of the costume was right. And that's where I'm just kind of like, I it's it's good. It was definitely my number six. It's good. It didn't rise above for me. It didn't like enter into like defining character or helping to like establish subtext or anything like that. It was just like weird costumes. I I thought it um, helped like. Center the world, mm. I get like because it's a weird world and it sort of like defines like what he's wants you to like get comfortable in with how this world actually is, even though it's like not like any other world we actually live in. I think that's a really interesting point, and I think we'll talk about that more when we talk about like production design. Yeah, is that like I think that establishes it more, and then the costumes kind of get in the way, okay, a that's little fair. bit, but I, I think they complement yeah. each other, but yeah, predicted winners, Barbie, Barbie. My number three is Barbie. Ah, um, you son of a bitch. You it's fucking set us up. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, I enjoy the costumes in it. Um, uh, I feel at times, though, it does play more into the sense of what will be the production design yeah, aspect I, I of agree. it. Yeah, I agree. And so, like, none of them really stand out to me as these magic, like, they identify characters and they work in that I mean, way. I mean, but, when um, they're, like, fish out of water on their... No, and those the, like the blades stuff and stuff and everything. And the, the I think that's great. In the 80s. I, and it's good it's to carry that along, and that's why it's my number three. Yeah. Um, my number two is carried by two things. Another thing I'll mention later, it's Priscilla. Mm, um, yep, okay. That was, that was on my short The list. fact that, you know, you guides the way through her growth, um, and it kind of sets you into the kind of dream state initially of that world. My number one. And it also, like, it takes you through the time periods. Because that movie progresses. So sometimes you can't tell, like, what time period you're in until, except for yeah, costuming. Exactly. And but my problem, and I don't mean to just, I, I don't mean to, like, interrupt your, like, number one thing. My problem with Priscilla is that, like, at some point, we talked about this and we talked about it. Like, there's a diminishing returns point. At some point, like, when the movie starts to go, like, yeah. And they still keep dressing her and stuff. I was like, yeah, I don't care that she's wearing that anymore because I don't care about her as a character. I know, but but for the movie, like it, how it progresses, like the timeline. Yeah. yeah, but like, you know, Norbit winning makeup and hairstyling. The movie's terrible, <laughs> but like, it, you gotta like respect the I masterful like aspect of the design. 
Uh, my number one, if you want to fight about it again, agree with him, is Poor Things yeah. um, by a wide margin. And the reason for that is, is it sets the tone of the cartoon state of the world. Whereas, I think the production design later kind of carries you through the growth. Mm-hmm. As that changes and becomes like less whimsical, each person has a set kind of costume they're wearing. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it changes slightly throughout, but your minor characters don't. And the reason your Mario characters don't is it kind of sets up the fact you're kind of in a cartoon. And, or that and she, they, they don't grow, but she grows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, you know, the, the, also the complexity of those costumes at mm-hmm. times is just fantastic. It is. Um, again, it's one of those things where, like, in like on the ship, like, Gerard Carmichael's costume is not... Like significant. He, he's kind of every part of the movie, but yeah, not everyone's like, going to have like greatly designed costumes. But I think that's what I, I think. What I, in a in a movie that's doing the things that Poor Thing is is doing, I expect there to be like really careful consideration of of the whole world. Sure. And it seemed like there are a couple of times, or not even a couple of times. It seems that there are chunks of this movie that are a little like slightly less considered it, it feels like you're expecting perfection out of this movie when it's, no, it's I'm pretty saying, goddamn close absolutely but I'm not perfect, expecting perfection well, I think you're, the problem you're having with it from me like that you're having with it is the same kind of issue I have with Barbie where at times it kind of feels just like the easy costume to do if you're to gonna kind of take you there my exactly and that's one of the reasons that like Barbie spoiler alert is not like on my top 10 films of the year list is because if you're gonna do something then do it all the way and don't have these moments where the production design, even though it, the production design in, in Poor Things is incredible, that there's moments that like seem regular. And it's not even like when you get to Paris or anything like that. It's like when you're on the ship, it's just like, that's just a, that's just a stateroom. You know what I mean? That's just like a suit that Mark Ruffalo's wearing. Like, um, Rami Yusuf's like, mustache is just like... design people are kind of told that they're made to... Create. But that's what I'm. And then it's like, how good did absolutely. they create those? But that's what I'm saying. I'm sure, like Wonka probably would be at my number one. Yeah. Um, but I think what I'm saying is that, like, if you're going to have this deep commitment to world building, build the world. Like, think about what everybody is going to wear. And I think I don't want to like Black Panther, the original Black Panther, and poor things have nothing to do with each other. You know what I mean? But in each, I'm just using it as an example because each tribe of that community like had a very specific thing that represented something very specific. Poor Things doesn't, Poor Things I think wants to kind of have stuff like that and it wants to be like, look how big her sleeves are or look how like, you know, look at the stripes on his suit or whatever but you're just kind of like, yeah, that's good. But it's fine. It sets up that cartoon whimsy of the world. I mean, that's a, I just, I, I loved it. Like it, yeah. it brought me. It's just a, it's just like a personal thing. Yeah, I didn't true. hate it. Again, it was my number. If I if we had six, it would have been six. I also put movies I often hate in the th- categories where I think that there's like textual. Don't tell textual, me you hate like, poor things. No, I, no, I'm talking about like Uh-oh. Rebel Moon being like not a great movie. Okay, that's no, kind of popcorn that, that's funness. That's what's um, what's next, Mario? Is, uh, ma- best makeup and hairstyling. All right, so my number three is a movie we just talked about, Priscilla. Um. You know, it's that all would, makeup. And that was style. four for me. So yeah. My number two is a movie we just talked about last week. Was it last week we put up? Or two weeks ago? Um, which we, to your point, we all disliked. Ish um, is Maestro. Yeah, exactly. We don't I, like that movie. You and... know, I don't know what's going on there, but like, there is no such thing as Bradley Cooper in that movie. It is just this 
guy who is supposed to be Leonard Bernstein, but it's, I don't know. Um, and my number one is the introduction of a movie that we will talk about a lot, is All Dirt Roads Taste of Salt. What? Um, where... I know, uh, yeah, I know. What movie. is this movie? It's, a, it's, a, it's an A twenty four movie that, like, I didn't end up seeing because it got kind of like middling. But it just got at the end. It just got um, was released on streaming like after it had a very very short theatrical run. A twenty four was just like streaming. Hmm. Um, I'll I'll like touch on this movie. What is this movie about? Like, I have no. It's about a uh, a girl named Mac McKenzie, who. Uh, Grows up in the South in, um, you know, 70s, 80s. Um, the time isn't, like, necessarily specific because there's not, like... I guess a, what, what's the make of an hairstyling that, like, puts it So over. one of the things that this movie... Fun- how One of the ways that this movie functions is with braids. And it shows... Um, it defines character through hair braids. Through so, so hairstyle is a... Integral part of the storyline. When you see a certain collection of braids, and it's Mac as a child, and Mac as an adult, and she's got the same braids, and you see the back of her head, and you say that's Mac. When you see Josie's long, straight hair with curls at the bottom, from childhood to adulthood, you say she has the same style. Um, It is a the braids, the way that the braids, the way that the part functions, is uh, deeply significant to. Like how this movie functions. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah uh, I haven't, haven't, haven't seen it. I'd like to see it intensely. But. Yeah, I'll catch it eventually. It's just I saw the re- like a reviews for it, and they weren't extraordinary. When you watch so it, was like, you will hmm. say, uh, "I mean, we're gonna talk about a bunch." When you watch it, you'll be like, "Yeah, I get it." Oh, sure. okay. It's a Tom movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Tom movie. Uh, number three is Napoleon for me. Um, I just I really like the the hairstyling and the makeup in that. Just I don't want to talk a lot about it, but you know, you guys you guys really didn't like that movie that much. But I thought the I I agree. It's also <clears throat> ran for me. Um, but then the rest of it. Number two is Maestro. Um, the makeup on old Leonard Bernstein like it opens that way, and it's like whoa. Yeah, that was. Like I'm not even talking about his nose. I know that's the jokes everyone's gonna make about this, but but the makeup, like as he progressively gets older, is really pretty incredible. Yeah, for for all the characters mm-hmm. as they grow, because it spans a wide time frame, mm-hmm. and it's not noticeable as makeup. It is. It is not. <clears throat> so. And even like, I mean, that's the guy that did the the um, darkest hour. Oh, yes. and that which was, I that was garbage. I didn't think that was very good at all. Because no, either. Winston Churchill like is in all these really tense situations and doesn't sweat ever. Um, the Leonard Bernstein at the beginning like was oh my god fantastic. Yeah. Yep. And then number one's poor things. It is weird. Okay. Uh, so my number three is Society of the Snow. Um, the makeup effects done has the people are progressively getting thinner and mm-hmm. more gaunt, or the um, Infections are taking over, and the contacts they're choosing, or the wounds. Um, do you know how they did that? Did they do it like backwards, like they did like um, Castaway or something to make them look thinner? Or did they, or uh, did they add weight? Well, some and, of like, it, some of it was they had the actors just lost weight, and then they'd add extra make. Like some of the actors lost like forty nine kilograms, mm. so like almost hundred pounds in between two different scenes, and then they added 
extra makeup effects to, at the beginning and then yeah. really shed it. Okay. I, uh, I'm always curious. Like I haven't seen the movie yet. I, I do want to watch it. My number two is Poor Things. I think it kind of speaks for itself. Uh, and my number one, the reason I mentioned the thing, sometimes I fucking hate a movie. My fifth worst movie of the year, new now, my fifth worst movie of the year, I think I said that last week, is Maestro. Uh-huh. It's fantastic. It's yeah. perfect. The movie's a fucking piece of huge garbage, and I will never speak... I would want to speak of it in the worst movies of the year a couple of weeks ago Let's if I had seen it. it. Oh, I, I don't um, think it's that bad. Well, I fucking hate okay. everything about that movie. But when I saw it's the fine. detail of the face of old... Old Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, I was just like... Um, I always want to say Stein. Uh, I was just like, that's fantastic. And I think a lot, actually, of the performance that, that's carrying Bradley Cooper's Oscar run is just the makeup. Because he's if he didn't have that makeup, people would be like, oh, he's doing like this weird, affected yeah. Mickey Rooney sort of thing. There's a... Um, there's, that's right. I'm calling it racist. There's a, <laughs> there is a uh, new... Uh, so we'll find out tomorrow. There's a new thought that uh, Maestro is not being well-received in... Hollywood, like, I think all. that's fairly, and that there's common. a chance that like instead of like the Leonardo DiCaprio being left off of the best actor list, that it is Bradley Cooper who is left off best Hopefully. actor. I think they both might. Um, and that like there is an opening in Best Picture, um, for where like Maestro was kind of like, like just settled into like that eight spot. That now we're gonna get Godzilla. We always probably so not Godzilla, always, but maybe no. Spider Man. We always think this, and then we're disappointed the next day. See, but the. You know what's funny is that the Academy Awards do weird things. Remember the the uh, Jews been like the BAFTA like through like Carrie Mulligan and Bradley Cooper. But they do that all the time. They do yeah, yeah, shit the all the time. Um, all right, what's next? For a more interesting speed to the conversation, mm-hmm. especially with these bigger categories, I think that makes more sense. All right, anyway. so I'll do my number five best song first. Yeah. Okay. So my number five best. song. Oh yeah, we're talking about best original song, and we're changing up the format. Because now we're getting into the big categories. Um, we're just going to each name our number fives, fours, threes, twos, ones. My number five is Am I Dreaming from Spider-Man. Same. Spider-Verse. It's number my five. number five, yeah. Um, I, we Not don't usually do credit songs, but I think it's the perfect... I mean, in a song, in a movie that has like a million needle drops... And so many of them are unique to this movie. This one fits so per- perfectly. It lands so well, and it's and it's a good song. Oh yeah, I listened to it a whole lot it's the other just day. Stuck just in like, my head, yeah. um, that little violin line. Do, 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 do. Um, it's it's completely yeah, fantastic. This is Leland Wayne, Rocky Myers, Michael Dean, Peter Lee Johnson, and Landon Wayne who wrote this song. Oh, I just named who sang their song. Oh, it's really good. That's who's gonna get the award is the first people that wrote it. I know. I don't give a shit about the Oscars. All right. Um, so yeah, I am I dreaming? So what's your number uh, yeah. five? So my number five. This plays both into the fact that I've listened to this song, sorry, a lot um, since I heard it. And it plays perfectly into the moment. And I've actually become a fan of this artist since uh-huh. then. Um, Dance the Night, Dua Lipa, oh, Barbie. Yeah. It's really fun, really Just poppy. Just missed my list. Has a really great production from Mark Ronson. I guess that's who would probably get the Oscar. Yeah. Um, he, he's credited. Well, and Andrew Wyatt, I think, probably. Yeah. So I just love it. And I've actually become a Dua Lipa fan since then. Yeah, if you have a 13-year-old girl, you um, you are kind of like... <laughs> I don't. You are introduced <laughs> to the charms of Dooley. Are, are you like, sick of her now at this point? Is that or no? No, just, but like I, I think she's. Fantastic. I think my problem, my problem with this song, which in this song is great, is that it's in a movie that's full of songs that are directly related to like Barbie. This is the one song that's just kind of like 
a song. You know what I mean? Um, and especially after like the Lizzo like introduction, like the pink, yeah, the you're song. kind of like, oh, everything's going to be like narrative. And then this is just like a, a fucking kick-ass dance well, I, mean, I, I could have made all these songs Barbie because Pink yeah, just yeah, yeah. missed well, my did, list. And, I did mention yeah. that like in our episode that I'm going to be editing soon. Um, like the best things of the year. Like how that Barbie soundtrack right. is. Barbie soundtrack is so fantastic. Um, my number four is Camp Isn't Home from uh, Theater Camp. Which that is, is a great choice. I did not even think about it. Didn't get around the theater. Narratively, game. it is like a, it. It, it um, ah, it's one of these things where Molly now. Gordon just like makes up a couple of lyrics, and Ben Platt gets all pissed off at her, and then the students um, take it up and they create this great Broadway you, closing you, you song. You gotta see this movie. It's, I it's, it's, it's available like on Peacock. Now. It's on Hulu. Hulu. and it's got Aoida Berry, which is yeah. like a but she's not in that as I much as you want to be, and she doesn't. She, her I'll scenes be, are fantastic. Her character is deeply confused, and I often wonder if uh, her, like, as an actress, is just like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, the first AD is, like, directing me and not telling me what to do, so I'm going to do this. Well, she's um, an improv actress, so, like, that's what she was doing. They, right. like, threw her in there and said, hey, see what, see what you can do. And she was funny. But she's just funny. The, uh, the chorus that goes, like, camp isn't home, but is it kind of? I think it is. I think it kind of is. Is just... Yeah. It's just the best. It made me laugh. Yeah. All right, what's your number four? My number four is... In what was I made for? Barbie, Billie Eilish, Phineas. I just... I didn't love it when I first heard it, but I've been listening to it a lot, like, since the movie came out, and it's actually a really, really good song. And I'm... It's probably going to win the Oscar anyway. I don't... It's absolutely, I think, going to win it. Um, do you think it's going to win? Yeah. But I, I did. I do really like the song. I think it's a good song. I think we had this conversation. I think I can only listen to it now, though, in the context of that scene. Yes. I just can't, because so, it needs to play, or play at some position. Well, I guess I only watch it on the YouTube with the video, so it's always like... Oh, that's well, we it talked fits. about this when, it, when she did it at um, on SNL. Like, the first half of the song she just does with Phineas playing piano, I'm just like... This doesn't work, guys. Like, I mean, like, it's a good, you know, it is a, it's a fine song, whatever. But then they start showing, like, little kid clips of SNL cast members, and I was like, oh, this works. Yeah. Which, but doesn't that make it, like, a great film song? For a song? film song. Yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. Which it I'm does. very conflicted about. It, it, was, it was on my short list, even though I despise Billie Eilish as, like, a musical artist. Really? I, um, I like her. I he, always, he says that, and then he, like, likes... He respects like some of the stuff she's doing. I think she's. I think she's. I actually think less her art and more of like a personality. I respect her as a person more than I do as like. No, I like a lot of her does, music. Doesn't matter. That's fine. Four. Uh, so I don't care about like having ending songs. I always do. Um, this is kind of a song that I also still like. <laughs> Let's go show my taste in music now. Uh, at least recently. Um, after the experience of having watched Scream 6, mm-hmm. uh, Demi Lovato, and I'm a Demi Lovato fan, Still Alive comes on. And it's like a personal song for her, but it kind of, the way it's kind of shot, and the way it's kind of edited into the film works so well to the, like, oh, Still Alive Scream song. Like, you know, in the sense of not being killed by Ghostface sort of thing. Yeah, it but makes, then it's great for an it works. Yeah, but then outside of that, it's a song about, like, overcoming addiction and yeah. everything. And, mm-hmm. like, so it stands alone while also playing so well yeah. into the film. Yeah, I love listening to you guys describe horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, my number three is going to be Surprise. It is uh, I'm Just Ken. Um, which I think is I love it, but I think it has a big middle section, which makes me want to die. 
and I want to skip it every single time. Um, yeah, it could be it could be cut down. A when bit. he's not singing, I think it's just uh, it is feels endless, and I want to, to stop. That's fair. Like, it's is it the bridge of like can you feel the Kennedy? yeah the Kennedy thing is funny, but it also feels cheap. Um, it should, yeah, it, should it be felt like bolted I think it in there. Like like yeah, there's, and there's it's like, a fine bridge. Like it's a bridge, right? But they clearly like tacked a bunch of stuff on together with like the drum filling. Yeah, and I'm like, and that's cool. But it's just like as a song, it's it needs not, to be tightened a bit. Yes, exactly. And you want to get to the, you know, and I, and so am I at that part, right? You know. And that's why it's my number two moment. And Ryan Gosling is my number one supporting actor. But the song in and of itself is like the number three song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's it. All right. Have you guys seen Florence on? I did. Did you? Okay. Uh, so my it. number three is Meet Me in the Middle. Which, which is the song that kind of is being made throughout the whole movie between Flora and um, what's his face character? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And when they finally do it, when she's sitting on the rooftop on the couch and they're playing it, she shows her half of the song. Oh, it makes me melt. And I've listened to it a whole bunch this weekend, and I just love it. It's just the John Carney. John Carney caught. He, he get, he, in a fucking bottle, lightning in a bottle when he did once. And I feel like he caught it again with this movie. Okay, that's the thing. <laughs> okay. And that's like, I just, it's... I love this movie. I think it's good. I think it's very solid. It's just like, it's not like, you know. Okay. It's not once. Well, you don't, it's not the spell season. You're, you're, okay. I have no heart. So my number three, when I was kind of watching this movie, Sorry. Um, I, did, I was kind of just so invested in everything that I can't remember. I'm almost positive it's the ending song. Uh-huh. Um, but then, like, a few days later, I listened. Cause, and it fit the tone of what was on the screen and had the perfect kind of... It worked as, like, a score aspect to set that tone. Mm. Like, you know, thought like a, a successful song should do. Yep. Um, so Quiet Eyes by Shara Van Eaton from Past Lives, mm. which is the ending. Like Yeah, yes, I, I, I listened to it. I liked it. I it was a close on my list. Yeah, so it just carries that like moment of the film and captures so much of the emotion in it. But I think outside of it, it's a very great song. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Sharon Van Etten is one of those people that's like digging into film a little bit, like through music, but also through acting because she was in um, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always a couple of years ago. She was oh, the, right. like the the stepmom or the mother figure that was in that like mm-hmm. early in the movie. Um, yeah, and her move, her music kind of lends itself to a certain kind of cinema. You know what I yeah, mean? It's very I, open and, and broad. And well, um, yeah, like, when I get to score, like a lot of my score people could also stand as music types mm, themselves. Mm. Uh, my number two is from a movie, uh, Dreamin' Wild, um, about the Emerson brothers and their album Dreamin' Wild. Um, Donnie Emerson is still alive, uh, and he wrote the song "When a Dream Is Beautiful." Um, which is just classic Donnie Emerson. And at the end of the movie, Casey Affleck is playing the keyboard and Walton Goggins is playing the drums. What is this movie? Dreamin' Wild? I've never heard of this. Oh, Dreamin' Wild. It's got Walton Goggins and Casey Affleck. I've never heard of Messina and Bo Bridges. (laughs) I've never even heard of this movie. And Zoe Deschanel. You never heard of Dreamin' Wild? No. Oh, it's a great movie. Bo Bridges and Zoe Deschanel are our packaging deal now. Yeah. Are they really? No, that's the first time I probably ever mentioned Um, it. I just thought it was a funny, good joke. This movie, so one of the moments, (laughs) that was almost like a moment on my thing, but I knew I was going to talk about it here, um, is... 
Casey Affleck and Walton Goggins are playing this song, and then the movie cuts to the audience, and then it cuts back to Casey Affleck and Walton Goggins, and it's Donnie Emerson and his brother, like, old, playing the song. And then it cuts back to the audience, and the actual dad, and the actual mom. So is it an original sisters. song they wrote for it? It's, it it's wasn't original. actually by the Emersons? It's, he wrote it for the movie. Oh, he wrote okay. it for this moment. Interesting. Um, and it's just, it's a beautiful song. It's a great, like, power pop ballad. Um, and it, it has this attached moment to it that's just, like, fucking killer. Killer. I'm, like, I'm like keeping it together right now. But just, like, when they switch and you see, like, old Donnie Emerson, old, um, I forget his brother's name right now as I'm talking about this. You just see them playing it. And then you see the dad who, like, Bo Bridges plays, the, like, these yeah. guys' dads. And um, you just see him sitting there, and he's like invested so much, and it's it's, uh, it's just a killer song, killer, killer, killer. Dreaming wild. We'll talk about it a little bit later. We, we will. Okay. Two. Uh, number two. Just I'm just kidding. Hey, that's my number two. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know what else to say. It's just a fantastic song. I love it. Um, it does. It does. It it was my number one for a long time, and then I went and re-listened to a bunch of songs and. It just again, like what you were saying, I, I found some criticism. Four things have an original song. <laughs> <laughs> Is there an original song in Blackberry? Oh yeah. No. <laughs> Jerks. Machine Gun Kelly doing Blackberry, Blackberry. <laughs> no. It's just a big with Jim Basile yelling at people. <laughs> Mike Basile. Mike Basile. Sorry. Um. So that's my number two as well. Yeah, Nothing else. Go to ahead. Add. My number one. It better be your fucking number one, or I will. I mean, I'm obviously able to do nothing. But I would be surprised. <laughs> I've for, forgotten about this. I want to live that way forever from the fucking Iron Claw. Oh, I didn't. I thought all. Of, I didn't realize. I didn't know that was an original of song. Had, that song that Mike is playing. And that, that was an original the song. Movie is an original song. Really? Oh, I did not realize. Oh, that, that would have been. That <laughs> still probably would have been my number two. But um, oh my god, it's it, like it, I. It would have been my number five. Also, I didn't it would have been probably my number two. Um, hmm. I probably would have dropped out Still Alive over Dance the Maybe Dance the Night's my four. Uh, yeah, no, I just didn't realize anything in that it was an original song. I didn't yeah, it's, it was a, it's hard to find out what original song I guess song it sounded was. so, like, period, like, for, like, perfect that it didn't seem so original. So that couldn't find the long shortlist? Yeah, so that is... Um, assuming it was long shortlist. Laurel Sprengelmeyer, um, who performs under Little Scream, and her husband, Richard uh, Reed uh. Perry, who did the score for Iron Claw, and who also had a great score here, because he did the score for Eileen as well. Um, from the Arcade yeah. Fire, who is a band that employs a, uh, a piece of shit. Um, not Richard Reed Perry. Not Richard Reed Perry. No, absolutely not. It's just unfortunate that like his He's entry is like, it, yeah. you know. Um, it's like yeah. three chords. Did not realize um, that was a original song. That probably got, would have been it's, yeah. it's got huh. exactly what we're looking for, which is it like plays a pivotal role in the actual movie where Mike and his band are playing it at the house and Jeremy yeah, I, I, I love that out. scene so much. And at the end of the I movie, like, it's not acoustic anymore. It's like this... Like cool, this the electric guitar. Yeah. Just like yeah. rolling out while Zac Efron is playing with... You know, Kevin Von Erich is playing with his kids. Unbelievable. It's an e- it's like a simple simple song, but it's just like so emotional and so powerful, and it has that folk. It has that con. It it functions in the movie as well. So so during our pause, uh, Tom screamed at us and hit us both for not having his same number one, and now he feels like an asshole because we don't even realize it was it's original. It's so song. weird. I didn't know that, that was original. original. What's your number one? <laughs> From Florence, son. <laughs> High life. Um, it was the the song that caps the whole movie, where the Flora and her son get together on stage. It makes me cry like a goddamn baby, and it, it really 
brings the whole movie together. I maybe I just saw this movie in a weird emotional time, but I just loved it. And yeah. I, I've listened, I re-listened to both those songs, and they both hold up. That's where the song thing is tricky because like songs work so much so differently than movies that if you hear them at like the right moment, you're just like, well, that's there forever. But it's just stuck in there. But this song's actually really good. Yeah. Like it, it mixes a bunch of genres because her son's like really into like doing the music box stuff and doing all that and she like mixes it with what she's doing with her acoustic guitar because she learns the acoustic guitar throughout the movie great movie everyone should watch it i don't care what get you get apple tv plus <laughs> yeah. it's a good movie so you know um, but oh, it's it, it fan- i just i love that song i love that movie and everyone should watch it that's it so you know how i usually treat like the best original you remember my best do you remember my best original song of last year was what movie it was from no it's from halloween ends it was boy harsher's burn it down mm-hmm. that very slow rhythm beat so like it hit but it hit a chord that was an emotional spark in the moment i had just experienced in halloween ends which is a movie i know is like critically destroyed but i really actually enjoy mm-hmm. and this same song hits and but then i also really love the song this same song is one of my like fifth mo- the song that's my number one is like my fifth most played song of, of last year mm-hmm. um because it hits Right has the title cards pop up for Scream 6. It's In My Head by Mike Shinobi, hmm. which is oh. ma- which was made. I had to Mike Shinobi's still doing music? Yeah. yeah. Oh. I had to look it up. And, but it, it kind of just hits the beat and it... It gets you in it, the headspace yeah, for... Well, it literally says In My Head. And then it just... You need to get like a long drum roll as you're kind of doing the pan over New York City. And that kind of just like lowers itself down. The song kind of naturally lowers itself down to bring you kind of down from that high mm-hmm. or at least that I experienced like a lot of it's cool that it's like the first fans. Scream movie that's not in um Wood, Wood, Woodbro uh, no well Halloween Scream 3 isn't Scream 2 is not oh I guess not I guess. 2 and 3 well it's the first one that's in a city I guess yeah no Scream 3 is in Los Angeles is it? yep oh. Los Angeles eh, whatever but uh no it it, it it works to emotionally in tune you down like it's it's the only thing that's bringing you down mm-hmm. a score could do that obviously but instead the song does it and the song for me fucking rocks because yeah. I'm, I'm into that style now of like dance rock um mm-hmm. or yeah. like synth wave-ish stuff or synth pop um so my thought it's my number right. one and i'm probably gonna be listening to that song for years now. yeah good good song list i'm gonna listen to a lot of this yeah that was a good one what was uh what's next Mario? it's original score i'll start with that um oh now you're changing the order now we're all well yeah we'll just change it like each time yeah it's fine okay uh so best original score my number five from trent reznor and atticus ross the killer um really you had not nice things to say about it when we reviewed it yeah we watched it and it just hits it it's manipulative yeah but it works because well, we it kind of it. like sets you into that it's like an anti-score exactly yeah and it kind oh. of creates i, I have f- one of those too it kind of creates the friction and the tension that, mm-hmm. like, maybe David Fincher's not successfully able to do. Mm. So it's it's working, it's working in that way. Yeah. Now I feel like you're gonna have them on your list twice. <clears throat> no, I don't. Okay. Which number? Oh, we're going this. We're going this way now. Okay. Uh, my number five is Ludwig Göransson from Oppenheimer. Mm. 
I just really like the score of the movie. I fucking hate that score. Yeah, me too. So okay, well, okay. No, so we're, we're not criticizing it because, like, obviously whatever. it's going to... It's like, my fifth. It's my fifth. I, okay. I, I don't like Christopher Nolan's scores I for some reason. I would prefer to Hans Mariff than I do, too, but I still liked what was happening in that movie. Yeah, it's it's it's... I think the problem with that score versus like some of the other Christopher Nolan scores is that score is like functional, where like other Christopher Nolan well, scores. Well, the Hans Zimmer's can be overbearing. See, but I so. like that. I, no, stuff. I do too. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying it in a negative way. Um, my number five is uh, Jerskin Fendricks for Poor Things. I again undeniable. Again, not my favorite movie. I don't hate it. B plus, A minus. Uh, the score is incredible. It takes real chances. It uh, obliterates itself at a, a couple of moments, um, which kind of mirrors like some of the camera work that's happening, like um, with you know the, the fisheye lens and stuff like that. It's like the the oral version of the fisheye lens. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking specifically. I mean, I think the whole score does it, but like the fact that it just blows itself out when she enters Christopher Abbott's home, and it's just like it's just it's. Brave is the wrong word because it's a film score, but it's just like, I, I, I don't care. Any, it, it's like, it's supposed to be I don't care. It's supposed to be aggressive. It's supposed to be in your face, and it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. that's that's my number five. Preaching the choir. Yep. Uh, so my number four. Wait, are we staking is, or are we going? No, we're just going to go like around. Okay. okay. Uh, so my number four is um, a score that's kind of very similar in the sense of where it put me emotionally that Rolf's Kent score did from Sideways, mm-hmm. where it kind of like kind of controlled and dominated and put you there. That's it's really not the holdover score. Yep. It is Laura Carpman's score from American Fiction. That oh, very jazzy. Nice. Can you talk about that score? A bit? Okay, so yeah. I, I, I love that score. I wish I would have put it on my list because I was talking about it the whole time we, yeah, after, after we left it. After we watched it. I'm like, yeah. that, that score, it was a lot, but I really loved it. It's the headspace it put me in. It made always, me feel like... Bumping and jiving. And it's always like, I didn't. It's not. It's not on my list. Spoilers, everywhere, but. but like it's doing what sideways, like that jazz. Yeah, Wolf See, Kent did with sideways. But you know what? I so when I ta- I texted you about this. I was like, oh, the score is derivative, and the score that made me think of the the thing that it made me think of was sideways. <laughs> so, it, it was my number six. I'm fine with derivative if it works for. Like, I, I think it worked for that one. Kind of, doing. I guess it worked. I felt like it should have been. It, it worked in, in establishing a mood. I wish it would have been like less tight, like maybe maybe. I, I, I don't I think it was that. Tight. I, will, I can't no. project things we'll on movies more. that like like you know exist in the in the form of they are. It just seemed too. It seemed too sideways for me. It seemed very controlled, and it's gonna. It helped do a lot of work for what we'll talk about okay. in a different category yeah. later. But in the, in yeah, I definitely I like we're having like the same conversation because I was like, this is just like a sideways score sometimes, and like that kind of. I was like, I, it's working, but like, should it just be the sideways score? Like, I don't know. I, it was it, that was like the one aspect of the movie that confused me. <laughs> the two aspects of the movie that confused me a lot were like the the score and the attachment to sideways, and that like I just wanted more Tracy Ellis Ross. That's those were the two things. So Send me. So another score that was a little maybe overbearing for some, but I thought really set the tone even though it was an odd tone to set, was from Marcelo Zarvos, May, December. Oh, I yeah. really liked the score in it. I know it was a little over the top, but for some reason it fit everything I think that they were going for in that well, movie. Yeah, it fits and the it, soap opera intent. And I just, 
it just really set the tone, made me feel like, oh, this is the movie I'm sitting in for, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I 100% agree. It's um, it's interesting. It, it makes it does make it does establish that like soap opera tone. Um, I don't love Robbie Robertson's scores, and at the very beginning of this movie, I didn't love this score either. But the longer the movie goes on, which goes on forever, uh, the more the score settles down and becomes something that's wholly integrated into like the uh, the emotion of this film. That's the Robbie Robertson score for Killer of the Flower Moon. Again, it has that kind of like um, folk. Uh, like organized crime feel at the beginning of it, like a funk almost, like an indigenous funk, mm-hmm. and then it kind of stops doing that eventually, yeah. and just like grinds through like this movie, um, as this movie kind of grinds you, the viewers, and the characters down. Oh, absolutely, I yeah. agree. It was yeah. it was an also ran for me. I, I, it's just it's so yeah. there's so much of it that I found too many holes. Yeah, I, I agree that like it, it did not work. I guess maybe. Three and a half hours is too much to try to score a movie in. Somebody, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it just was starting to grate. I mean, that's how the just going like, yeah. yeah, but that would have been a great drone. All right, what's your number three, Mario? So I don't know if you know this, but there's this um, band member uh, from a. I can't remember the band's name, but it's it's got like this asshole guy in it. Our Flaming Lips, our Arcade Fire. Uh, it's uh, Richard Reed Perry's score, sure. Eileen. Yeah, it was good. Um, it's real good. It was it's, really good. It's hauntingly in tune. I wanted to put Eileen on my list so bad. I wish I would have just shoved so it in it's there. Just like, I like that movie. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this movie it was for me, weird. works really well. And like that weirdness is exemplified by the fact that like the, the, score, the score does that's underneath build it. it is of the time, but it's so but not, modern and present. And but that I think I think that articulates like the seasonal aspect of the movie where it's like cold. You ever like, notice how our best original score around is like the one where we feel like we all hit everything? Well, I think we feel very. Yeah. I think we. Well, scores a make a lot of mo- like <laughs> movie like they set the tone for movies, yeah. and it's, I think score is really important for. I, a movie. I noticed Eileen too uh, when I was watching it. I was like, oh, this score like really works, and it's it's indicative of a movie where like the Eileen character is having these like weird like. These weird sexual thoughts, and in the in the novel, she's like like. You read you read the novel? Oh, okay. sure, yeah. Um, I intend to now. It's she's like a super perv. Like she has like. <laughs> well, that has, that was it's obvious. In the but movie. like the novel's very scatological, and like it's like there's a lot of that. Like you know, the I stuff can tell they're the, holding back from. Yeah. The oh, absolutely. And I almost actually think they should have held back more a little bit in the movie, um, in the sense that like it seems a little de- like in some of the earlier scenes, it seems a little detached from what happens. Later in the movie, it's a short. It's like only like two hundred, like eight pages. It's a, too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, like it's a short movie too. So, but like, yeah. I don't see a lot of, and you know, so this is like, like us talking about movies that like you know we all saw that we haven't talked about yet. I don't see a lot of relation to like her jamming like a fistful of snow down her pants while watching those people <laughs> make out to her eating like flecks of like um, what is it, flecks of skin or like a or, or a nail when she's in. The yeah, apartment oh, yeah. Later, oh you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. I don't see his or or like her imagining that guy like fucking her against the window to the later scenes. There's not like a ton of like relationship to those things. Ex- no, it's just for the setting her up being a, as a perv. But and the, it's also like bring her close to like right. Hathaway's but in like book, being obsessed with it. Yeah. And in Hathaway. the book, there's like a, there's like a very clear like she is like a weirdo. 
Like, and this is a thing that she does. And it's not just these things. It's like all sorts of well, things. I, think, I, think I, I feel like that was the movie show. I think the movie had the snow thing. I, the way I interpreted that is like she's trying to like calm herself down in that moment. Sure. Yeah. That's um, how I took it too. But like there is there's obvious things. So dirty. Like imagining her. <laughs> Put like, dirty snow. That guy imagining. <laughs> she's going to get a UTI. I don't know. I was worried about that. Her imagining that guy fucking her and then like the end of the movie. Like one's very obvious, and then the other one is like darker and has some like mm. other implications to it. You know what I mean? Um, but I think the score is. Oh yeah, you're the one that said like she goes to like New York City and like finds a husband and whatnot. And the actual one of the book. No, I, I read the synopsis. Oh, you're watching right. it. Okay, yeah. um, I read the plot summary afterwards. Which, which, we were the, talking about that after the yeah, movie. You're like yeah. the, this movie ended way earlier than the book does, <laughs> yeah. which I think is a is a is a is a benefit. I, I think it, like it's an a better hour ending. and a half movie where like the last half hour is what it is. I think is is a plus. And I think the Richard Reed Perry score is really good. What's your number three? My Four? number three. Three. Three is Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. From Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant yeah. Mayhem. I just, as soon as I saw this movie, I knew it was going to be on my list. I didn't know where it would fall. I just feel like all the, the music fit <clears throat> everything. Score kicks ass. Yeah, I yeah. forgot. I forgot about that score. You that did? Was, that would have been my number well, five. <laughs> that's why I thought you killer. had two on your list from those two. That's why I'm like, I'm surprised. It was on my thought, long list. It was... Um, it's no. jamming, but at sometimes it's like not working for me. But I think it would have. Like, I think it been works most the way through it. I, I and also I did want to talk about this movie a little bit just because it's is a really good movie. It is a kids movie, yeah. but I feel like it works and it's gorgeous and it's. I think it's fantastic. It just yeah, has, we talked about this during the episode, podcast. Episode. Yeah, I know. I just, I just wanted it to come up today. Yeah. It just has a Marvel, a typical Marvel, even though it's not a Marvel movie, like last twenty five minutes problem where it's just like. Now we're going to fight this gigantic thing for 25 minutes but straight. But the first half of the movie is phenomenal. And instead, then, instead of a demon god coming from an alternate dimension going to threaten a parent. It's just, it's just a giant <laughs> ice cube who is one of the most genius bits of casting in the history of movies. Is Ice, <laughs> ice Cube is this guy. Um, my number three is uh, Falcon Lake, Shida Shahabi. We talked about it a little bit when I did my moments. Um, she just creates this kind of like very evocative... Um, collection of sounds that mirrors a lot of the, cinema, the the cinematography so when they're showing leaves it kind of has this kind of rustling quality to it when she's showing lake it has this kind of a lake it has this kind of um like liquid uh quality to it um it's just you know i'm, I'm really into ambient music now and this kind of does all yeah, those things for me know. i kind of see this goddamn movie Falcon lake my number three. Uh, so my number two also works as an anti-score mm-hmm. um, in the same way that Killer did. But when I saw this film, I knew it worked because it set you in a position of being instantly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's Tim Hecker's score from Infinity Pool. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's like, solid. Everything in that score is making you uncomfortable. And I think it's even doing a better job than Brandon Cronenberg's visuals are. Because so uh, like some of those visuals kind of feel... I feel like the score their... made me like the movie more than I probably actually do. Yeah, because some of the things like he's doing, uh, Brandon Cronenberg is doing, are too easy. Mm-hmm. Like the, um, I don't know, the spot phobia masks. I don't oh, sure. Know. Oh, yeah, yeah. those that... scare the shit out of me. Yeah. See, like, They're but, like, wonderful, see... but they also are like, after oh, you see them once, you're just like, I get it. Yeah, and I saw them the first time. I was like, oh, they're just weird masks. But, like, they didn't add to, like, the yes. complete discomfort that you feel throughout that film. The score. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. All right. 
two. Daniel Pemberton. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Absolutely. I don't know if it's on your guys' list, but I'm joining the club right now because I haven't been putting this on a lot of lists, but the score in the movie is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a, it's an absolute killer. I'll go through my number two really quick. I forgot about that score. You did? No, okay. Um, we'll go through, I'll go through my number two. My number two is Dream Scenario, Owen Pallet. Um, <sighs> this wasn't also random for me. Just it has my list. the best theme, I think, of... Um, the the ambiance it, it brought. Like, it does, and it has these great like moments, and it's one of those great scores that kind of like can sometimes fade into the background, and you don't know it's there. But then the last scene has that just utterly tragic piano melody. Mm, I, um, I love the end uh, of that, and it's just yeah. it's there's not another movie in this this year that has that going for it, and so that's why it's my number two. Uh, so we're in agreement on number one. Number one, and you're, I'm guessing you're his number two. Yes, it's Daniel Pemberton's Cross Spider-Man. Yeah. So let's we could just have that conversation. So what? It. Let's actually. Do you want to yeah. have that conversation now, or do you want to do your number one and then have the conversation? Oh well. Hey, guess no, no, what no, my no, number one no. is, guys. Oh well, yeah. Four things. Things. <laughs> oh yes, yes. I guess. <laughs> yes. Dirksen uh, yeah. Four Things. I just the the score I think was just pitch perfect for what. What your Lance was doing, I feel like they worked really well together, and it just really fit the whole visual, auditory, everything. Like it was just, I honestly think this movie's close to a masterpiece. It came out of nowhere. I did not expect the score to be doing the things that it was doing. Yeah. So I just I I adored the score in this movie, along with the entire movie. Um, So you guys can talk about Spider Man. It's fine. Well, you can talk about Spider Man too. Yeah, because like. I think we're the, it's like the most close we've been to all three of us. Yeah, I guess so. It's, um, I, I just think... No, I mean, we had all Godzilla for visual. Right? Oh, it's, right. It's holy... The only reason Godzilla's not on this list is because it borrows so much from... It's like, too from much. It's OG stuff, yeah. Stuff, yeah. Um, it's just a modernization of there, it. This score is so exciting. I mean, and even when it's... It integrates perfectly into the needle drops, which I think is a masterpiece of editing and directing, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... It, is so deeply emotional for like a comic book movie score where it's literally doing all the churning, like like all the stuff it's supposed to do and doing it better than any like superhero movie has ever done before to convey excitement and danger and emotion and crisis and um, longing and loss. It's just yeah. unbelievable. And the thing that makes that even more amazing is it's not the same score throughout the film. Yep. In the no. sense of no, in the sense in the sense of he's having to change when it changes universes, yep. he's changing the song. I know. I like he's, I, I loved how they molded the different universes into different scores. Like they did it visually and and auditorily. Like the movie yeah. is fantastic. Really um, and also, crafted. Spot Holes 2 is probably my favorite piece of music. It's the Spots theme. Yeah, I know. Um, since Phantom Thread. Well, and this is like one of those things where like, it's kind of the anti-score thing. It's not an anti-score. No. But it does have these moments where it is grinding out notes. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, uh, like that's this is and but it's it to like the poor things conversation. It perfectly exemplifies the aesthetic moment of the film. Mm. It's just, it's like we talk about Godzilla being a miracle across the Spider-Verse is 
equally miraculous in I mean, all it, the things it does. Better. It wasn't surprising because they did it once and they just did it better the second time. But around. it's just so big, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just so. No, it's I just. Know. It's uh, it's an achievement where the first one was just like an awesome surprise, and you're like that movie kicked ass. This movie's so deep. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right, what's next? Uh, best cinematography, I guess. Andy, you'll start this time. We'll always just go clockwise. We'll just change who starts. Okay. So, Andy, you're fifth for best <laughs> yeah. cinematography. My number five is Napoleon. Uh, a perfectly reasonable choice. Yeah, answer. I know. It was an also ran for me. It was just... The couple of battle scenes were just phenomenal, and I just couldn't ignore them for this because they're some of the most visual stunning things I've seen this year in... in Maybe a couple of years, actually. Yeah. So I, I think it lifts that movie. Yeah, I know. It, I think Ridley Scott's direction is not doing a lot. It's not edited well, but like the fire of of um, Russia of Moscow. Yeah, it's conveyed so well. But also those just the fucking sequences when you're in just a house looking at like he's going yeah. to, he's going to meet her for the first time. It's a, it's so beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's picked a weird he picked a weird movie to make. Um, because sometimes, like sometimes, when he's oh, this is uh, Darius Wolski. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to say the name. I, I think Ridley's... horrible names to do. I think Ridley Scott's too old now to make these. This movie. I think so too. Yeah. I agree. I wish I, he would have made this like 15, 20 years ago. It would have been probably elevated even more. I think there would have been more battle scenes. Well, I just I think Gladiator Two is going to be like mediocre. I think well. he's deeply committed to the idea of the theatrical release and then the extra long. Like director yeah. release I'm on gonna, Apple TV. I'm gonna sit through it. I will too because I bet it'll be better than like the original one. I think so. My number five is uh, Robbie Ryan. Poor things. I mean, it's he's doing Yorgos Lanthimos things. Um, it always works. It's one of the few directors whose world building is established not through not just through the production design and through the narrative, but through like the actual way that it looks. It feels like you like this movie more than you keep putting on. <laughs> I've been saying it a million times, I respect the shit out of the craft of this movie. I just think it like, doesn't work emotionally on me, and you will be mad at me later in the movie. I mean, later in this episode for what I don't recognize it for. So, cont- <laughs> Mario, what's your number five? Yeah, I think I kind of agree, like... I told you it did like that movie doesn't emotionally work for me, but like I, I appreciate fine. it on such a technical level. I have no emotional I connection do, to it. Yeah, that's fine. That I do mention it a bit more on my list. Oh, I've talked about it like way more than I, I wanted to. <laughs> but when I'm making my list, I'm just like, it's got to be here. There's no way around poor things. Well, it felt like you you're list. making fun of me for putting it on my list. So well, <laughs> no, we do that every year when somebody extremely loves a movie. You, you, the, portrait Lady on Fire. Go back to the 2020. I know. Best and of the his year. nine days one. Yeah. yeah. We know. Uh, so my yeah. number five is Ari Wagner's cinematography for Eileen. Mm. Um, just the reds, the dirt and the snow. Interesting. Everything just. I looks like. So I like good. the movie. And the like, colors are so muted. Yeah. The but colors then, are great. Yeah. But then, like when you know when it needs to be red and bombastic, or it needs to be brown when she's about ready to kill um, the. You know, leave the the woman to suffocate. Like it just brings you into that moment. There's a lot of I see a lot of um, uh, comparisons to this in Memory, where Michael Franco is actually not using any lighting effects. He just like shoots in like the room that he's in. He doesn't do any production design. He doesn't do anything. He just like puts people in houses and then shoots them. Well, yeah, that's how this looks. It's so that's dark. how it looks, except for the fact that it's. Got a light it, it to show you something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it is it lighting's coming from how somewhere. To use shadows. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. But it feels natural. Right, absolutely. 
My number four is probably not going to show up on any of your guys' lists anywhere else in this, so I wanted to put it there. It's Linus Sandgren for Saltburn. Oh, yeah. That was uh, like my seven. Okay. It was not on my list at all. I, I think there's just some beautiful shots in this movie that maybe didn't this movie didn't deserve, like i like this movie more than you guys but there's some really beautiful shots especially of saltburn as they're going around the school of oxford and everything like i don't know just like the above it, shot of the, the um the, maze yeah and and like the party scene there's some really cool things that they she did there mm-hmm. or he did there i don't know i just like this movie i don't want to talk about it a lot because you guys don't care for it but it's a solid. I, I mean, like I it. like the framing of when he's going down on her and everything. Like, I think, I think, I think a lot of these shots are framed exactly in the. They're framed how they should be. They framed exactly. Sure. Yeah. I think so. That's why I agree. Like it's an also random. Okay. Uh, my number four is a movie we talked about once with Luis Guzman. It's Story Ave. Um, cinematography by Eric Bronco. Um, we talked about him when we did um, a couple years ago for he shot the forty year old version. Mm. Uh, which is that black and white movie mm. about that that woman um, rapper? Yeah, that's a um, good one. This movie has this really a couple of the energy is really what I'm looking for here, and it's like shot with energy, which is the thing that like a lot of people don't do anymore. There's a couple of really interesting scenes where people are doing um, creating graffiti, where he is it's like a he is using the fisheye lens as like a as the wall, and people are doing graffiti on it, and just the energy is so the energy is so big here and so intense. Um, but there's also quiet moments too. Um, it's just it's unique. It's wholly unique. Like he's he's a wholly unique cinematographer, um, which is why I'm crediting him here. So, what's your number your number four? Mark? My number four is Robbie Ryan's cinematography for Poor Things. There you um, go. You know, you start out with the the black and white choices of a very kind of obvious framing um, when you know Bella doesn't have a personality, and then it becomes very bombastic with a, mi- a mix of more production design, opens, and uh, the world opens. Yeah. Um, but then when she finally gets away, um, so it has like big wide shots of like wonder to show you everything because everything's so big. Then when New she becomes, and big and, yeah. she goes off to do you know furious jumping. Everything's shot like Alice in Wonderland because she's a you know young teenager in mindset at that. And then you know there's a little more distance to the shots when. Um, She's on the boat, and then they're after the kind of uh, this thing with Alexandria. There's a lot of tight shots because it's showing like a lot of tension and fear and like frustration in her. And then it kind of like reopens back up until eventually it kind of just settles again as she becomes an adult. Yeah, and I just thought that control of how those shots are taken was just amazing. One of the things that as we were talking, I was thinking about when you talk about Alexandria because you talked about in your um, your your moments too, is that like. depth perception of this exactly. movie is yeah. all really strange like everything seems far away until he shows it from like a medium shot and you're like oh it's really close but it's also far away and it just adds to this kind of like absurdist like surrealist vision of like what this what this world is i don't know i, I think it's part of the world building but also like how important we need to like pay attention to this scene is like, there, like there's seeing it through Bella's eyes. Well, exactly. like this what I world mean. doesn't exist. Yeah, I think we'll talk about this later. This so, world doesn't exist, but it all this world doesn't exist in this I'll fashion, but it also totally exists in this fashion. He's not suggesting that Alexandria looks like actual Alexandria. He's like, it looks like this. Yeah, this but is like, his Alexandria. It's intense, yeah. and then it's like a little less intense. Um, it's just really interesting. Yeah. All right, what's your number three? Um, Rodrigo Preto. Killers of the Flower Moon. Yep. It's not, been number two. Not super excited for it, but it was just a beautiful movie. Um, I, I, I really, 
I did not like this movie as much as you guys did, but it was beautiful, beautifully shot. I feel that way about my number three. My number three is Hoyt von Hoytona for uh, Oppenheimer. Und- okay. Undeniable. Like, you know, he did everything right, you know, except for when he's shooting the stuff that Christopher Nolan wants him to shoot that's stupid. Um, but even that stuff looks good. Uh, but the stuff that matters is... is yeah, I think the stuff that matters really works. My problem is, like, there's so many medium shots because I think Nolan demands them. Yeah. When, like, conversations are happening, I don't make it interesting. There's... But, like, when, I mean, you know, when, when she commits suicide, uh, Florence Pugh's character, or, like, when she's kind of, like, sitting there naked kind of in the chair and it's kind of like, got that medium closeness. Yeah. But the color works so well because it shows it's so faded besides, like, her, mm-hmm. but, like, she's also kind of, like, fading into it as she's fading into her depression. That works for me. There's a relationship in when we do it. I don't know if we're doing it next, but um, with the production design in this movie, I think they work, like, in synchronicity um, and, like, yeah. feed off of each other. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah. Uh, my number three is Kozo Shabioski, uh for Godzilla, minus one. Nice. Um, you know shot like a Spielberg movie at first with its intensity. You know, shot like a typical Godzilla film. Early Spielberg, for sure. Yeah, shot like a typical Godzilla movie you would expect with a big budget at first. Yeah. And then it becomes this, you know, very tight. small movie. Very small, like, not Empire of the Sun, but uh, I guess Empire of the Sun-ish kind of shots. No, it's almost like a it's almost like a stage. Like silence. No, it's more like stage production. Yeah, Yeah. that and like our silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it becomes like it this kind of high and small, adventure. But it, but it doesn't feel jarring when it goes big and small. No, because it, it just always fits yeah. the tone of what you're going to see. No, the I don't know thing, if it's going to be on your guys' list. It's not. The only reason it's not on my list is, like, is uh, what I want to say about it is that like, there's a couple of moments where like, it's specifically in like the attack on Ginza where it, it's – and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the movie where like some of it seems practical and some of it seems CGI – and like I know it's like you kind of like intimated that he's paying homage to like that classic Godzilla thing. Well, it's also paying homage to the nineteen million dollar budget they had sure. to make this yeah. movie. But it's, <laughs> it does sometimes seem that's the only thing that seems jarring to me. It, is it that feels like, a little clunky in that Godzilla. Scene? Godzilla yeah. exactly seems yeah. clunky when he's walking when they're shooting him like from above, and then when they're shooting him wide, he's a CGI. Oh, yeah. like can do anything. I also want to know walking. How- it seems like he can't. Move at all? I want to know how he he's swimming so and he gets so high out of the water. I'm still so, I can't get sus- past that. It's a real big. Yeah. Like he's just I want to see when his feet water, paddling in the water. When he's in the water. He just gains size. <laughs> well, he's well, like that. He attacks. Those, he's a cube. You, he's acquired a dude, lot of nuclear energy. Remember those little? You throw those little pills in the water. Oh yeah. And they become dinosaur sponges. <laughs> yep. That's what Godzilla is. That's what it looked like. That's how he grows out of the water so fast. Yeah. Okay. What was your, um, your number two? You guys already. Um, Hui Van is my number two. Um, just Oppenheimer. Yeah. Love it. Um, there's some critiques that we can, you guys already taken from it, but it's really well shot. It's really well visualized. Mm-hmm. I really liked Oppenheimer. Uh, my number two is, and you mentioned it before, Killers of the Flower Moon, Rodrigo Prieto. I don't love Rodrigo Prieto's cinematography, um, but I think it works in this. It, it's gorgeous. It works in this context. I didn't mention that. What? For my. Did I mention the Rodrigo Prieto score yet? He That's said number Andy. cinematography. Oh. Andy did it. Yeah. It was his number three. Oh, I thought you said, and you did too? 
And I was like, because it's he my... He said ne- Andy did, oh, too. It's my number two score. Oh, perfect. So, okay, you guys talk about it now. <laughs> yeah, um, so... Uh, it's naturalistic and um, and um, really elegantly cinematic yeah, it's at just, the same time. It's just beautiful to yeah. look at. It's yeah. got that sense of... Um, I mean, this is a bad example to use, but like some of the things you see in Heaven's Gate or whatnot, or even more so a Terrence Malick film. This is like the most Terrence Malick looking. This, this has some like Google, like um, yeah, a, a Stanley Kubrick almost shots to it, like with like a 2001 where it feels like it's kind of. I guess at times, like maybe when it goes the, above, yeah, and they're doing the dance. That's, that's what I it's mean. Kind of got that yeah, script, that's what I was. Finale. That's what I'm. But there's thinking, also it but. has it's it has a plainness to it. Which I think is is very Scorsese ish, but I think he's been resisting in recent years of making like. A, I just don't think that people thought that the Goodfellas aesthetic was something that carried over into two thousand twenty three, but I think in this movie it did. You know what I mean? Mm, like I think sure. the, the shot I think a lot about is the very beginning of the movie when they're killing all those Native Americans and that one guy sticks his arm out of the like the the window behind the screen and, and shoots her mm-hmm. and then he runs out the door and like picks up the baby it's all very medium you got to see everything it's also like super plain it's they're not doing anything the camera doesn't move it literally just sits there that's all good but the colors and the but the colors the are colors so the, col- the colors is what this but that's all and the, but that's all good stuff you know what i mean like goodfellas I'm gonna, and i mean to a lesser you know, extent the color correction that like um roger deakins would do with like some of his early, his older brother art out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like some of the color correction stuff he did with that. But that's the thing, the Cohen brothers are so insecure. They're like, we're gonna do something kooky here, and Martin Scorsese is like, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna shoot this moment. But and it's then I'm gonna clearly color corrected. Absolutely, but like the mm-hmm. white of the screen is very white. The red of the brick is yeah. very red. Um, but it's and that's why when she gets shot, the blood, even though it's CGI yeah. bloodshot, it stands out so much because just, of how that shot is both medium framed but also the coloration like the color yeah. I assumed it's color corrected yeah. or he's using a really good lens for like getting that plainness and that's the thing Rodrigo Prieto shot also it's lit like a motherfucker oh yeah love it it's great I mean it's just it's a it's um. I actually Killers really of Flower Moon movie. has fallen off heavily for me because mm-hmm. I re-watched part of it and I was like okay some of it just is fine but I just like every shot I see in this it's you, so- you're not going to hear from it for me, I don't think anymore. Okay, I'll, I'll take it over. It's <laughs> so. just really interesting. It's a really, it's a very, very interesting movie. But it has, it's, it's fallen down for me from where it was originally because I valued other things well, this year I'm more. Glad you guys came down to where I was at. So initially. you are number one, <laughs> Robbie Ryan. Um, poor things. This is becoming not interesting. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> this, this was you. You can't deny you, you had it. What number three? Like, five. Five. Oh, you had it number three, right? Four. Four. The cinematography was fantastic in this movie. Like it, the fisheye lenses were actually used kind of interestingly. Where sometimes they're overused in a lot of other uh, movies. I don't know. I just it went big. It went small. You, you described it all. I don't even want to. Like, yeah. Mario did it perfectly, and I don't know why you didn't have it higher on your list the way you described it. Uh, because I've been describing everything else, and I, I just am good at describing shots. Yeah, I guess. but this I've movie, spent this like movie an had hour on films talking about shots. Yeah, but the now. shots in this movie were some of the best I've ever seen. I will say though that this movie, we talked about this movie when we were good. Millions of dollars, you know, I'd be a, try to be like a cinematographer. So. But there's a there's a. Um, 
those interstitial moments, I think, were one of the things that kind of like knocked it down a little bit for me. What do you where, mean? Like, like the the um, the when they say where, like the title cards. Oh sure, they say fine. Stuff is, that's fine. That's so like Lars von Trieri. Sure. Like he seems like really attached to the idea that like he wants to do something like that, and it's just kind of not. He's just not on that level, which is which is fine. But it's just it's very good. My number five, I, it's, you know, okay. There's a million movies. My number one is so we're getting we're getting there, guys. We're getting to the point where it's coming up a lot. My number one is uh, Jomo Frey's All Dirt Roads Taste of Salt, um, lit spectacularly, shooting long takes, long takes. The movie's like an hour and a half long, but it feels so much longer because the takes are so long. But you just kind of like. It's a, it's like a visual poem in that in that regard. Um, the lighting is perfect. It's naturalistic. It's not trying too hard, so it's not like one of those typical like movies that's going to be like famed for its cinematography, where there's like a, a a a signature shot that's like something you've never seen before. It's all stuff that seems that seems real and organic and lived in, and like this is a moment, even though it seems very staged because these people have their hands together for like a minute is like the textures in it are are unlike um, anything in any other movie this year. Everything seems very real. Um, it almost seems like they shot this movie like like a boyhood thing where they shot it decade through decade um, in its realism. So, um, Jomo Frey, Aldert Road Stays of Salt. My number one is Pedro Luque, Society of the Snow. Okay. Um, it starts out uh, with just a great kind of like sports like shooting and I mean it's a lot of editing to it but like the camera's always in the right position when they're uh-huh. just playing rugby from and they there they do a lot of rugby shots to start to start yeah okay. from there it's very colorful when they're on the um, Martinique I think um, the island of Martinique I can't remember where they, they start off from but uh, just there it's so colorful and so vibrant and so bright um and then you get, you know, the frantic, it's, it's edited, but like the very tight shots during the crash uh-huh. as the plane's actually crashing, like close up shots of people like getting their legs, other legs getting broken. Yeah. And it's not, it's not done from like a, here's a distance. And like, here's a bunch of things happening. No, it's tight in. Yeah. It's a very, very close shot. Um, and then after the plane crashes, the way he has to, he has to make a field of white interesting, that you never want to look away from it, yeah. um, and does it by like a lot of long shots of whiteness without really seeing any of the mountains, and you just see little dots showing that like these people are just little dots in this wide field of white, and um, then it builds up to this like hope and interest of seeing. Uh, a plane coming overhead because I'm I'm spoiling the movie, but this fucking thing actually happened. I'm really upset I didn't watch this movie. Best now, um, like this this bummed me out. Now, now I really video. wish I would have watched and this movie. So like they're walking it. up the hill and they look to like see if they could flag down a plane. They look back and they realize you can't even see it amongst yeah. that field of light. Uh, but the most um, just kind of going through each part of it. Uh, there's a scene where the avalanche comes in and um, what basically that's what I'm ready for. But the one of the most amazing shots in this film is this avalanche comes in and they're kind of like stuck and swimming and trying to get out of it. Um, and eventually they do. 
and but, but the camera's flowing around people like, in, like, it's, like a it's wave in the avalanche. This is after the avalanche, and they've crawled like dug themselves out because it's, so it's like it's so almost they, like someone's like carrying a camera through the snow. Oh uh, no! So so it's not. It's after the avalanche has happened, and the people they're all stuck in the fuselage because that's where they've been camping. Sure, yeah. And they've crawled themselves out of like surviving a drowning, basically. Mm-hmm. And the camera kind of floats around like a wave. But that wave is the show, just the extremity of horror that they experience. And it's very similar to what um, you know, it's done in Wolfgang Peterson's Das Boot, uh, and that just flowing around and feeling the intensity and the insanity mm. of it. And then there's this perfectly framed shot of just um, this one man holding it, like the kids are all kind of like stuck there surviving the avalanche, and it's from like a long shot. And they're kind of there, and this man's just in the middle, cradling his wife. And it looks like uh, that shot of, um, you know, uh, oh, I forgot. It's the, is it after Christ gets, it's, it's a medieval painting. But he's just cradling her, and he's framed against whiteness and blackness. And, the, and like the, even though he's in the distance, he's like slightly off center. It is just right there to where your attention is immediately drawn to it, and it mm. looks just like, this fantastic piece of art um, that's very similar to, I think, the Virgin holding holding the Christ after he dies, or maybe it's after one of the assassinations. And then as they travel out um, to, you know, after that's a lot of, like, good medium shots, they're perfectly controlled. Um, and then after they get out and they're starting to climb down the mountain and they finally see the greens, the you know, it starts... The greens become so vibrant and the color becomes so intense because it's like after you've been blind, it feels like after you've been blinded by snow for 72 days, all colors, new colors now are just going to be this intense vibrancy. Water is literally looking blue instead of just clear. Grass is looking the greenest way you've ever seen it. And then when they get back and they're kind of feeling just the decrepancy of what's happened to them and like feeling just like survivors like it feels uh, it's shot almost like a concentration mm. um camp scene like like they're, like just because they are even though they're being helped like they spiritually don't feel that way right. we're gonna be sure. talking about this movie a lot yeah i think we'll be realize yeah, yeah. that now um but one of the most beautiful shots is this nurse. i just feel like i'm left out because i haven't seen this movie it happens it's gonna happen <laughs> Now I'm regretting not watching this today, <laughs> which I wish I would have now. It it's year. something we could bring up, we can talk about later. Um, there's a shot though when this one guy's getting taken care of after they've been saved, and like the nurse is like doing something, and he's just like looking at her eyes, and she kind of like looks over at him, and then looks, and he looks away, and then looks back, and it's just you feel everything in that shot mm-hmm. of just like his like seeing a woman of being like a. 19 year old kid and seeing this kind of you know um plumply faced but beautiful faced woman um and his gauntness and like his fear but also like just needing to see like this thing he hasn't like beauty of what he hasn't seen um you described this movie really well yeah, you're making me wish I saw it really bad. So we're doing production design next? That's production design. All right, do you want to go... Um, I, I, I can... Or do you want to break? I can. Well, if 
If we want to do production, I can make it through production and editing if we want to so do, do that. You want to do that's what I was going to do, and then like we we're going to take a break. Do you yeah, want to just do, do like go through our fives? Because I don't have anything super interesting on my list that no, we haven't I talked about either. already. So who's... Do you want oh, to I guess I kind of have some... Couple interesting we're going to do production and editing and then Let me go take first a break. because I don't have okay. anything super interesting on my production side. My number five is poor things for very obvious reasons, um, as we've kind of talked about like through this whole thing. My number four is Priscilla. The first half of the movie really establishes, like, um, not like establishes the world, but establishes this you're, um, you're girl's. Breaking, a, this, you're breaking from our new format. This girl's emotional world. I thought we were doing fives. Around. I thought we were doing fives quickly, then fours, then. Well, just this will take me like two seconds. Okay. Um, okay. Killers of the Flower Moon, for, like, again, very obvious reasons here. Like, it's a fully realized world where people are just kind of like, you know, all you. We talk about this when we do production design. There's a town here. As they move through the town, you kind of know where everything is. Like, Robert De Niro is in this, like, pool hall. This is how it's laid out. All that stuff is very important. My number two is Oppenheimer. Again, um, I talk about... I've talked about this before. The uh, scene where they're putting together the bomb. Like, you can feel all of those, like... You know, you can almost kind of like feel, feel the like heaviness of the puppet, like that yeah. like piece of it's really whatever tactile. they're sticking in there. But my number one is is Barbie. I mean, like they built like a whole plastic village um, I, that seems fully. First realized. time I saw a movie, I'm like, that's going to be my number one. Yep. It, I didn't say it Who was. Who wants to go next? I, I could go next. Um, I have more things to say about my first three, and then we'll kind of slow down about my next. I'll speed up for my last two. Uh, my number five is Priscilla. Um, everything that's huh, being done. I did not. You guys both had that. Interesting. Is being done to create this. Oh, yeah. I, I see why, because my number five is a movie you guys haven't seen. So that's why. Is oh. a real control of the beauty of it, and, you know, like you can feel the tactileness of like that. Um, of the carpet and everything, but everything feels so normal, but also so surreal. Yeah, surreal. Yeah, like that heightened reality of getting a letter from Elvis. It's like a fifteen-year-old getting a le- letter from Elvis. Shocked my what? This wasn't on your production design. Mine were Ford's dream scenario. Um, oh, interesting. You know what? It's not even on mine either. Is because it's it. There isn't anything in it if, that, if, like, if, does, if, that seems. It felt normcore. A lot of it. It was like midwestern sort of like. It, it did, but like so during some of those dream sequences, there's like sure. things. That, there's things that are placed in it that like I, think I agree. They budget that budget didn't allow them to do what they wanted to do, but Probably. works in just that perfect way. And so I'm. I would argue from like my perspective, and like when I was thinking about this, is that I think he did that with score and editing and sound design. Agree. More yeah. so than it was. Pr- more so than I noticed the production design, but I don't think you're wrong. You know what I mean? Agreed. Yeah. Good uh, one. My number three, uh, a movie you mentioned for cinematography, I'm going to mention for production design is Saltburn. Um, the way they position the pieces of furniture in that to give it some grandioseness. I, I, I didn't put it. I should have put The that way, yeah. you know, they obviously probably created that. I don't think they found it or they did. did I mean, that's part of our production design. Though. They found that probably maze that works perfectly oh, for that. Yeah. Um, but the way everything's kind of positioned in a certain way, the Agreed. way yeah. the, the walk up, the gate, yeah, exactly, like all that even, stuff. Even like going back to like when they're in the school, like kind of things kind of feel tight, um, and then like you know the decision to like just have her so ventilated and just have everything kind of there mm-hmm. was perfect to like when he's doing his dumbass reveal. Uh, my number two is Barbie because when I saw it, it was pretty. 
insanely incredible. There's nothing insane. Else. Like, and and yeah. no people that know, like, knows, listen to this podcast, know why it's number two. Yeah. My number one, I think we're going to both agree, is just poor things. So, I mean, there's everything I said about the design of that movie, I have said in cinematography. Yeah. yeah. My number five is Wonka, which you guys haven't seen, which is probably why Priscilla's not on my list. Um, just it the the town sense. the town square that they put together was really interesting. Um, maybe it's a little over the top, but I just really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. It like really set the tone for the movie. Um, I didn't like the visual effects, which is why it's not in there for me. But just really the all the production was fantastic. And the rest of this is going to get four. Oh, no, not really. Uh, four is Oppenheimer. Uh-huh. Obviously, Oppenheimer did build like a whole city, like literally in the script. And it was really pretty cool. And I really like the um, building of the bomb. As a engineer, I really like the way they did. They showed all that and how they, you know, constructed it all. Number three is a movie I thought would be on yours was um, Asteroid City, which was similar to Oppenheimer, but I thought did it a little bit more integral to the I just plot. don't know what it's for. It's a no, I, thing. It's, he's, doing, no. he's doing Wes Anderson's thing. He's like, look what I built. And you're just like, well, why? I agree, but I just thought it looked awesome. Yeah. And that, that's all. Like, I don't... I, hate, I, I hated that movie. But I thought it looked cool. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think the technique of it is perfect. It's just... I, I can only assume the production design team is the same that always is. Or at this point now, it's so easy to make a Wes Anderson career. Well, like, as, like, sure. Like Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, as with anything, I, I, I like, thought why City looked better than Grand Budapest Hotel. I agree. Hotel. He can't answer the question, or he stopped trying to answer the question anymore, why are you doing of this? Of why? So, like, you know, so Royal don't. Tenenbaums looks the way it looks. Rushmore Royal Tenenbaums looks the way it looks on purpose. Its aesthetic matches its its like the context of its narrative. Now he's just like, look at this place. There's a couple times. I, pretty I, cool, I just right? thought I it looked Moonrise really... Kingdom. He like because I think he loses yeah. it with like a little aquatic. Bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Moonrise Kingdom, he goes back to it. But like since then, he's kind of for me lost it. Yeah, I just thought it, it's like your Martian like scene. Like yeah. it just it. I don't know. It, it felt cool. Like I I liked it being in that movie. Mm-hmm. Except then everyone acted around it, and I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then my two is Barbie, which was my number one for since I saw it, I agree um, because it was phenomenal what they did with all the production design. But you know, my number one is Blackberry. <laughs> Four things, because I I literally thought nothing could be Barbie, and then I saw that movie, and it just blew my blew my brain away. Like, blew your brain away. It was it was phenomenal, and. The production design was amazing. Don't mention you want to go back to our snake thing. Yeah, we can go to okay. snake. Yeah, because now it's big categories. Then we'll take the. Well, I think it's it. it's editing is slightly more interesting than like production design. Production. I don't think any of us really. I don't think the two of us really know much. Or now I don't know how much you know about like deep complexities of production design. Well, just we have feelings about stuff. No, but, like most the, of our movies were we had most of the same movies on our lists. Um, yeah. So you know. And it's like, oh, Barbie's on my list, and it's not on our list for different reasons. Yeah, it's on the list because and we've mentioned this Barbie. in our we've mentioned this in our episodes. Yeah. Uh, all right, editing. Who wants to go first? Uh, I'll start. Uh, my number five is Nick Hoy from Barbie. Um, not on my list. I thought that this movie is paced incredibly well. Uh, I never felt bored with it. Um, 
yeah, I just uh, and there's not much else to say. Uh, I think there is a frantic energy that's done well in terms of the cutting through the, each of the shots during um, I'm Just Ken or during Dance the Night that has, you know, it's a music video editing during those things, but, you know, does that and then it stops doing that. And there was never something where I looked at that and was like, that doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, besides the Will Ferrell things, but... That's not, an, that's not the editor's fault. <laughs> no. Yeah, kind of feels like... Yeah. It's the editor's was, fault that he didn't secretly cut that like, stuff out. Or, like, they'd be like, fuck you, Mattel. <laughs> sure. I think Mattel, like, just demanded some goofy human through line. Yeah, I've been listening to... I listened to that Greta Gerwig podcast um, that she did with Mark Maron, like, the, she, you know, the kind of second one that she did, when it was just basically all about, like, what she was trying to accomplish with Barbie. And I was hoping that they'd go more into that middle section as to, like, why it exists in the fashion that it exists, and she didn't. So, yeah. but it's fine. Um... But all right, what's your number five? Uh, my number five is Hilda Rasula from American Fiction. I thought it was one of the most well-paced movies of the year, and I feel like the editing in it really worked. Especially, honestly, everything that Sterling K. Brown. I don't know if she made Sterling K. Brown pop or if he did it himself, but for some reason, I feel like every time he was in his scene, it was like cut the right way, mm-hmm. and somehow it just like worked for me. Um, I just I love this movie. We're gonna hear a lot about more of this movie in our sure bigger will. movies or awards right yep. now. But I just want it's number five for me. My number five is the Iron Claw, Matthew Hannum. Um, the wrestling scenes were edited perfectly. That was number six for me. Um, you know, and everything else about it too. Um, it didn't drag like ever. It just moved and moved and moved and moved. But it also didn't feel too fast. It didn't feel like they were rushing anything. It felt like it took its time when it needed to take its time. Um. But again, I, I'm gonna focus on like the wrestling scenes. Like that shit's hard to do. Um, but I thought this was like, uh, and, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. This felt deeply authentic, but also like very cinematic. Yeah, it felt like it. That's my. Um, it's my number four. Oh, nice. Um, so it felt deeply. It, it improves in every way during those wrestling scenes. Agreed. Um, that the wrestler did. Uh, the, there was something. I don't know. I don't want to. So like, I'll, I'll say why. I mean, okay. Like because. Let me just like say why sure. it's not on mine is I do feel um, during the like I think so I think all that stuff and the stuff with the brothers is paced perfectly. There's not a cu- few frames that are cut off that need to be cut off, but man, there's a couple times where he's like at home with his wife. Mm-hmm. Where I'm there, like I did kind of sit there and go like this could like each of these shots can be cut by a few seconds so that we can get back to the brothers. Yeah. Like I, I didn't I, I didn't I didn't cuz it wasn't even breathing cuz he's still like the point of the film is he's still like in a very bad spot, but like we're there for 30 to 40 seconds or maybe too long. Yeah. So I guess my criticism and I don't know if I said it during a review was like when we were outside of the brothers, it some of it felt like a like a after school special or like a lifetime movie some of some of their scenes yeah because like it, it feels like it's like this shot is like this length this shot's this length yeah, this it, shot's this length that's why I wouldn't be on my cinematography just it felt like kind of amateurish a little bit in it, just in those scenes but everything else felt masterful and it was like I don't know I love the movie. It's still going to be in my top ten spoilers. Yeah, so. when uh, yeah, I think when it's dealing with him and his wife, there's just like, or when he's like dating her, um, there's just so many parts where I'm like, okay, this is just doing movie stuff. Mm. Do movie stuff, yeah. yeah. And that's why it's not higher up. Um, 
your What's number, your number four? four? My number four is um, Lauren Senechal from Anatomy of a Fall. Mm. Hey, I mean, it's coming. It's, it's his first appearance. It's going to start coming hard and fast and furious, I think. That's um, what she said. <laughs> <laughs> um, just the way this movie was cut, I almost put it on for I don't, I don't know if you count it as score or mu- like the music in that just because of how critical it played it I, that's why i didn't put it in my score but the music played such a critical role in that but the way they cut around it um with the the blind son um like the way he touched things and then they cut around it way he exited the the house and then the courtroom scenes like this movie was enthralling. We're going to probably talk a lot about more of this movie, but I just really liked the way it was edited, mm-hmm. and it kept me really engaged. Which yeah. I, When I read about the synopsis of this movie before I went into it, I'm like, oh, that movie sounds boring as shit. And mm-hmm. this movie was not. I was dubious only in the sense that like the last Cannes winner from France, I was just kind of like... Was that Les Mis? The no, it was... Um, um, was Cannes what? Lamez did win Kansas, so I didn't think yeah. it won. No, um, what was it? Titan. 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 The one that won right. last year. And I was just like, no, that movie stunk. It was fine, but it also wasn't very interesting. It's just going to fuck a car. Okay, cool. Uh, and yeah. it's like, fucking cars has been done, was done more interestingly in other movies. And she did Raw better. Like, so right. Mm-hmm. Um, my number four is Dream Scenario. Which is edited interestingly by Christopher Borgley, who um, directed the film. Um, so what you were talking about with oh he edited and directed he edited and directed it. Okay. Um, what you're talking about with production design is is I think some of that stuff is is um, controlled by a really tight but really chaotic and really like emotional like editing scheme where he's when he needs to he's bouncing between things. He's got the right shot. He's got the right. It's got the right pace to it. Um, that movie does, does feel comfortable. Like it never feels jarring. It never feels jarring, but it also when it needs to feel jarring, it kind it of does. does feel jarring. But it, um, but like not like uh, where it's like throwing you away. It's just like oh, this is uncomfortable. No, but how long is that? How long is the non-sex scene gonna last? That's what I mean. That, every that's, that's moment, what I'm thinking every of, moment yeah. of that is the exact right amount. It's a perfect to amount to kill yeah. him and to make us kind of. Squirm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. What's your number three? Yeah, my number three is Raiju, Raiji Miyajima from Godzilla minus one. Mm-hmm. Um, when it needs to be fast paced, it is, and it's like I said, fast. It's like I said this under cinematography. When it needs to be a certain energy, it's that exact energy. I just it feel slows like down. I feel like it, it struggles going from big to small a little bit. Sometimes it's a little quick. That's, mm. that's, that's I would, I would only... agree. I would agree. Uh, I, I, and that's why it's you know my number. I mean, it's not. Three. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that's yeah. why it's not my top five. I, I would certainly. I just didn't think this year had many amazingly edited films. Agreed. Um, there, there's one that stands above. The, all the rest that we'll talk about when I get there. There's two for me. Um, (laughs) But no, I just felt like a lot of those, there was a speed to the shots. The fact that like cutting from the uh, tank shooting back to Godzilla, cutting that back there, the suddenness and quickness of the shot of the plane crashing into the Godzilla's mouth. It doesn't like go, you see the plane, you see the plane. It's just like immediately cuts to the plane crashing in. I I thought that I had that fun 
but fifties feeling energy to that, it. That got when the the mines are on Godzilla, like that stuff is edited really cool. When they go from oh, where is he? Where is he? Like that that no, I all agree. that stuff is really. Cool. I think uh, I think the reason why it's like not higher up on my list. Um, I think all the destruction stuff's done well. I think the introduction um, between the two is like the beginning part of that. Like all those shots last the long the right time after she's dies it lasts the right time but there's certain parts of the preparation scenes yeah um where it just becomes like kind of shot in a way that's very or edited in a way that's very procedural Mm, Mm -hmm. mm, 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 mm. all right what's your number three three um kevin tent the holdovers oh i just really like this movie just felt like a warm hug and every scene seemed to like meld into the next and it just felt super comfortable Mm -hmm. all the way through dealing with this emotional trauma that everyone's going through Mm -hmm. um it honestly i almost kind of want to put it higher on my list now that i'm talking about it (laughs) because i just rewatched it and it still felt so it just was paced so well Mm -hmm. i don't know there's not a lot to say negatively about it, I don't think. But I think it's interesting. You're bringing up interesting movies that like I haven't been like we haven't really talked very much. Talk about the holdovers once, you know, like right at the beginning of the thing, and then and now it's coming back. My number three is um, Thelma Schumacher for um, Killers of the Flower Moon, three and a half hour movie that I was never bored at. Um, it's mm-hmm. you know doing it again. It's a me thing. The longer the movie, that you know you can make it. It's these scenes though that need to that need to work all work like perfectly they it moves along um you know when jesse plemons shows up um the 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 feel of the movie changes a little yeah, bit it gets a little a more movie. exciting it gets it has a little it has a different attitude to it um but there's also a lot of surrealist things happening here that like if you read a lot about this stuff which i didn't really want to but i did um wasn't supposed to happen and she just kind of she finds a way to kind of include that stuff and make it feel organic and earned and a part of like Scorsese's plan. Yeah, cuz I it's not on mine, but I I think it's in spite of the fact that like Scorsese's still want to do Scorsese things and she's kind of like trying to fight slightly against it mm-hmm. to create this different movie and it's two different ideas that are kind of still put together. Yeah. Um and I think it that's edited extremely well and I think she's doing a really workman job like what film we have a few years ago that i put like number one on mine because like the way they're able to edit some like a disaster into an actual movie i can't remember what Mm. it was um but i feel like this movie would have been another irishman if not for the fact that she now had control over like doing something it's better than it could have been yeah um number Two, two, two. Uh, it's Jamie Marty and Andre Gills for Society of the Snow. Hmm. Um, God damn it! The destruction sequences are perfect. Uh, the timed. There's an absolute perfect beat to it. When um, there's a moment where uh, a, a major character dies, where it flash cuts from him being alive to him being dead. <laughs> like so, it's like a double flash cut mm-hmm. to that. Um, and, like, when they're climbing up the mountain, like, there's long shots of it. Uh, the only reason it's not there is, like, the ending, once again, is, like, it just it's too long. Mm. Um, like, the vi- like not the very ending, when they're in that kind of, like, survival aspect of the um, 
feeling like survivors instead of like heroes. Um, that part's edited perfectly because there's just it's fast and uncomfortable. But like there's a bit when they're coming in as like being initially hailed as heroes, mm-hmm. where I'm like, this needs to be slightly cut down. Tighter, yeah. Or there's a t- like before the crash, it feels just a it's a little too little too long mm-hmm. um but like the rugby sequences i meant to mention this like that's edited like the yeah. best of the sports i, I really want to watch that yeah all right where are we number two and oh boy yorgos Maf- <laughs> Prasadis. my number six the poor things editor ah! <laughs> the other yorgos um this movie was just so goddamn tight. Like, I don't think I would cut almost anything out of this movie. Um, I just feel like it, it flowed from scene to scene, from place to place. Like, everything just worked for me. Yeah. I, I think the only thing holding this movie back, editing-wise, is just that he's... I've seen Jorgos Glanthimos do this stuff before. I mean, like, he's always shooting in, like, multiple different film stocks and lenses and stuff like that and they're always like piecing it together and when they're showing fisheye i'm just like well yeah they're gonna show fisheye here when they're doing this like the dance sequence you're saying like it's a bad thing but it's also very it's just very rote it's just what he does and it feels good and it feels like whatever i i I feel that i love his movies absolutely yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, my number two is Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse Michael oh, Andrews interesting. Um, okay. I mean the, the whole movie is like edited to fucking death um, there's multiple like you know it's animated but there's multiple things multiple worlds colliding at any given moment and all that stuff has to be managed um, and I think I think they do like a pretty expert job at like moving this like two and a half hour like super heavy um, animated superhero movie along um, and having everything and having giving it the space to when it needs space to land like moments it has the space to yeah. land moments remember when you said Laura Cartman's score should have been less tight well the reason I disagree is my number one is Hilda Rasala's um, work on American fiction mm. I think this movie is super tight there's nothing wasted I've never for a second thought anything should have not I been there. I some stuff near the end that could be cut out a little bit, but yeah, it, it, it's it, really tight. It just feels so controlled. It's a first-time director. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I love Wes Jefferson. Yeah, yeah, he's had it's probably some work in... He's had work, television work and whatnot, yeah. but like she's had to probably make some choices and here. One of my favorite TV shows. That is yeah. just absolutely pitch perfect. Yeah. That like the, I kind of went in there like not wanting to watch a movie that night. And it just, and I was like, oh, I'm going to feel the length. And it just sped through. I love that movie. I, I don't think this is that close. My number one is Oppenheimer. The editing in this movie was perfect. Mm-hmm. It was so snappy. Like, there's who's no. Who's the editor? Oh, uh, Jennifer Lame. Okay. Um, she, what she did to make this movie feel like it was on and popping the whole time through. Like, I, I use an app when I go to the theater, like, for if. Hey, when, when's a good time to take a pee break? Mm-hmm. And they're like, nope, there's, there's none of those in this movie because all these scenes are kind of important. It's well, called the third hour. It's called the first hour. No, but... Just they, pee for an hour. <laughs> shut up. You, you're wrong. I call I, it the third hour. I, 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 re, I, I rewatch this movie. And they're both. There's, not, there's really not a good break time in this movie because every, every scene is adding to the movie. And, and it, it pops, it goes back and forth, it changes like the way it looks and it seems it's seamless to me mm-hmm. and I, I don't know i just i just think this 
it's one of the greatest editing edited movies. There's I've a seen lot. In a long time. There's a lot going on here that needs to get edited, yeah. especially Be, because in that, in Chris, that middle hour, like Christopher Nolan did a lot, and she put a lot of it together to make it make sense yeah. and make it seamless and make it like make it made sense to me. I don't think Christopher Nolan's like that great of a director, but I think I think his me just his the. The crew he gets around him, maybe does but, the work, but that still but that's doesn't part, make it. That's, that's part, part of being a director. director. Part of being a good director, uh, yeah. yeah, obviously. But like, I think there's choices in his writing that are terrible, mm-hmm. and that so he's it makes me not appreciate him as much as a director because I'm just he can't. So he needs to just direct other people. I don't. They, I I don't know Jennifer Lamb. I don't know what she's done before, but what she did in this movie, I thought well, it was phenomenal. Wouldn't you know? She's in our audience. Hey Jennifer. So well, she had to go. Yeah. We're talking about no Kasdan. Don't throw her down the <laughs> stairs. <sighs> um, our next, uh, my next, my number one couldn't be here today. Um, uh, Liz said their apologies. It's um, Leach had a medical for uh, Alder Road Taste of Salt. Um, he they've worked with um, a peach pong where Sethical on like Memoria and, and, and Uncle Boo and me and stuff like that. Um, this movie takes place over the course of um, multiple decades. Those decades are interwoven throughout the movie. It is not like a linear narrative. You go back and forth. I think one of the, the, the majestic things about the editing in this movie is the way that it establishes visual themes. So the idea of rings, the idea of, of things that are on people's hands, the idea of the way that they wrap around um, certain people. We talked about braids before. Um, the way that rain functions in this movie, the way that it establishes a narrative over the course of several decades. Um, non-linearly um, but you have like a full understanding of what's happening um it's this you know this movie is as you can see it's 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 taking up a lot of these number one spots for me um but uh older road states of salt is a phenomenal movie um that's my editing is that it are you feeling yeah are you feeling energy to keep going or do you want a little to break down because i gotta okay. hold Uh, my number five for we're doing uh, best actor now. Uh, my number five is um, Thomas Schubert for uh, a fire. Um, he is again. We talked about like corrections here, so a little bit. Well, well I did anyway with Delix Arcopolis and um, Erica Alexander. Um, someone who is not on my list is Franz Rogowski for passages. Oh, I was gonna guess that was gonna be your number one because I think so that, that Thomas really? Schubert. Um, huh. Thomas Schubert kind of corrects. That character, that char- character in relation to Leon, is seems very surface, very narrow, um, and, and I hate it. Has just like one goal, and that goal is unrealistic, and I don't care about it. Thomas Schubert just wants to write a good book, and he also wants uh, this woman to think he's cool, and those are two very relatable things. And I'm not saying that like like his my ability to relate to him matters at all. Um, but it is, it grounds him in a way that the Franz Rogowski like film director is not grounded. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, that's not a real person. Thomas Schubert plays a real person. Um, am I just going all the way up? No, 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 we're going to do the, okay, what's your uh, number my number five is Leonardo DiCaprio, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yep. He's playing so against type from what he's been in for years now. He's playing just this complete idiot schlub of a character who we don't actually know is a complete idiot schlub 
um, without him and Lily Gladstone and some of the other supporting roles. Not fucking Robert uh, De Niro. Um, Bobby, get out Bobby of this D. movie. Uh, he, I think, I think he's just like you are interested in it because of the fact that he's just so against. Yeah, that. yeah, sure. My number five is Nicolas Cage from Dream Scenario. Yep, I think it was one of his best, most subdued performances I've seen in a long time. From he's one of my favorite actors. Honestly, I like when he's crazy. I like when he's subdued. But this one was one of his most like methodical. I think, and it was just interesting to see from him that I haven't seen from him in a while. I don't know. I just really, I just wanted to mention him. Yeah, I didn't put him on my list only because I feel like I've seen him, I think feel like he's being appropriate in this movie. And it's one of those things that like, I, you don't always like, you don't go into like a Nicolas Cage movie hoping like, I hope he acts exactly how yeah, he should he act. He has won for Mandy. Didn't we give him the way in Mandy? If I he think? didn't win it, he was, he was like list, right yeah. there. Um, because he got to do, you know, Nicolas Cage things, and he's doing them here too, but they're just like, they're like mute, you said, they're, subdued. They're muted, subdued, but they, they felt controlled a little. I know, and in one way that's probably better. Uh, I mean, I, li- I, stuff. I like both versions. That's what, like, I know, that's I know, why I know. he's one of my favorite. Like, I loved Runfield this year. You guys didn't really like it, but I liked him being a fucking nut, yeah, that and that was sticks. fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> my number four is Tobias Menzies and You Hurt My Feelings. God damn it. Um, he plays Don... Um, whose significance in this movie is that he is married to Julie Louis-Dreyfus's Beth, who is a writer, uh, and he doesn't like her book. Um, he I plays... wanted to see that movie so bad. Uh, yeah, we'll... is, is it worth, like, it, it sounded really good. We but... will talk We will talk about it. Okay. Um, I wish I saw it. It's good screenplay. He, um, owns, not schlubbiness, because not a schlub, he owns the reality of his existence like perfectly. Um, he is happy and content and said in a what a, said something that he feels like is innocuous. Understands why it maybe isn't, but kind of thinks that it should be. And like the conversations that that elicits from these two characters in this movie um, is uh, really outstanding. Um, I talked about connection a little bit with Thomas Schubert. I kind of connected a lot with this character um not while it's not exactly why it's good it seems um, like it's a really deep performance uncomfortable movie and i feel like i would oh, like I, it see i kind of thought the opposite where it's because i had a conversation with somebody about it, that so I, um I where know. they were like oh i can't watch that and i was like it's actually like just about two people that love each other and they're okay. just kind of trying to figure out like how after like this many years and like this many accomplishments and like how we're going to take like the next step forward so um Tobias Menzies, you hurt my feelings. Nice. My number four, uh, Rinoshiki uh, Kamiki for Godzilla Minus One, mm-hmm. uh, commanding a performance of a person who's suffering from great deal of survivor's guilt as well as uh, post-traumatic stress disorder in the middle of a fucking Godzilla movie. And if you take Godzilla out of this movie and make it just about this man dealing with this um, and then like a loss of a partner soon afterwards... Mm-hmm. Still, 
a, a good movie. It's a good movie, yeah. The yeah. Fact, I mean, the fact that it's a Godzilla movie makes it a great movie because, you know, because it adds in those technical elements. All of these sentences are amazing. Yep. You know what I'm saying, though? 100%, I 100% agree with you. That's why we are saying it's like yeah. a miracle because yeah. adding Godzilla makes it an all-timer that, when without Godzilla, it's just like a very excellent movie. The, yeah. the yeah. only criticism I have is, and I know it's like part of Japanese like film culture is just like his over like emotional gotta have it. But I know that's part of it. But that's the only thing that kind of knocks him. Like when when he's not doing that, I think he's phenomenal. Just there's too much of that in the movie, and that's mm-hmm. why he's just just off my list. Because I think his emotional like anchor in that movie works so well. What's your number four? My number four is not going to be on your list. Um, it's Barry Keoghan. From Saltburn and don't mind that win. I, I just there. think like I love he's him. Trying like, real hard. I don't think he's, he's trying. He's deeply committed to this. He's role. committed. I don't think he's trying that hard though. Like because he's so natural. If he feels natural in it, I, I, I see Jacob and Lordy trying harder he, to like lift that script up. Emerald Fennell really, really wants really him good, to be though, doing. Yeah, he Emerald Fennell is trying to put him into positions where he's just like fine. I'll do that. You want me to dance naked throughout this house? I don't know why, but I'll do it. But It'll he commits work. to it. And he does, and, yeah. And he's fine. Like, I don't know. I just... He elevates that script to more than it should be. Mm-hmm. Jacob Elordi was on my shortlist for two roles. Yeah, same. Yeah. I, I wish I could have given him something. Yeah, he's going to be a star. Um, should never be an mm. SNL host again, though. Oh, did you? I didn't watch that. Was it not good? Okay. Just, was there? He's not. He's not very good at comedic timing. I think okay. if, if they don't give him like I, I watched <laughs> that. If they didn't give him good writing, it was just very flat. It was all just like he may not be an improv guy, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah. yeah, he's no. It's all. No, it's also like none of nothing he's done. Like doesn't it is any sort of role except for like I'm hot. Except for the like the best one he did was the um, the speech listeners. Yeah, that was like great. that. He was actually funny in that. So okay. maybe it was just. Bad writing. I'll have to watch that. Travis Chloe Feynman just constantly wanted to fuck him during the entire thing. But yeah. Barry Keoghan is still one of my favorite actors, working actors right now, mm-hmm. and I just want to give him something. Oh, well, I mean, he's a one. He's not number one for me, just number four. He's a one-time Pivotal Film Award winner for yeah, me. Absolutely. I mean, so, yeah. yeah, for ba- you got it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of favorite actors, my number three is Casey Affleck in Dreaming Wild, uh, playing Donnie Emerson. Are he's... you going to pick a movie we've seen yet? <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Sometimes so. Sometimes he doesn't. It's fine. Um, he's got to deal with it. It's, uh, but Dreaming Wild was in theaters. I don't. I've never heard of that it's movie. It's been on streaming for a really long time. You've never. It's got brought all up these before. people in it. Um, just because we only talk about movies that we, we've all seen. Um, the the beauty of the Casey Affleck performance in this is that it's it's one. It's something that he's done before, and that he's just like in pain. Like, and you know, we've seen him do the kind of like guy, just kind of like I, just this sucks. Like about life a lot. The beauty of this performance is that like he doesn't really want to be in pain. But he doesn't see any real way that, like, he can make this thing work until he gives up everything. And he even says to a couple of people, like, he, that's one of the great things about this movie is that he keeps having these conversations with people, just being, like, explaining to them the situation of how he got here. And then, like, and now what? And nobody can answer him. 
And every time somebody doesn't answer him, he gets a little more surly. He's not like a hero. He's the main character, but he's definitely not a hero. He's kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of relates to like is, the Thomas is Schubert this character. similar to like his Manchester by the Sea performance? No, 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 because nothing happens. The he's way just, you describe it sound, sounds similar. He does similar. He makes similar faces sometimes, okay. but all that really happened was he didn't get the recognition that he needed from his music to kind of make the sacrifice that his dad made for him okay. to make that dream come true, like like worth anything. And so, like, he's very suspicious of the fact that, like, this guy in Chris Messina wants to come and, like, release this record. Um, and he plays all that stuff perfectly. It's like a whole, it's like a wholly realized performance. Again, it's a cheat in the sense that, like, Casey Affleck, if you give him, like, something, like, meaty to do, he's going to fucking he kill it. Do it. He's always going to kill it. Um, but again, maybe, like, a little bit of connection here in the sense that, like, it's a musician thing. Um, but Casey Affleck, Dream and Wild is my number three. Uh, my number three is Jeffrey Wright, American Fiction. I don't know. I figure we're going to talk Tired. about this later. Yeah. Um, yeah, just an amazing, brilliant performance. Yep. Um, never boring to watch. You can all save the reactions he has. Uh, no, I'm saying why it's for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and just just a magneticism. My number three is uh, Killian Murphy from Oppenheimer. Um. For most of this year, it was he was my number one, and he's been pushed down to number three real hard. Oh, Jesus! But he was really he was brilliant in Oppenheimer. I thought he was good. I thought he was real, real good in Oppenheimer. He's easily like far and away the only thing that kept me. He, he carries movie. the shit out of that. Well, movie. I mean, yeah, I will not feel sad if he wins that Oscar. I won't either. I think he deserves I, it. I won't either, but I'll feel slight sad. But I don't think it's going to happen anymore. But I won't feel sad. The two guys I have above him, I think, should get it more, and that's Did why it. he's number three on my list. My number two is Leonardo DiCaprio, Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm. All the stuff you just mentioned, I will just like. Um, and I'm pointing to Mario. I'll just point out too the fact that like Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't often wear prosthetics when he makes these movies, but he is like loaded up here, and it's like changed the shape of his face and how he carries his body. Um, it's a little bit like one of the things that I forgot to mention when you talked about Penelope Cruz, Andy, is that like Penelope Cruz is like like intensely attractive, but she's also carrying her body in like a totally different way. She's like hunched over, and her center of gravity is a little different. And it's really interesting. And Leonardo DiCaprio does that stuff here. Yeah, you're where right. He's yeah. transforming yeah. himself physically to kind of like Absolutely. be this fucking like... Modern day Quasimodo. Yeah, like, not yeah, in a way, exactly. but like modern day jester. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Alright. Uh, my number two, I, I figure is often on all of our your guys' lists, Paul Giamatti. Hold it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I assume, yeah, I assumed he was the one that would be above. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Giamatti, The Holdovers. Um... Tom's going to have someone from just, a movie we haven't seen before. So I, I think it's fine. just always... No, I'm not. I think it's always just a performance of his I, I just love seeing. I don't think I've ever seen a performance I've disliked. Um, I never watched Billions, luckily. But I'm sure he's fine in that. That's not a movie, though, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, um, well, I'm talking like even John Adams. But here, he's just playing that same amount of um, a faced hurt uh, that's you know, is covered up by this curmudgeon and it's done without any sort of pretense it mm-hmm. feels like a human goddamn yeah, yeah yeah i just love those moments where like he's talking to the the, the dean like at the very beginning of the movie and he says like a thing and then he just makes that face like it's so fucking it's good. good it's very good is that who you think's gonna win the oscar? oscar yeah yeah i think so my number two is jeffrey wright from american fiction because he is goddamn brilliant in this movie i love this movie i love every face he makes every uh, choice he makes he when he tries to be a, a chameleon 
awkwardly. Um, it's just works in mm-hmm. this awkward, funny way. Like I don't know the fantasy interaction. I didn't mention that. I just love. Lo- um, well, that was your favorite. Yeah, well, I wish it, I would have put that on my list because that that probably is my favorite move moment of the year. The Keith David scene in that movie was so brilliant. I just love this movie. Yeah, and my, just his re- just that his face he makes um, when like why do you do me, man? No, the face he makes when looking at the feet of um, Tracy Ellis Ross yeah. uh, dying, yeah. and just like this confusion but realization. Was oh, perfect. that that like hurt me. I mean, all of this is why it's he's my number one. Um, it was a kind of a revelation performance. Um, I, I mean, I knew he was brilliant. But no, he's just so good. This what? is like the perfect... no, this is my number one. So <laughs> that I mean, th- I knew he was a brilliant actor. This was the perfect medium for him to show everyone what he actually could do. Well, and and he was. It's a. It's a. And we. Just, you know, some of this stuff just sounds so stupid. He's a fully realized character. So when he is faking being, um, you <laughs> awkwardly. Know, you know, he's doing the awkward thing. He what's does his name so, again? Like, awkward. Um, uh, Staggerly. Stagarly. Yeah. He is. Stagarly. Yeah. It's, it's, with. Like he's trying to channel something, and you get you feel like he's, his instead of him just playing a different character in that moment, you get the feeling that he's he trying. that character is channeling this other character. So yeah. there's a couple of things happening simultaneously, and it's just. The way the, that he struggles trying to layer that yeah. he's putting on that character. And as he gets the layers, it kind of grinds him down and it's just it's just great. And, and it feels, then, then it grinds down his like real personality. Absolutely. Like, uh, just such a good performance. But then he wouldn't like so one of the things one of the things that I feel sad about that I can't include is like Issa Rae and like supporting actress. Um just because I didn't have enough space here, but like exactly. that conversation that he has with her at that lunch. He's just so, like, he's deeply interested, but, like, every answer that she gives him is, like, sucks. And she's not really answering his questions, and he's, like, he, he trying knows to what he wants to get her, yeah. Right, but he's not, and it's not working, but it's, and he's struggling with it, and, like, that, it, it all just feels so real. And not even the reality of it, like, it doesn't really mean anything. When it I say felt, real, it felt lived in. The character just, felt lived in. Right. He's, like, he's, it, it didn't feel fake. Right. It doesn't seem like a, a movie character, it seems like something deeper. What's your number one, Mar, that you're laughing at? Uh, <laughs> my number one is Zac Efron. The oh, right. Why are you laughing at that? That's uh, great. He's yeah. fucking great. Um, yeah. He, the 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 fact that he's able to. I mean, he. I've never really. I thought he's always been a good comedic actor. I think he's always been a good actor. But he's like, got charisma. He's, he, yeah. But like he has to not have charisma. The, the way that he, he did anti-charisma in this movie yeah. was actually interesting. Like, during the parts where he's doing the promos and all that and doesn't have charisma mm-hmm. or has, like, he's self-effaced like nervousness when he's Efron talking to Lily James yeah. and then just sells the absolute shit. He's the best. Him and the guy that plays Dave uh, Mike. My, uh, Mike was the best one um, in that movie, I think. But. Uh, I think I think Efron's the best because Efron has to carry this full no, weight of uh, he, He's got to carry the whole thing through yeah. the whole but yeah. it also, and yeah. you have to see the changes in Kevin Von Erich as a human being to like kind of war, not really worshiping his dad, but obeying his dad. To I think he was brilliant. Like, I hope he gets a nomination. He, he, I honestly, but I don't think it will either. But. Um, and then just that scene where he says, "You know, I used to be a brother, 
That no, one. I don't have any brothers. That's that's when then, I cried. And then he turns it immediately. Turns it to like the joy with his sons. Yeah, yeah. Because his sons now yeah. are brothers, and then he can be a yep. part of that. We're brothers. Um, God, that was, made me fucking cry. If there wasn't one other performance maybe. this year, uh, which we'll talk about soon, um, it would be far and away mm. my my favorite. Performance oh, I'm interested of the year. to hear what that one's going to be. Um, all right, who wants to do <laughs> my number one? <laughs> is Paul Giamatti in the Holdovers? Which I think was the best performance of his career, and it still fucking he nails it. Every line reading he does pretty much makes me laugh or cry. And I don't know. I feel like you guys want to move on from this, but no, no, no. It's Paul Giamatti. I, it just is one of my favorite. Like it was Killing Murphy for a long time. Then it was Jeffrey Wright. Then I rewatched the holdovers, and I remembered. Man, Paul Giamatti fucking nails yeah, like, every line reading he does when he's with the dean, when he's just with the kid. Um, yeah, for me, like Jeffrey Wright and like Efron was far and away like number one for me. But like Jeffrey Wright and Paul Giamatti were playing like going back and forth constantly. And I kind of just finally settled, like you said, on Paul Giamatti mm-hmm. just because like he has to carry more of a movie that yeah. like, doesn't have so much of a control around all the component parts of it that I think uh, American fiction does. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I just think for me, it's he's not. I've seen him do this before. It's not sideways, and it's not American. Spirit. I think it's better than sideways. Oh, I don't. I don't think. I mean. Again, we're just disagreeing here. We're, no, we're, I know. I, I, I just think I think it's fine. It doesn't have the depth. I feel like this is this always the comes. It always, it always feels during this. It's like things are going to come to punches, and it never does. Don't worry. The, the, this feels like the spiritual successor to Sideways. It feels like it's the same character, but it's like a grown-up version of his Sideways character. A little bit, but he's doing. He's, it's a. It's a lot of the same moves. Um, Similar moves, but it's. I don't know. It's more like pompous, and for some reason, I like that yeah, a little bit more um, it, it's more like it's almost like Jeff Daniels and Squid and the Whale like the way he talks mm, to people which mm. I like but he's doing it in the Giamatti way which I think is better than what Jeff Daniels does so yeah because mm. Jeff Daniels like is great in that role but this has to have more control over real yeah. human being well I just think Jeff Daniels is like more withering and like it's the witheringness of his character um, is like respected by everybody where like He's trying to deliver those lines in the same way, and everyone's like, "You stink." Yeah, like you have no gravitas. But here. that, but he thinks he does. I don't know. There's some, right. and then he's also or he thinks like, he shouldn't. Then you look behind the scenes, and he's just a drunk asshole who right. can't button his pajamas correctly, and it's just I don't know. It's just he's always doing those stretches. <laughs> All right, best actress. Um, I'll I'll start, and everyone's go the back way, go and then um. My number five, Sandra Huller, Anatomy of a Fall. My number five um, as well. I think two parts of this movie mm-hmm. stand far above is this in the screenplay. Um, I think it could have been tightened a bit, uh, but like she's always electric and magnetic mm-hmm. to look at. Uh, I think the only, I think the biggest reason that like this movie's getting the acclaim it's getting is because of, of her. her. Yeah, I agree. I hundred percent agree. I don't have anything really different to say. I think she's um, like wholly magnetic. And she's this, your number four, right? She's been number five. Oh, okay. Yeah. My number four is uh, Kaylee. No, five. My number five is Kaylee Spaney from Priscilla. Uh-huh. Um, I thought she, I thought she was yeah. kind of a revelation. I did not expect her to do what she did in that movie, and I wanted to give. 
I think Jacob Elordi was better, but my sporting actor <laughs> list was loaded, so I want to give something to Priscilla. So. Mm-hmm. Take that, leading actresses. <laughs> you, you lose a Jacob Elordi. So really quick, a good thing we can do is when we're done, you just point to the person that's going to go next to like. I'll point uh, no, that's so, fine. But so, I just, I'm just, I just wanted to give her some. Yeah, I thought she was really so. good. I think is one of those instances where the movie and, kind and, of like I, fucked her. And I feel like she showed how she emotionally grew throughout the movie um you could tell she was like a child mm-hmm. and though she she still looked like a child but she still kind of looked the same as an adult but she still acted more adult like mm-hmm. and it was like i don't know it was interesting i think the, i think the magic of the first hour of the movie is that like everything that she's doing feels like new and original and then like by the time you get to the like the second hour of the movie you're just it's like just getting repetitive. you're just doing the same yeah, things I and i know that you're growing but like you know, you're making the same faces and you're doing the same things. Yeah, uh, no. My number five is um, Sandra Huller. Same things. What's your number four? Oh, okay. Uh, my number four is uh, Greta Lee, Past Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she carries so much of the weight of that film on her shoulder in terms of her facial reactions, in terms of just the kind of like, literally, the weight of everything feels on her. Mm. Um, mm. I don't know. There's not that much else to say <laughs> about it because I think we've talked about it enough during that during the podcast yeah. episode. Or, or we'll talk a, about it more yeah. soon. Um, so maybe you can... Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I kind of... like She's so low on my list because I can't really like figure out what it was. And maybe like you'll bring it out for me. That's one, one of the reasons I didn't even put her on my list is not that I disliked her. I think her performance is really good. I just don't know what she's... I, I don't know if she knows what she's performing towards. Like I don't know, if, like what the emotion about this. But movie she gives is. like a, a skeleton, uh, you know. Almost. She does. Like I think she's just so winning in in the movie, and and she's so deeply invested in like this in these two relationships. I just don't know why. Um, what was your number four? Margot Robbie from Barbie. Um, she carries the movie. Whatever. Um, uh, I don't know. It was kind of like a throw-in. I just didn't want to <laughs> not give her her flowers. Oh, that's nice. That's how the Academy's going to treat her as well. I know. Um, I felt the same way. My number four is uh, Charlene McClure, uh, who plays the main character, Mac, in Alder Road's Taste of Salt. God damn it. Um, there's a scene in this movie when you guys go to watch it where she... Um, it's in the middle of the movie um, where she sees this character, Wood, again, who um, is the father of her baby, who she doesn't have anymore, who she has given to her sister to take care of. So she is the auntie now, and he has a wife and two kids, and he... um, The camera lingers on her face while she processes, like, all of these emotions, and it's... Like... You see all... Like, you see, like, the whole history of their relationship together and, like, how she feels about it and stuff like that. It's it's, um, totally magic. Um, and she's got a, a lot of other great mo- moments in that movie. She doesn't say much. There's not a lot of dialogue in this movie, but um, she is like acting the shit out at this part. So, um, Charlie McClure, Alder Rhodes. My number three is Thomas and Mackenzie and mm. Eileen. Um, Haven't you just been waiting to give her stuff for like the entire time we've been doing this she, podcast? I think she keeps also being like in my top nominee, like right. nominee. I think she has. She's good. She's my Glenn Close. I think this is her best performance, though. So I don't. Think... Have you seen? Um, yeah. What, you call it? Uh, what am I forgetting its name? Last right Night now? in Soho. No. Um, I mean, Jojo I like Rabbit. You know what? Her first big one. With, um, I thought you were talking about Jojo Rabbit. No. She's great. She's, no, no, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I don't, can't think of it right now. It's fine. Do no harm, right? 
Oh, uh, no, Leave No Trace. Leave No Trace. Leave no trace. Yeah, yeah. She's great. That's her. That's, okay. I think that's her best performance. Um, yeah, Anne Hathaway is amazing in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an also ran for me. But just this kind of like constant, this control. She's the creep. Meekness that comes also with creepiness, but then like a weird, crazed assertiveness yeah. that is psychotic, but also. It, it, it turned it Mario makes, on. Ladies, it makes it makes, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense um, to like the role and to like what she's supposed to be doing. Yeah, and it is you know she's still doing like that kind of Thompson McKenzie quietness to her, but there's so much to that. Yeah, her quiet now. meekness, but she's like adding like layers to that. Yeah, it's hard to own Shea Wiggum like she does. She that she was does. interesting. Yeah. What's your number three? My number three is Greta Lee. Um, I think she was phenomenal. Um, to talk about like how you don't know where she's at, which I think that's why I was really into her performance, because you don't know how she's feeling about... I mean, I think she's in love with her husband. I think she's in love with um, the dude. I can't remember his name. Um, but I think she's in love with him as a friend, again, like we talked about earlier. But she also cares deeply about him mm-hmm. in a certain way. And mm-hmm. I just... You know, it's brotherly or like, and when you like when you love a friend that deeply, that's how you're gonna do it. And it sometimes could mimic itself as like a romantic love. And I think Correct. that's that's I agree with you. And I think I I think she portrayed that perfectly, like balanced it. And I don't know, I just loved her subtleness and how much they. It felt like she cared, mm-hmm. and she made me cry like a goddamn baby. So. Um, my number uh, three is Julie Louis Dreyfus from You Hurt My Feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, she has to have her feelings hurt, and her feelings are super hurt. And the way that she deals with that, um, and the way that she deals with the world around her of her art and of her friends, and how her friends relate to her art, and how her students relate to her art, and how her husband ultimately relates to her art is um, super fascinating and deep. I think one of the really interesting things about this, you know, a Nicole Hall of Center movie is that these like are adults and these are people that are like very established and set in their ways. And this tiny little thing or which in the context of the movie seems like a tiny little thing just like fucks her up. And makes them for act like, like children or for like a ha- not even it doesn't even make them act like children. It just makes them have conversations that they didn't think they were going to have but they were always there. Um She's just so good. Julie Wee Dreyfus is one of those actresses who's getting like way, way better um, with not with, with age, with age but, but like with the more things yeah. she does, the more she gains, and she brings she's bringing them to each of these well, that's parts. What, that's what happens when you work with the director of the thick of it and in the loop. Yeah, she, oh yeah, she's a Inuji person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my number two is Margot Robbie in Barbie. Oh. Um, I I think there's there's some I mean I still love the, the screenplay to this and and really like the direction, but I think she's elevating a lot of the materials here with amazing, fantastic comedic timing. She has amazing Bring, charisma. Yeah, so. she has like amazing charisma, but it's like also like she's funny and can like make herself like do a lot of self-effacedness in this, mm-hmm. and then like shut it off when it needs to be shut off. Yeah. Um, yeah. To do the kind of like the serious dramatic roles she's kind of been known for, because like you remember we talked about Itania, I left her mm-hmm. in Itania, mm-hmm. um, and she's kind of she was doing something similar there, but this is a much better film. Yeah. Um, so yeah. My number two is Sandra Uller from Anatomy of a Fall. I thought she was brilliant in this movie. Um, just the way she talked and 
her comfortability she was like in the interview like at the beginning of the movie and then how it changes when she's in the courtroom and she's she's dealing with her defense attorney um i still don't know at the end of the movie whether she killed her husband or not which i still find fascinating and it just like doesn't matter it doesn't matter but i just feel like she was so like magnetic where i didn't care that she she made me on her side regardless, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just loved everything she was doing in that. I'm movie. starting to think she might get like two nominations tomorrow too. She might. Oh, I, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I tend it to think that how much they love Zone of Interest. I actually think that the America Ferrera like Oscar nomination thing is going to no, happen. Gonna happen. Yeah, but like it's it's a long shot. But they've the well, Oscars. I was thinking she she could replace Jodie Foster. They do a weird thing. Yeah. The Oscars are are always interested in doing, especially with supporting categories, doing like one or two weird things. Yeah, sure. Um, my yeah. number two is Michelle Williams in showing up. Um, I knew that was. I thought it'd be I know it's going to show up. I, I just. I thought it'd be your number well, one. I just. I. I just. She like doesn't work for me in this. That's. I think she's, she's great in it. I just think. didn't. It's a deep list. It's fine. It's, I, I mean, thought it'd be your number one. I think she's just. I'm surprised. I think she's just very good. She's very good at portraying these things. She's very good at being. Um, deeply agitated and talented and insecure about and her talent. Awkward. Um, like she portrayed it really well in that movie. Yeah, there's like there's a real she her and Kelly Reichert work perfectly together and this movie is not any different than like any of the other stuff that they've done. Mm. It's not Wendy and Lucy, but like very few things in the history of the maybe universe are Wendy and Lucy. Maybe that's why I don't love it as much. Because mm-hmm. like it's not what Wendy and Lucy is doing. Well Wendy and Lucy, she has like the entire like the socioeconomic burden of like the United States on her shoulders. This is just like she's an artist and she has to make it seem yeah. like the same level of burden is on her. Um, or stuff like she's doing in Wildfire, I think, you know. Oh, think yeah, like yeah. that. This, it, like this feels like more contained. And I think the way like, she played with Stephanie Azu like works really well too. Like that's why I wish I put her, I wish I put her in my supporting actress. I forgot about her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it worked really well. They work really well together. So uh, we can just share number one. Are we all doing this? Or is no, he's not, he's not doing nah, it. Okay. I don't even know what we're talking about. Emma Stone. And we're doing Emma Stone. Oh, yeah. Poor things. Just ease. Just it's the best I, best performance of the year. I don't think it's all yeah, that close. I think close. it's far and away the best performance of the year. I think it's an interesting movie without her. Um, I just thought it, it's I think not it's in a, your top four. I she think, wasn't I think, even on my long list. My I think gosh. it's just... There's a I mean, lot, the long list is like nine people. So there's a lot of stuff that she has to be doing to carry, like what? Because I think there's some failings. I still like the direction, and I still like a lot of stuff I don't going think on here. There's that much failing because she. Oh no, failings in the like in other parts that okay. could have been seen in other parts of the movie if it was a lesser actress. And I think she's fully committed. I think she's almost show... co-director in this movie. I mean, a I think bit. I I think so. Lanthimos has basically said she is. I think yeah. she would have to be. Um, because like. She was in control of all the nudity and mm-hmm. whatnot and everything. She was like for more of the nudity. Yeah. But you don't recognize, I think, some of the technical things going on in this film she, without she, her being she, she that evolves part of it. So like subtly, but it does evolve like how she grows the character from like a baby to like a middling child to like a teenager like it just it's very subtle though you almost don't notice it unless you watch it super closely and just that the, the working off of like her her habit her um physical comedy too yeah. like 
when she can't barely walk and use her legs yeah, yet but, and stuff. She does I mean, it so subtle and she's so. She, I think. I think yeah. ultimately, I think she's a great comedic actress. Like oh, hundred percent, like a perfect comedic actress who just so happens to be a really good dramatic actress as well. Because like I think she would have had a career in comedy. I think the SNL thing was like something she wanted to do growing up constantly. But, I mean, mm-hmm. that's what, like, where she started was all those. Yeah. Like late, like, like, like late two thousands comedy. But I think this movie would completely fail without the this performance. The, this movie wouldn't. Yeah, it wouldn't work without her. I I. 100% agree. I get why it's not on your long list because you just have to be in tune with it. I like, mean, I, I agree with you this movie wouldn't work without her performance. I just don't think her performance is all that interesting. Like, especially because, like, she's, she's, it's, um, there's a lot of crutches in this performance and I don't, and it's not necessarily her fault, but she is deeply committed to, like, we're going to have sex here, we're going to have sex here, and there's going to be more sex here and, like, all this other stuff. And all that stuff isn't, like... None of that stuff is all that interesting to me. I think that's part of the problem is that like there's a couple of scenes where she's like saying interesting things and having an interesting revelation, and then there's just a lot of like like stuff in the mm-hmm. middle where like I get like the growth and like all this other stuff. It just doesn't seem that interesting. I just don't care what happens to this person. Like if Christopher Abbott's character shot her in the head, the the world doesn't change like one iota. You know what I mean? It, but she's gonna you know she's gonna put it brain she's gonna put a goat brain in his brain and then she's gonna sit there and like she's grown and she's established i just don't know again we've talked about this for poor things i don't know why like i'm not, I'm not sure what he's trying to say or what he's trying to do like, i think it, it just especially in the in the in the world that he's built he's just put like you know we don't know anything about her previous character maybe she felt like a lot of the same stuff and so she just took this like really roundabout way to get to the exact same place i don't know See, I, I, I think I agree with... I understand what you're saying in the sense that a lot of times in kind of like the magic realism, certain things, you have to be willing to suspend your disbelief. And uh, somebody like Jared Carmichael, who last year on On the Count of Three really is a solid performance here, doesn't wor- really work that well. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> that's like the one part where she's not working is her conversations with him. Because um, I think Jared Carmichael also doesn't really get what is the point of it like he's no. his performance is meant to be like stoic and you even don't like his performance no he's the <coughs> part i like the least about because this I, I think he just doesn't get it right and but that's think, not a failing of his no. i just think it's and i think you just have to be in tune agree she yeah. does get it like you know what i mean like she's <laughs> I, I think her and your no what i'm trying to say is on the same what i'm trying page. to say is Somebody yeah. that has like an eye for it might not buy into the realism of it. Mm-hmm. Like you might buy into a certain realism for something, but you're not. You just don't buy into the realism here, and so you kind of like see the falls that like we don't uh, really uh, see. Are you going to go into a Yorgos Lanthimos movie and look for realism though? No, no not no, at all. No, I don't want sense. realism, you, but I do. No, want, I just need to buy into it. I want a valid. Buy into the I want a valid there. emotion. I hate dog tooth. I uh, I think the emotion is. Don't really like killing of a sacred movie, deer, even. So I don't know. It, it's I guess we're just on different pages. Oh, one hundred percent. That's yeah, what exactly yeah. this. Um, and I mean, you guys aren't on the same page with my number one because you don't even have her like listed as a best actress. Um, my number one is Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon. Well, she is my supporting um, actress. Absolutely, she's. Um, I think they. We kind of talked about this off air, or we talked about it on air. I don't remember. Like, I think they split like duties here as as leads um, between her and and Leonardo DiCaprio. There's periods where. He is totally leaning on her, and there's periods where she is totally leaning on him. Um, I think the thing that sets her apart from 
maybe directly with Emma Stone, but I don't like want to conflate those two things. Is that like there's a real gravity to her performance here, and I think it's one of the reasons that watching Unknown Country with this is really significant, is because her character in Unknown Country is kind of like getting into the like getting back into. I feel the, like you're mixing their performances and you're. No, I don't think so. Using them a little bit though. I mean, no, no. no. I, I, know there, I, I know there's some solid. like critics that are kind of putting them together and like who. Just like people that I've read that like oh Emma Stone country, and, no no unknown country and her performance and, is unknown no country. but they're, they're, they're I don't not even even talking about her performance in unknown country because like, I don't think that's that I don't think it's really all that good I'm saying the really? idea of what's happening in unknown country is that she is an indigenous person who's getting re in touch with her indigenous like, like roots. the Gotham critics just, gave her best actress for unknown country which is so, right. I, th- I, th- I think the reason, like, it fell off besides, like, frustration stuff um, is the fact that, like, she starts out as, like, this charisma bomb for me. Um, and then ev- and she gets a lot of stuff to do. And she gets put and then in the background. eventually then she, like, gets nothing to do for an hour. And I'm just like, okay, so, like, even right. though even though she's, like, in my short list everywhere. Well, in supporting actress. I loved um, her for the first, like, hour, hour and a half of that movie. The fact that, like, she just gets poisoned an hour stops. on the bed and is, like, not... I don't really disagree with you. Much. It's one of those things like, though, oh, where God. I do think that the gravity of the movie is still centered around her experience, even if she's not in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, she is the thing that, like, when Jesse Plemons comes, she's with he the is asking like, about... Rotating around. He's asking about her. And yeah. he is responding in relation to her and the fact that he's making her sick. If her performance isn't the heaviest thing in that movie... Like you know, in Emma Stone language, I just don't think it works. Mm. If it's if it's lesser, then um, I agree. But I think it's, it's just like... so it's so heavy, and she's she's her her center of gravity is so intense and big um, that I think it just it's 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 a, it's a really significant thing. I don't know if and none of this stuff matters really, but I I don't know if like she will ultimately win the Oscar anymore. I think she's gonna win the Oscar. I hope. I, I almost hope she does because it's rewarding this kind of like you use the word charisma bomb but translating that charisma into like something that subsumes everybody else in yeah. the movie you know what I mean like Leonardo DiCaprio and stupid Robert De Niro aren't easily like absorbed into like anybody else's orbit they've made sure that they've made movies that don't allow that to happen I, I honestly but don't she's think just they... like fuck you I'm like this is I'm this is my scene it, and and all the scenes that she's in if, if you notice my list I had no Leonardo DiCaprio no Robert down or um no Robert, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, that's true. None of that or or Robert De Niro yeah but I did have a little glad song because I, well, I think she was the Reason why that movie worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think her and, and I didn't like DiCaprio work well off each other. But anytime her and De Niro are on screen, I'm just like, but oh, he's fucking just, old man De Niro. Again, he's just, just like he's just a, a Christmas just suck. star in Dirty Grandpa's movies. That's what he was doing in this yeah, movie, though. Johnny Knoxville movies. But just just keep doing those. Yeah, yeah. He was not. He was acting like he was in Casino. But you're like 80 years old, mate, my dude. Oh, like, I wish he was away. acting like he was yeah. in Casino. Um, all right, let's take a quick break and then we'll get back with screenplay. All right, we're starting at a loaded category. My number five for adapted screenplay is the Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach for Barbie. Barbara. Yeah, we're putting it adapted here. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, think so. 
I, mean, I don't have it on my list, but it's that, that, that's where I think it's the Oscars, Oscars are putting, putting it, it and also like fucking it's adapted. Like a lot of the jokes are played off of it being adapted. Well, and the, like not even just like it's the jokes, adaptation. but the idea that like some of the some of the um, ideas like the, that are can only work based upon are directly the, related the to like the, yeah. the, to the property. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which I have a problem with my number five original. We'll talk about later, but um, but. I really like this movie. We've talked about it a whole lot, and I think it was really well written. I have both of them, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It was. You know, if there's the middle section is works better than I like, think it makes my list. But um, I do hope that they find a way to win. I, uh, my number five is um, Andrew Kevin Walker's um, adaptation of, of The Killer, um, the graphic novel. Six. Um, I don't know if you've read any of the graphic novel, but it's like no, no, a very. No. It's only this only adapted after like the original, like one of the. There's comics, a whole right? like series, so that's it's almost kind of functions like a TV show where there's like a thing where the character is like involved it. in um, stuff. Yeah, I yeah, picture, a lot right? of them. I'm looking forward um, to reading them. They're so. good, and they're but I think this movie takes a lot of liberties and takes a lot of like the attitude of the comics and like turns it into this like really interesting like film script. So, and it's Andrew Kevin Walker who wrote Seven. Like, there's some of that stuff here. Oh, I didn't but know like, it was the same he wrote, guy. He wrote Zodiac as well, I believe, right? I think he collaborated on Zodiac, Correct. yeah. Oh, um, I, I get a lot of the same vibes. That makes sense. I didn't realize that. So, yeah, that's it's a you know, good adapted. Okay. What's your number five? Uh, my number five is Martin Scorsese and Eric Groff's Killers of the Flower Moon. It's mm-hmm. two movies put together because it's originally adapted as a following, you know, the, the white people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think they did a, an okay job. In terms of like uh, readapting it in the perspective um, and from the perspective of the Osage Nation, um, I just think my issues is that you know there it definitely could have used some tightening up with some of it. Like there's a, too much De Niro just joking around with the city, mm-hmm. the city, the people in the city. Like I only need that once and twice to show like maybe how charismatic he is and then maybe one more scene showing that he's has this yeah. domination over him and i think there's like six or seven scenes that just exist sure him. and I, I think you overlook i don't know if it's on your i have a, i have higher on my list okay. yet um i think you overlook some of that stuff and not telling you you need to do that but in the sense that like the book is a very straight ahead like uh you know creative nonfiction look at like the the birth of the fbi and how that relates to like these killings and like it's a true crime book yeah and they took it and they made it like into something else they like almost added some depth to it even though everything that's in the movie is in the book um they just added an, an emotion to it where there isn't one in the in the book so what's your number four my number four is from matt johnson and matthew miller blackberry i just I what is that adapted from um, just the story of the blackberry. story of blackberry oh really yeah, but it's it's, it's actual... based on a biography. I think that was written about. Oh, well, I, I put it in adapted as well, just because it's based upon something that actually happened. It's like uh, dumb money. Dumb money. I don't think has anything going on. But dumb, it's dumb money was number six. On my but list. um, it's if it's a if it's not something that came out of your brain and it's something you're telling a well, story of something that happened. Well, so but like yeah. the Iron Claw that, is considered it. I mean, that's, that's why I'm going to oh, say we're well. going to save that for later. Because spoilers, it is not, it is inadapted I mean, for me. We really it's care. an original. But yeah, we're not. We're, for me because. I was more just curious as to what yeah, the, yeah. The, the the piece was. That, like, yeah, so I put, I put anything, and we've talked about this in years past. I, I, I looked at what, how the, uh, the Academy Awards were thinking wow. it and that's why 
Because Iron Claw would have been here if it, but they put it in original, so mm-hmm. it's in original. So what's so Blackberry? But Blackberry fucking rules. Like, what do I gotta say? Like, I it was a, a tight script. Um, it was really funny. Um, it moved. There was nothing slow about this movie, and it was funny as hell. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my number four is How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Um, oh, that was Ariella Bear, Jordan, that was Joel, the, Daniel Goldhuller. That's a weird adapted one because. Well, it's based on the book, right? It's based on a book. But, yeah. but is, the book is not a fictional, like, it's not like a narrative book. No, um, it's a non-fiction book that they've adapted to, like, to, you know, gerrymandered a, a narrative into yeah, it. Yeah, that's oh, right, because it on, doesn't, the actual whole output of the pipeline is like an instruction manual. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's why I think it's an interesting choice I don't, to put it. I don't think it's a perfect um, adaptation in the sense that I think... Uh, some of those interstitial moments where, like, they're going to the past and, like, talking about, like, how they get there. Yeah, because like, that's just, not, none of that's in the book. It's it's both, and it's just very obvious. It's very, like, you know, uh, you know, the soldier. Um, <laughs> I, I do like the movie a lot. But, I mean, it is, so. I mean, it's the movie is based off, the screenplay is based off of the book. It doesn't, yeah, it's you know. inspired by. So, yeah, why, why is it near? Oh, opinion? just because it's, I mean, it was almost in my, it was, like, my number six for editing. It's, it's. Um, I'm, I should I probably should put it in editing because that movie was edited really well. I didn't even think about that one. Yeah, it just it moves the way the way it splits between like their past and how they're they're current, and then like how they evolve and how they all move together. Yeah, and some of that stuff is done more successfully than others. But like yeah, once agreed, the bite, like once the the uh, the plan comes together for blowing up this bomb, it like and really, that bomb rules. It really moves so. Uh, how to blow up a pipeline. Uh, speaking of adaptation versus original, we all had our different rules. You put it for um, the Oscar rules. It's Sean Durkin's Iron Claw. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason it kind of sits at a lower spot than it would on my, like elsewhere where it's going to pop up when we do the top 10 of the year um, is just the fact that like there's a little too much fat in those moments with Lily James and him where I think things could have been tightened down. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those conversations don't need to be as long as they are. Yep. All right, what's your number three, Andy? My number three is Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Is that just him by himself? Uh, I, I guess. I, it, I mean, you probably looked it up. I but this think I, I did because I would have written it differently. Um his bro didn't assist on this one? No. I always forget that. Yeah. They're still doing something else. I think it was just him. But yeah, no. I just, again, Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. I like it more than you guys do. <laughs> I don't need to go too deep. Uh, my number three is Falcon Lake, uh, adapted by Charlotte Delbon from Bastion Vives, a sister. So in the in the movie, it's uh, Bastion and uh, uh, Chloe are not related. They're just friends. And then in the book, they are brother and sister because the book is gross um but again it takes these themes it takes this the themes of um growing up and expressing yourself kind of um with your sexuality what it means to be an adult what it takes to be an adult and kind of uh turns it into something a little more uh cerebral and not so like provocative just for the sake of being provocative so falcon like uh, so my number three, uh, once again, even though it's going to be in original probably tomorrow, is uh, Greta Gerwig's No Bombeck Barbie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, I think every... it's adapted. Like, I think it's going to be, stuck it, there. It's it's gonna stuck... be adapted. Oh, yeah. it is adapted. Or their original intention was to put it in, Correct. Yeah. To put it in original. Um, the, the entire Will Ferrell stuff doesn't work. It has, has like slight gags. Um, but 
like those big narrative moments to me, like the the American Ferrer speech, um, yeah. all that beginning all the stuff, stuff, fantasy yeah. st- and the fantasy stuff, mm-hmm. and just you know the relationship between like the Barbie character and that real world um, is tight and very funny. Yeah, like come on, who kid doesn't like the? Uh, I assume it's in the screenplay. The they, they're talking about the Godfather. Oh yeah, and then Robert Evans uh, produced. Yeah, just like all that, like the music, like when they're like playing the guitar. Oh, you want? Oh, and it's like, also well, you made the mention when we did it originally too. Is the um, how there's like, and JP was here. They Steve make the description. The yeah, yeah. I mean that's all the same. I mean she talked about this on it's WTF. Is that it it's Pogues? no it was Steve Malcolm's pavement. Yeah, the pavement. Um, and um, she talked about this on WTF that like all that stuff is very tightly scripted. They went through a, like a lot of drafts, um, trying to like nail those jokes down. Um, What's your number two, Andy? My number two, surprisingly, is Tony McNamara, Poor Things. Not my number one, mm. as you would suspect. Um, yeah, Poor Things rules. Have we talked about that at all today? <laughs> <laughs> um, my number two is Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese and Eric Roth. Um, Again, I think I just think they did. They made something really interesting um, out of um, a book that was interesting in a, in, a, in a good book, but is 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 told differently. Same information, but like a different angle. That was your two. That was my two. Are we gonna all share number one? Uh, possibly. My number two is Matthew Johnson and Matthew Miller. In oh, Black you Mary. put it higher than I did. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how much Glenn Howerton was probably ad libbing. I'm sure a lot, but you know, there's. Those moments where obviously story needs to be told, or like Matthew Johnson's in the jokes He's for himself. Blackbird than me. I'm one thing. Um, it, it works magnetically for me. I think that movie fails in somebody else's hands that tries to make a comedy. Mm-hmm. I really like Dumb Money, but I, I notice like the fat in that, or the parts yeah. that like don't necessarily. Blackbird does what Dumb Money couldn't do properly. Exactly. But I love both movies. Yeah. What's your number one? My number one is Cord Jefferson. Is it going to be fiction. everyone's yep. same? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, American fiction. I mean, I didn't read this book. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think one of the the things that apparently the entire um, fuck novel is in the book. Yeah. Oh really? It, it, yeah. it is. Like I, I read I read the description of it. Yeah. Of it. I'm like, oh, the whole like fuck is in. Yeah. The actual I, uh, whole I just, book. I think that the. The moment we talked about it, pretty short, but your moments that um, with the Keith David stuff, that stuff doesn't have to work. The stuff at the end doesn't have to work either. But they've he's written a a script that's so um, generous to its characters and who are so deep um, that it that all that stuff, all that like the um, you know when you leave the narrative realm and you kind of go into this like imaginary world like very briefly all that stuff it feels earned and it feels appropriate and, and the conversation lived in yeah, yeah and the bit. conversations you get between the the siblings yeah oh my feels gosh. so natural yep. um the, i was so mad when the sister died at the beginning cuz yeah, like no, for sure like that relationship and how they were talking like i want more of this yeah, and yeah. all of a sudden she's dead and those narrative beats where um, the mother's losing her mind and she says, I'm just so glad you did, you're not queer. Yep. Oh, that, um, that Like that it just is a yeah. mood bomb and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. Original. Number five. Uh, I guess I'll go. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is my, this is my uh, fun category, but I have a couple expected movies. Uh, Justine Treat and Arthur Harari. 
yeah. Anatomy of a Fall. That was my number five as well. Um, Tired. Yeah. So I just yeah find a lot of that courtroom transcription discuss uh, courtroom transcription discussions very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was brilliant. Like, yeah, and it's, the British French bastard was <laughs> the like, prosecuting like attorney. The prosecutor yeah. was such a fucking prick, but he did it so well. It worked on so many levels. Like, and I don't know if that's how it works over there, but I don't care. It yeah. just worked. He made he made a great villain. Original. Original. My number five is Sean Durkin, Iron Claw, which I feel awkward putting it in original, but that's how the Academy... Hey, we all play by our own rules, so... No, I, I just looked it up by... Like, I don't know. We should have talked about it maybe before, but... We never, we're so loose with I this. actually had this thought when I uh, was driving to work today for no apparent reason whatsoever that like I was wondering if this was um, adapted from like the David Shoemaker book like uh, from the the documentary to the for many things like yeah, the dark side of the um, ring yeah exactly but it was it's it was you know just taking the facts of the family from all of these other sources not from one particular source and making a screenplay out yeah. of it so um, it was all, it was very close to my list I kind of you talked a little bit about it when you did yours where like there are these like very hokey moments that you're just like oh that could have been like something different I talked a little bit about the Fritz character when we talked about the movie where he just there's a period in the movie where he just kind of says the same thing over and over and over again. And not, like, in the same scene. Like, in different scenes, his response to every situation is just, like, the same couple of words. And you're just like, all right. I mean, that like, Fritz, I know he's a bastard, but, like, that Fritz he could say anything else. Yeah. That Fritz character, I want to put my supporting actor, too, because he was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Just... Uh, Holt, McCann- Holt McCannally? McCallie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you only say his last but name. But that is literally the deepest list of... Like, yeah, yeah. People. yeah. So my number five is Anatomy of a Fall. Um, I guess I got to talk about. It. I just think it's it's a, a very well constructed, very well constructed exactly. script. Um, like I said, the only reason Chandra Muller or this film works, I think, is the relationship between yeah. Chandra Muller. What's your number four? Uh, so this is where it gets fun. My number four is it gets really fun because of trying to pronounce this last name. Yes, Cherry Sheva Pravratra. Dumb wrong. Uh huh. Nope. And Teresa Hazal in Joyride. Oh, um, nice. And I intensely... wanted to give stuff, more stuff of this movie, but I couldn't fit yeah. them. I'm an, glad you did. An intensely funny movie. Mm-hmm. One of the um, funniest movies of the year. Yeah. Uh, I have another comedy that's that's higher than it. Uh, well, two comedies that are higher than it. Um, the I have a movie like this. The jokes haven't. The consistency of the jokes landing, like it's not much of a narrative, but like the, the fact that they're able to do a very base sort of like two-hour trip narrative, yeah, with as many of the jokes landing as they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I could I connected to a movie that's very personal to my heart, Euro Trip. Mm-hmm. Um, like the number of jokes landing in that movie to the number of like, jokes landing here. Yeah, is there a joke for a Trachtenberg cameo in this movie? There is not. Um, <laughs> or uh, Fred Armisen. Yeah. There's not a Fred Armisen in this? Oh, no. That's I don't too so. bad. That's too bad. What's your number four, Andy? My number four is Sammy Birch and Alex Mechanic. May, December. Oh, yeah. Oh, Some of this for a while. It was never in consideration. For really? Uh, I think it's pretty sophisticated, except for the fact that it does seem to be trading on, like... I don't know. 
that real life situation stuff that's been brought up where like yeah um the Billy Valal is kind of just like, I don't like this. I'm just like, yeah, that's this is kind of like I'm not sure what again, we're a little in like the past things thing here where I'm just like, I'm not sure what like you're trying to say. You know, with I this think we're just like an interesting like situation. We oh, it's a super characters. interesting situation, yeah. And, and we get to see how they work themselves through it mm-hmm. and and they all do it in weird ways. And we're in ways I didn't expect. I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, the kind of decision to present it as a procedural and like, but like a soap opera way. I don't, like I don't it was think done it was in the script. That procedural. No, procedural though. in like a like a soap opera like. Sure. I, I know, in the way that's just daytime television. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if that's like how. No, how I know. It's like it's like a lifetime stuff. I get that. It's very linear. Than like you know, there's uh, big dramatic beats. But it also like turns those on their heads and like confuse like does things in a different way. I don't know. I don't know. There's just something fascinating about this movie that it, it's hard to describe. Um, yeah, I think you just have to be in tune with it, and I just wasn't. So. Yeah. Um, my number four is uh, speaking of turning things around and like looking at them in different ways. Aki Kurosaki's Fallen Leaves. Um, Aki Kurosaki is a, is a Finnish director. Um, Fallen Leaves might probably will get an Oscar nomination for um, international feature. Uh, it has the. Uh, it's a comedy. It's a super dry comedy about a really lonely woman that needs to find a job and the alcoholic that she has kind of decided Who's, to be in love with. Well, this wouldn't have a lead read now, right? I'm just, well, so I'm, she got nominated for a best uh, for best comedic actress and for the Golden Globes. Okay, that's year. where I remember yeah. the part. Okay. Uh, this movie has the benefit of having... It almost ended up in my moments where they go on a date to see uh, The Dead Don't Die. <laughs> and then two characters walk out of the theater and say... That reminded me of uh, Diary of a Country Priest or oh Godard's God. Band Apart. <laughs> and then uh, the two main characters come out of the theater and she's like, I just wouldn't believe it. There's too many zombies and not enough police. They would never have made it. <laughs> and um, that thing keeps... There's a supporting actor in here that almost made my shortlist who is really um, upset with the idea that like people think he's old. And, like, he sings a song at karaoke that he thinks he did a really great job at. And he did, like, a really terrible job. But he wants people to think he did a really great job. And it's all just so dry, but it's all so funny. But when it needs to get emotional, like, where she, like, tells him that, like, her father was a drunk and her brother was a drunk. And she's not going to be in a relationship with a drunk. I need to watch this. Fall Fall Leaves. leaves. All right. It's on Mubi right now. So, like, you know. Um, this movie sounds like right up my alley. Aki Kurosaki, Fallen Leaves, very good. Number three. Uh, so my number three is Raka Raka, which is the real name of Danny Filippi, and Bill Heinzman for Talk to Me. Um, I just think it's a. You're doing God's work with the Talk to Me like, references. <laughs> I'm deeply well, we appreciative. Talked, we talked about like, really how much liked, I loved it. Right, and um, I really and liked it, and I'm just glad it's. No, here. it's 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 extremely rote, like you said, in the sense that. Um, <laughs> No, it's wrote in the sense that it's like a haunting story. Sure. But it's it's a completely controlled original idea with the language being, you know, I, I mean, I think they're young millennials. I think they're 30 or 31. But it has, I mean, like I've talked it about, like I'm yeah. a Twitch guy. Like I watch a lot of Twitch. Yep. So it felt like... Gen Zers, like in, in, in a way, in a way yeah. that bodies, bodies, bodies failed to do last year, 
this felt I like, like a, that movie though too. Well, you can like it, but it's it's not setting out to it's do too stylized. Yeah, it's too stylized, and also the language doesn't feel like the generation they're trying to portray in yeah. that movie. Whereas this feels like kind of the horror for the next generation. Yeah. Um, and from the responses and how much money it made for A24, it's, mm-hmm. and the audience we were solid with, a bunch of like 20-year-olds who had a great scene. And the fact that they're going to make another one. We're on yeah. their phones all the time. Was it Talk to You Later or something like that? Something, yeah. Um, you know, and it just is, is paced extremely well. There's there's not a lot in there that um, feels like fat. It's a, it's a tight movie. Absolutely. I feel like horror in general is kind of expanding, expanding. I love Scream 6, but that movie is still two hours and two minutes. This is a tight... It's a tight-ass movie. I think yeah, it's yeah. like 80 all you need is minutes a, or something like that. A, like Mummified hands. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so... Yeah, good. My, my number three is uh, Slain Song, Past Lives. Mm. I think it was just a perfectly cromulent script. It fit everything that I wanted it to be, and I was like, just happy I like when that, I left I like cromulent. It. What is cromulent? It's a made-up Simpsons word. <laughs> it's really? Yeah. Is it from The Simpsons? Yeah. Is it really from The Simpsons? Yeah. What does it mean? Oh, no, it's, it's... Ex- no, it's acceptable. Well, cromulent means acceptable or adequate, but um, I think The Simpsons used... It's misused in The Simpsons. Sure. To describe, like... I think Homer uses it to describe something as extremely excellent. Oh. So it's a... Uh, no, it's perfectly like you want to eat it up real good. Cromulent. I love that. The, the Continental Breakfast was perfectly cromulent. Thank you, yeah. Google. And, I don't know. Work, I just, just loved... I think it was a, a sweet script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, I think, like, fit, like, what I wanted to see that day when I watched it. Mm-hmm. And I want to watch it again. I think... And I think you just responded to a story. Like, I loved it when I saw it. But then, you know, re-coming back to it, um, I kind of see a lot of what you said with it in terms of, like, feeling that looseness. But there's a throughway, I think, mm-hmm. that you can find it yeah. or accept what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And if you accept what it's doing, that script is and, and extremely And that's where I, I got to when I watched it. Mm. I, I got on its wavelength. Yeah. I um, a wavelength thing. My number three is Christopher Borgley's script for Dream Scenario. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of... It's a kind of... Obvious, I guess, in in some ways, like you know, pastiche of, oh, did, of some of those have Michael Gondry. Have you seen his first movie? No, I heard it's really good. I've not. And we, we should watch and talk about it. Yeah, um, it's not English language. Well, I just wonder if it does like the same type of. I, I, I heard it's the same I type heard of it's surrealism. Really, really good. So. Um, but I think this the 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 um, excellence of the script comes in the fact that it's not uh, so willing to kind of. Um, tie itself too tightly to surrealism it, it is grounded in a in a very specific reality mm-hmm. you would use i thought about this for a while you've used the, like the idea that like he's a milk toast character and i think mm-hmm. that's that's right in some sense but i think the point that he's trying to make with that characterization is that he is he just doesn't understand who he is so he's more milk he's made more milk toast by the fact that he thinks he belongs at this fancy Dylan Baker dinner party when in reality he belongs with his family his and he belongs to and, and he daughters, is yeah. he's a good teacher but he thinks that he should be like a, a like this writer you know what i mean yeah exactly um, and I, I just think it's a, i think it's it's a, a script that could um in less deft hands could be very obvious and more sensationalistic and this movie seems very grounded yeah what about less deaf jam hands less right. deaf jam hands. and that's yeah. why i think nick cage Deserve yeah, yeah, yeah. some acting consideration. Recognition, yeah. What's your dose? Uh, my number two is um, 
Emma Seligman and Rachel Sennett or Sennoit uh, for bottoms. Sennoit. Sennett, right? I, said, I used to. Yeah. I always said Sennoit. Sennoit. Because. I have this problem where I read words but never hear them, and I finally hear, like, it's people are like, what are you saying? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, it's not spelled the way you sent it would be expected yeah. to be spelled. Um, this movie, I think, is is a terrific kind of, like, magic realism comedy, mm-hmm. and, like, if you resp- I didn't necessarily respond as much to Shiva Baby as, like, most people seem to I do. I did, um, heavily. But, like, I was on this wavelength all the way through, mm-hmm. and... Uh, it was just a re- it's an engaging comedy. It's doing the things that I think once again, um, sorry, uh, that bottom bodies by his body was trying to do, mm-hmm. um, and couldn't and didn't necessarily reach. I would think and Shiva this- Baby does is better screenplay than this, but it's not as fun of a movie. Yeah, I think I think the mixture is a mixture here to a sincere friendship. That is carried both through the performances the, the, and also like what they're saying, the while also the comedy. Yeah. While also the comedy like, hits at the moments it needs to hit at. 100%. I know you don't like the basketball fight scene, but I think that no, no, the, fo- like the football tur- scene. No, it was with, the basketball. With, 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 fight no, scene. The yeah. brings the guy out of the cage. It's on the basketball court. Yeah. No, I just think I think everything you're saying oh, is, is that is, basketball. Yeah, it's on the basketball yeah. court. Oh. Yeah. I think everything you're saying is 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 um. Cromulent. One hundred percent is is um, but it's again that 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 marriage of of um, tones didn't didn't always land for me. Mm. But Marshawn Lynch is in this movie, yeah. Who was and, almost and he's awesome and almost made my sporting actor list. But yeah. that would have felt he did. He was he's nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. <laughs> did he for go? a breakthrough well, performance? Is it has it happened yet? The awards? No, oh. he's I totally he fucking going. <laughs> bags of Skittles, just high as shit. That's <laughs> the best way to go. Oh, absolutely, He's so good. All right, movie. number two, Andy. Um, Justine Tria and Arthur Harari, a man me of a fall. I just think this was such a tight, tight movie, mm-hmm. and I was so engaged with the whole, all of it. Like I, I'm a true crime like guy, but the way they wrote me in with the, how all of the court scenes worked, how they were interviewing everybody, and then they were like doing the um, the testing of like the dummies or the child with the sound, like it all, it just felt super super tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Agreed. I think we all liked it. Yeah, it yeah. Just, it's, on it's all a two and a half hour long movie. I don't. It didn't feel that long. Though. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, my number two, I'm not going to talk about it all that much because we're going to talk about it a little bit more when we go through our best style list, is um, Kelly Reichert and John Raymond's um, showing up. Um, you know, it's it's spare, I guess, and that it's even a little less talky than some of um, Kelly Reichert's other movies. Um, but everything is very, like, perfectly calibrated to mm-hmm. develop these characters and to kind of um, give the actors a space to... Um, like be inside of them and, and and navigate like the interiors of like who these people are supposed to be. And I think the story was successful in the turns of anxiety mm. or man- mm-hmm. maybe man- I don't know if she's necessarily manic, but I think she's just she's anxious. She's anxious, and, and I think it's like and, the it's sorry. no no. I, I'm just trying to I'm off piggybacking here, but... off of that is that the Judd Hirsch thing, where he's like comes in as like this kind of like really hot like you know he's kind of a liar. He's you know. That she doesn't want him around. Like it's the first time we've seen him, 
And then, like, the movie slows down for a second. So the movie always finds these moments to slow down. Where, like, you have John Magaro digging holes. You have her, like, you know, ruining glazes. And she's having fights with her mom. And, like, all this other stuff. But, like, then she'll go see Hong Chao's character's art. And the movie stops. Or then, like, Judd Hirsch will be looking at her art. And the movie stops. Or then the bird comes. And they're just, like, looking up at the sky for this bird. And the movie stops. You know what I mean? No, it's an incredible... It's a, like... And it's an incredibly solid screenplay in the sense of its quiet moments yeah. work when they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I making the assumption we all have the same number one? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. Wait, uh, oh, is, that a, is that sarcasm? Or? No, I mean, I could do mine if you guys have the... I think we probably do. My okay. number one is You Hurt My Feelings, Nicole Hall. Oh, no. I forgot that that's um, an original. Uh, you have Dennis David Hemsington mm-hmm. for the H- old So, yeah, we can just... What is that? Hemsing, Heming, Heming, Hemmingson? Hemmingson. Okay. For? The, uh, the holdovers. holdovers. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I stumbled over the name because I... I don't think I ever even, like, noticed who wrote that. Because I just... I think I just... I knew it wasn't Alexander Payne. But I also, like... If it wasn't Alexander Payne, I was just like, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I definitely... It's written like an Alexander Payne yeah. movie. With just a... With a little more attention for me to the... Trauma of yeah. the son, uh, not the son, the the, the, the student the kid. Yeah, um, and I think like something Alexander Payne for me. There's something more raw to the script that mm-hmm. Alexander Payne never usually does. Well, he, it'll he, be he, like an elevated rawness where like it's you're an open wound, but like you know you have to like parse his, through all of this yeah. other stuff first. Oh, you're is, gonna go cheat on your wife, sort of open it, trauma. It's also I mean, this is like a subtler his, trauma. Yeah, his dialogue Payne's dialogue is a little too flowery at times and I don't know it comes off um, I'm not even going to remember the name of the author I want to do like Rothy Philip Rothy Philip Rothy yeah Yeah. like kind of saying things when less words can be said it's very like it's it's like punny without like a pun He's goofing around a lot with the language like everything's kind of related to other things but there's a lot of callbacks to stuff or yeah, pa- but, paint, you're but talking but about pain, yeah. Um, but this, like, there's those moments of sarcasm and, uh, and like, kind of that elevated language, but it's only played in the way that would work for this character. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I would like this screenplay better if Dominic Sessa delivered lines, like, with a little more nuance sometimes. The, you know what I mean? He's... Is this first movie role? Regardless, like I, I think he's also. I know, I, know, I, I get it. I think he's also playing the frustration fairly straight. I thought he did it. I thought he did pretty well. I think he's okay. I, there's a, there's a couple of moments in the movie though where I think he's like like when he's sitting across from his dad, where I didn't. Love if there's that an anxiety too. at first, and then I almost I just think it'd be cool if he calmed down a little bit but he still keeps being like he did this yeah he's, he's a little okay he's a little too like um, too jacked up he's got too much and he's, but he's the, and my only problem with that is he's been jacked up through the whole movie like it's like maybe they find a moment for him to just kind of like relax breathe and I think yeah. I don't necessarily know if that's like a fault of the script that's not a no, or fault, the fault of the script or a fault of like so much of the performance has maybe like a fault of the editing to where like or the before director. I just think it's where I think it's one of those things where I would I think the script would reveal like certain subtleties if some of it was delivered more subtly. That's fair. Yeah, uh, I just imagined him playing it as like a seventeen-year-old would play it, always but speaking his little mind. hot, little anxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the 
But that the one scene you pointed out, I think, was the one that was bad. But when he does the, the it, going to the asylum, the, yeah, to see the father. But like at the party, when he was like anxious, like it it all worked. When that girl kissed him and they wanted to leave early, sure. Like, but that's like again, and I think we talked like, about this. He does so much good, good in that movie. We talked about this a little bit when, like, when we talked about the movie. Is that like they're leaving that party and like you know. Um, Dave Enjoy Randolph's character's having like this meltdown. I forget her character's name right now, and like, and I know we always say just I know the it's indicative names, of so. like the nature of the character, but like, you know, he is seems deeply concerned about like being able to kiss that girl again. As mm-hmm. like, dude, you know, but he's a teenager, absolutely. But he's also like an they've established him as an intelligent teenager, and I feel like he should be able to read that. Like uh, again, I'm nitpicking here. I'm like as as I want to do. Um, do you want to? Let's just do director now, and then we'll just do picture. Right. I'll go first. Saturday or Sunday. Um, my number five is we're gonna go five to one Can here. I go last. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, Christopher Borgley with Dream Scenario. This movie is heavy, heavily directed. I'm I, I'm so happy that you have this movie. I oh, I love I love this you. movie. Um, like, I like this movie a lot, and I was afraid it wouldn't be represented. On oh no no so. no! I mean, I, we talked about it on the thing. Like I I was like I did too. I thought I was the high man in this yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, so. My number four, and so and I'm gonna kind of like go fast over these only because like we're gonna talk about these. All of my directors are yeah, I think we're gonna have more energy um, that have uh, they're the directors of movies that are on my top ten list. Yeah, uh, my um, yeah. My number four is uh, Takashi Yamazaki for Godzilla minus one. Are we not gonna go in, in order? Or no, gonna, I'm just gonna go up and then you'll go, go and then yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. go. My number three is Jakob Dos Santos, Justin K. Thompson, and Kemp Powers for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I mean, in the same way like that dream scenario, like how dream scenario functions, like you're. They're pulling from so many sources and and so many emotions and so many characters and so many aesthetics and they're like marrying them together in this kind of perfect amalgam of drama and action and like comic book replication, um, which is not anything that anybody asked for, but they just did it anyway. And the fact that like what they got a fourteen year old kid and they brought that in had you know that like you're saying the sources is yeah 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 remarkable. Um, my number two, I think, is a little unoriginal, but I don't really know. I, I don't have an, like another way around this. Is Martin Scorsese, Killers of the Flower Moon? It's just such a deep movie, and there's so much happening. It's so long. Mine would be so unoriginal. Don't worry. About I that. like that it's long. You know what I mean? I, I it especially I think in comparison to what he did with the Irishman. Yeah, it's just it it really works, and I think he's. He's a director that I really respond to, and I really responded to this movie, even though it did, as when we talk about our top tens, it did kind of fall down a little bit as from where it was. My number one is Raven Jackson, All Dirt Road, Taste of Salt. Again, it's another like highly directed movie um, where she's taking these kind of really long takes and these close-ups and all this other stuff and um, combining it to make something um, deeply emotional with a lot of... Um, thematic uh, resonance a lot of um symbolism a lot of motifs happening simultaneously this is her debut feature yeah so she's direct she's a she's a photographer and she's a poet and she's directed some shorts and things um but this i mean a24 clearly was like we don't know what to do with this so here's like a short release and then like a24 who never kicks anything to streaming like appropriately is just like here you go yeah like the world and it was immediately rentable which I think is also like hmm. a kind of weird A24 I saw thing. that. That was available for like five ninety. Yeah. That's the reason I didn't get it though. It's because I was like, oh, 
this must be like have failed all I think expectations. It just, and it, but it also it's got like a ninety percent Rotten Tomatoes. It obviously has like a, a low audience score because it's like a it's not like a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Oh, did it say at ninety? Yeah, I maybe I looked at its Metacritic that but it's, it falls like a sixty yeah. or something like that. Um, but it is. Um, Again, if you watch it between now and we like Sorry. when we redo this thing, you're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, it's Tom, it's Tom movie." Um, <laughs> it's a Tom movie. Well, I think ju- yeah, it's just it's it's a it's a it's a magic piece of 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 filmmaking that I don't think like the the A24 who has like got ideas, it, it wants to do things now. You know what I mean? It's got Academy Award things, and when it didn't, even though it got nominated for a couple of Independent Spirit Awards. Um, it's just not it's not on their radar and they were just like you're not on our radar it's nine days see you later it's like nine days I mean not the level of right. nine it's, days it's Sony but... Classics it's A24's version of Sony Classics nine days where yeah. they're just like we don't know so alright Andy num- directors five through one number five Alex Turner Payne The Holdovers I just think it was a almost perfect movie um, probably should be higher on my list but I love more movies than this I don't want to talk too much about it. My number four is Christopher Nolan. Oppenheimer. I thought you'd, you'd think it was higher on my list, didn't you? Well, he's only the director, so maybe it's higher on your actual list for films. Well, we'll, we'll see. Oh, we'll yeah. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> number three. He's already won an award for me. Cord Jefferson. American Fiction. He's doing the good work. I just love this movie. I can't, I can't wait to watch this movie like a lot. Yeah, I'm, it's it's like a, it's gonna be a perfect kind of like watch at home movie because like it worked on the big screen. It's a great like big screen movie, but it's also it's gonna, gonna function perfectly. On it's the, kind of like how some of the people have been like making the discussion that the holdovers will be perfect for Christmas. And it is, it, it is. is. I've watched it a, it is. It's a couple movie, of times. Yeah. It's a perfect Christmas TV movie. movie yeah. yeah, and that's why they're my two favorite screenplays of the year, and they both won. Um, I'm glad they were in the same category. My number two. Matt Johnson, Blackberry. What? <laughs> I'm only, so shocked. If only we could guess at your number one movie. <laughs> oh, no. Who wants to guess? Who's my number one movie? Um, oh, it's uh, whoever directed... Uh, no, sorry. It's uh, Expendables 4. Okay. <laughs> Who directed Expendables 4? I don't know. That's why I said whoever. Because I was really usually going to try to say Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. But it's I the, the Meg 2. <laughs> yeah, it's Ben Wheatley. <laughs> yeah. Hey. But hey. Really, hey, he's gonna get money for that. He had to get money for that to make his next small feature. Yeah. So he was in passages. He got a lot of in the earth sex. too. That's fine. Um, number one is your earth last month. You guys know. Yeah, I think we'll talk. Not surprised. Uh, not I, not I, a shocker. I you know how much I adore this movie. We do. This movie, I think, is it's one of my, my favorite movies of all time. So. Oh, Andy's pivotal film list. Coming soon. It'll be on there. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to redo the 100. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my number five, I, I'm going to go through these quickly just because kind of what I've already said has been done. Um, but I'll speak uh, for a bit of time. Yeah. That's okay. I'm my number one just because it's lower on my of course. T- end of the year list. Um, number five is Yorgos Lanthimos, Poor Things. Uh, you know, we kind of repeatedly said why it's there um, we respond to it in a way that like you don't are all of your all of these movies are on your top 10 so poor things is in your top 10 yeah it's okay. lower but, just, um, I'm just curious actually I gotta make sure about that yeah I think all of them are near the positions they should be in okay um, number four Alexander Payne the holdovers hmm. um, 
nothing really much else to say about that that hasn't been said. Number three, Cord Jefferson, American Fiction. I'm going to speak on this just for a bit. Um, the fact that it's his debut feature um, and it's, it's so, many, so yeah. many component parts are together and you see a lot of people make that transition from television to film. Mm-hmm. I don't Mal- think he uh, even Malcolm and, Malcolm and Marie. film. I think he just wrote for... Like oh yeah, maybe he just. I wrote. don't know if he directed for TV. Um, but you see those. You see a director like oh, Sam yeah, Levinson for, go for over sure. to Malcolm and Marie and completely fail. I mean, I don't think Euphoria works either. Right. But uh, I know you're, you're a Euphoria fan. But just the fact that like. <laughs> I say Euphoria is kind of cool. He's but, directing all, right. all those performances to work together. I wouldn't think that um, John Ramos, right? I've seen him in so many other things. He plays the agent. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And Jeffrey Wright would be able to blend so well together because mm-hmm. they're two very different places, usually. Yeah. Um, like, Ramos is usually kind of like a little down here, uh, kind of playing Jeffrey charisma. Wright is a phenomenal actor. Like, yeah. He, well, he fits it's, everywhere. It's a mixture of that and a mixture of just, like, placing the camera where it needs to be, controlling the editing and everything. And controlling um, the tone. So, like, the Adam Brody scene oh, like is... One of my favorites. Like, oh, kind of yeah. pitched really nicely, and it doesn't ever tip into... It doesn't last too long, and it doesn't tip it doesn't into like the restaurant scene, right. or yeah, the exactly the restaurant scene. Oh, and the finales also the finale like, too. It's a fun way Adam to Brody wrap up a movie. Perfectly like blends into this somehow, even though he's a weird ass character. Good work, yeah. Adam Brody. Uh, number two is Takashi Yamazaki uh, for Godzilla minus one. The what he was able to do on such a small budget. I mean, oh, he's also a visual effects supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, so like. A lot of the directing he was doing is in visual effects, but the fact that he was also able to have such... I don't, I'm not familiar with his body of work besides this visual ex- effects. It's extensive, though. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. every kind of... It's kind of the workhorse routine it's, of how many of his movies has... It's one of the most Takeshi perfect movies this year. Yeah. Um, but his ability just to control those small, minor sequences yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, find a way to elicit a baby to cry was amazing. Um, <laughs> that baby was one of the best actors of the year. Just, just say Emma Stone came and punched it. So my number one, <laughs> I, wish. Uh, I will say, if anybody ever calls this man a bad director because he just so happened to direct Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I will say, <laughs> watch this film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's J.A. Boyenya for uh, Society of the Snow. It's lower on my like my top ten of the year. Yeah. Um, just because there's there's some stuff. Okay, well, else I'm gonna have to watch this movie. Tomorrow. Yeah, it's also a good reason to like. But he nails. Pause. He, yeah. Um, the emotional tonality that he's able to elicit Shit. from a huge, insanely large group of people. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, they're dying off slowly, like they did. In, but the in fact he's able to keep um, that control in terms of tightness of performances between large groups of people mm-hmm. and to elicit a, an emotional intensity um, takes just an amazing control as a director yeah. and and placing that with all the technical mastery mm-hmm. um, to be legitimate and, like, and I won't mention this later um, spent the last 25 minutes of the movie crying all the way through mm. um, and it's because of the fact that he was able to put these this group of large actors together and direct basically what is a stage play, um, you know, with special effects going around, but a stage play mm-hmm. um, in one spot and one scene um, was just an intensely, intensely uh, masterful 
direction. Yeah, I'm so interested in, in like... Actually, it'd probably be easier to watch, like, once... Now that I've had, like, the context that you've given me, I can kind of, like, look at it as, like, a technical feat and not so much, like, instantaneously in the moment, like a... Like a horror movie, like another movie of people trapped in snow and like eventually eating or each like other. A, yeah, it's a it, live remake. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it, alive, I think is is a absolutely garbage movie. I mean, has any? I, was I mean, it's, but they but ate it's, people. It's so the uh, I mean, I'll t- I, I'll talk about that later. Um, they probably the do fact in this movie too. the fact that that movie has the American machismo control and adventure aspect, uh-huh. whereas this movie is a deeply about brotherhood and faith and finding purpose in life mm-hmm. and I'll you know what expound he, upon that as in a whole film he's a Mexican director uh, Mexican or Spanish I yeah. think I think he's maybe, maybe Spanish maybe you're right yeah. I mean, it's it's has a bunch of Goya award nominations okay so yeah Spanish um, but I just don't know if like they include Mexican directors in that mm-hmm. I don't know like the two but it's regardless it's it's coming from a less it's coming from a more empathic European South American place than it is from like a, uh, a like you said a machismo yeah. like white American male, and obviously place. that that has an aspect of identity to it, but it is the fact that it's it's a it's a stage play that is a, a tremendous survival. Yeah, film. awesome. All right, we will be back uh, in a week, one week, no, six days. Who knows? With our top ten movies, of the year twenty twenty three. Bye.